Jesus. And it enkindled sparks in our own imagination so that we developed, we, told, we, we were then active in creative play. That's exactly right. We went on and told the story ourselves. Yeah. Now, I deliberately did this and do it for that purpose. I want the person to go on and construct for himself all of these marvelous flights of fantasy and imagination. I want him to, to uh, you see, you, you haven't had the Spacing Guild explained completely just enough so that you know its existence. Now, with lots of people, they've got to complete this. Yes. So they build it up in their own minds. Yeah. Now, this is right out of the story. This. Yeah. Sparks have flown. Spice World, an inebriated exploration of Frank Herbert's Dune. My name is Derek. And my name is Mike. With each chapter, we open up a new bottle of wine and have a bit of a buzzed book club here, Derek. I'm Mike. It's finally all over. We're doing it. We're doing it. Part two. Yeah. I'm chapter 48. I'm glad that we did part two. After I realized how long part one was, I'm like, oh, I couldn't do that all at once. No, that would have been a a very long drunken day. I Um, probably could have done an entire episode of nothing but that gazetteer, to be honest. I got a lot for today. Oh, you got got some more to unpack? I got a lot for today. Okay. Yeah, we got plenty to go through. Uh, I'm really looking forward to where we're jumping into anyway. But before we go into all of that, Mike... Why don't we address uh, the rabbit in the room? The so rabbit in the room. So I got this for last week, and uh, then we had a two-parter. So it's like, well, fuck it, we'll save this for the last one. Another bottle, and it's called King Rabbit, and it's rosé. Mm-hmm. Um, this is coming out of California, I believe, somewhere on here. Ah, oh, fuck, no, I don't know. Take that back. Product of France, so opposite of California. Okay, <laughs> but I love what it says here. Fresh, juicy, and so pink. So it is very, like pouring it out. I didn't had not read in the back. I did remark. I'm like, Mike, this is a beautiful pink color. <laughs> it's really pink. My first thing is like, this tastes really juicy. <laughs> so like, they know their marketing. Yeah, they don't lie. That is, it's really good though. It's got that great like juicy flavor and then an awesome dryness to it. It's sort of like through the whole mouth. Mm-hmm. But good choice, so, King Rabbit. It, yeah, I mean, hey, you got to end with that uh, that guy on top. Yeah, if we're gonna put somebody on a throne. <laughs> we got, we're gonna celebrate we're gonna it. go there uh, uh, speaking about celebrating ooh, what else we gotta celebrate we got a new spice worlder in our little sketch oh it could not be more perfectly timed you made it just under the wire <laughs> right there right, well, well, at least when we're recording yeah yeah all the others are gonna be messiah born babies so, uh, <laughs> they're gonna be messiah babies yeah, yeah. so coming in at a sappho juice enthusiast we got crazy eyes <laughs> crazy eyes perfect <laughs> one of my favorite um uh, Adam Sandler characters, uh, <laughs> and the only reason I learned Steve Buscemi's name, his greatest role of his lifetime. Uh, I mean, mm. I think Steve Buscemi puts Boardwalk Empire as two, <laughs> and Crazy Eyes as one. I still like Armageddon a lot. <gasps> yeah, yeah, where he is kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. he loses it. All right, let's get back on track, though. That was a weird detour. <laughs> Uh, oh, because his name is Crazy Eyes. I was like, how do we even get there? <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Sappho Juice enthusiast. Oh, Crazy Eyes, this one's for you, and thank you for sending us down memory lane. That was wonderful. <laughs> that is great. So we got uh, 
new Sappho, new Sietch. Uh, I'll set up a Yali. I'll take care of that. Put some hangings up for perfect, him. Perfect, perfect. Uh, <laughs> a little Frem and Welcome package. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we a little Frem kit. We, yeah. <laughs> a little better. Uh, I think with that, you want to go in and talk about, we didn't have an epitaph today. I pulled Epigraph. Some, epi- oh, Jesus Christ. I always <laughs> use them all the time. Uh, I always want to kill people. Mike, just <laughs> put them on the ground. Uh, but I found a cool bit where there was an interview with Frank and Dr. McNelly, which we talked about way back in episode That's one. Right. So we pulled a little audio clip out, which I hope people appreciated being the full clip of the, I deliberately did that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah, I just want to kind of get your impression of that. I thought this would be a fitting piece to throw on for the final bit of like, let's get some words from Frank of how he crafted this novel and how he felt about it. I mean, I think what he describes is pretty much what every writer wants to do, sort of leave that open air for you to use your imagination. Cause that's what makes it so you, that's what makes a book so much more unique than a film medium. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with like audiobooks in a way where like, there's so much left to your own imagination to fill in the gaps. Yeah. Not just with like what happens in the story, but like with how things look or with how things, uh, how they interact, tone even. I, I think in some ways throughout this book, motivation has been oh, left yeah. in a vague, uh, under, undefined state that allows us to really inflect and maybe project in a lot of ways on the characters. Mm-hmm. And that's, I guess, one of the cool things about reading the uh, book alongside the audiobook mm-hmm. is you get to see what one person's perspective is of that, or I guess all of their uh, the voice actors, how they interpret. Okay, those that's what I assume you mean, like well, the yeah. inflection they put in the voice. Exactly, and like the narrator as a whole, like yeah. the majority of it. But we do have like special voice actors for a lot of different parts in here as well. I I think the voice actors for me made the biggest difference. Uh, where sometimes the emphasis of one word. Mm-hmm. Could be different. Exactly. And you'd be like, oh, it's like, oh, oh, that's not how I read that. I, I read that totally wrong. It's and like, uh, But like, you also have to ask yourself, is that how I would do it? Like, do I agree with them or do I not? Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. I think it's, well, you get to look at it both sides. It just right, sort of right, like right. expands it more to me than like ever boxing me in. I'm always like, oh, that's another like way you could interpret this whole scene and kind of go with it. But as far as like, as far as letting the sparks fly and like using our own imagination, there's so many like loose threads that we never really follow up on, mm-hmm. and uh, so many side stories. Or it's just like, well, what happened to this guy? Yeah, yeah, we have a lot of people we met along the way that we never get to meet again. They're just there to like add some, uh, you know, peripherals to the world. Yeah. Uh, but I, I do want to know what happened to a lot of them, and especially after this like final chapter, it's like, what, what happens next, Derek? Oh, oh, we'll get there. We're like, we'll get there. Uh, the only thing I also want to pull out of that quote is that I love that he hones in on the guild specifically. And that is, I think, Frank like telling you, like, this is the one I left for, like, for you guys. This is my gift to you in writing this book. Like, this is the one faction I didn't do anything with because I want you to just do it. Right, right, right. And maybe I just didn't know what the answers were either. Uh, <laughs> maybe not. Yeah. I mean, clearly not. Spice and uh, the guild we never figure out. So. <laughs> Which came first. Exactly. Uh, but I, I love it. And the idea of Sparks Flown, just he gets so excited when he's mm. saying that line. You can hear it in him. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's giddy as can be. But that is how Frank feels about it. Uh, I have a few more lines we're going to pull out at the end of uh, yeah. from that same interview to give us some more more frank takeaways but before we leave oh, out here. Um, anything else you want to add in on that? Uh, any, that's it. Any insights? With that, then, Mike, let's uh, let's head back into this chapter. we got to go back into the Great Hall mm-hmm. of the uh, Eric Keen residency. And where did we leave off? There were some two groups conferring, yes? I think we had some Conley. Oh, no, no, no. 
We stopped pre Conley. Oh, did we? The line I stopped on was um, Paul leans over to Jessica and is like, I think they've been discussing it enough, don't you? And Jessica goes, Indeed. Okay. And uh, so we just had Gurney. He was pointing out because uh, whenever he popped in between them, I was like, I hate Harkonnens, right, guys? And I was like, <laughs> That's right. Like, ooh, ooh. Tough crowd, tough crowd. <laughs> That's where we ended. What a cliffhanger. Whoa. <laughs> What's going to happen? So. Paul's going to basically look up, and we're going to call out this other group now, because uh, Shaddam, Irulan, and Gaius Halamahayam have been conferring a little corner. And then on the other side, we have Paul, Chaney, Jessica, and Gurney. Uh, our guild operators, still at the comms. I feel yeah. like they just look over and give they a They just gave the thumbs up, just like, be- you got it, boss. You got it, yeah. <laughs> They're not happy. Uh, and then Fenring and Fade are chilling in the entourage. Yeah. Still on, well, the, on the wings. Here's part two of the... Uh... Uh, treachery. What do you mean? Well, oh, oh, part one was like, like th- sending Thufir with needles. See how far I, we get there. Said, yeah, of all Shaddam. So like, didn't work. We, we labeled it as like low-hanging fruit last time. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm going to take every big attempt I got, and now we get to the real treachery. This, yeah, this is uh, more of the slight uh, plans within plans. Yeah. Where, they, I mean, who doesn't know about the Harkonnens and Atreides feud? <sighs> like... Everyone. For Fade Routha to call out Conley, it's no big deal. Mm-hmm. Everyone would be like, yeah, I saw that coming. Sure. Fine. Totally. But you took all the weapons away. Hey, <gasps> you know what? That, he's part of my group, the Emperor says. Why don't you give him my blade? My, that'll be nice, right? Then it's, yeah. a, it's a neutral blade. Third exactly. party. Uh... I mean, what are the odds the Emperor had a poison blade no. that couldn't be detected by a poison snooper? That'd yeah. just be astronomical. That'd be crazy. That'd be crazy. Let's. Uh, you're jumping ahead of me, though. I know, but... I know, you want to get there. Let me walk you to there. Because um, we have, in this little group here, we know Gurney already pointed out Fade. Mm-hmm. He wants blood. Uh, Paul is going to break this pause then. He calls over to the Emperor. And this very much to me was like, Red Rover, Red Rover, send your Harkonnen over. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> How long have you been sitting on that? Oh, oh, a week. Uh, <laughs> But just like, because uh, he, he... That's totally what this looks is, like. Because he just like, we, we didn't bring this up, but he's just like, hey, do you got a Harkonnen in your group? <laughs> he's just like, excuse me? He's like, do you have a Harkonnen in your group? And um, there's like a, a kind of a little exchange. And then basically uh, the Emperor's like, if there is a Harkonnen, it's part of my entourage, which I was promised by the Duke would be mm-hmm. safe. It's Paul then it's going to be like, oh, Jesus Christ. And uh, he's like, look, I'm only asking information. And then he follows it with, you have the word of the Duke, but Moadib's another matter. It's like, what about information, Paul? <laughs> Why'd you even say that? Yeah. You're such a dick today. Uh, well, okay. His his kid did just die. Yes. Well, yeah, I guess it was this morning. Say, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I guess it was this morning. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you're not giving that enough weight. Well, hey, this is a, this is a multifaceted bed. If anyone <laughs> should be able to deal with the grief of the death of a child, it's Paul. Oh, God. Okay. But nonetheless, so uh, he even though, and then entertains, like, Gurney Halleck wishes to kill a hark, and it is kind of why I'm asking, which we're going to turn on that really momentarily, right, too, right. right? And this is where, you want to tell me what Fade says? Ring it in the air, Mike. Oh, he calls Conley. And he presses against the barrier lance, just like, oh, yeah. Hold me back, bro. And then your father named this vendetta Atreides. You call me coward while you hide among your women and offer to send a lackey against me. 
And ooh, Gaius Helen rushes forward to Shaddam and is waving in his or trying to whisper in his ear. He waves her off. You know what she's trying to say. Yeah, it's just like, no, no, no. No, no, no too important. I need that. I got a plan. It's like, I need both of them. I, even that, I need one. I need like, what are you guys If they doing? kill each other, like. This is her worst day ever. Uh, yeah. She's just constantly trying to dig her way out. You think out. this is the day she has a stroke? <laughs> you, you'll say. <laughs> um, Paul is going to, like, kind of turn, or Conley gets something stirring in Paul, rather, because now he's going to fully. Well, it's personal. Yeah, yeah, it's and I don't know, but he was just looking at Fade. Fade had said, or I guess he hadn't said Conley yet, but he was willing to seem like let Gurney fight Fade until he said that. Why does that change it? Why is that so significant? He, here's the thing: he wasn't going to though. You, you think that's what I? He, I that think was, I would he kind was of never agree. going to. He was always going to get drawn up. Yes, yeah. it's um, just it's just a uh, a chops game of words at this point. You know, you know what? I actually, if I'm gonna if. Just to draw a parallel to a movie that maybe more people are familiar with, but like um, the ending of Back to the Future when Marty McFly gets called the chicken. Oh, is oh, would and you it, call me? And it's like all the character progression that you go through in the movie gets it's thrown out, out the, the window. window. That's my favorite part, though. <laughs> like, what was the point of this? <laughs> what did we learn along the way? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, I think he does break at the light, right? He doesn't get in the car accident. But yeah, it's sort of... importantly, how did him and the professor become friends in the first place? The professor that was selling at a Libyan arms deal in a parking lot <laughs> yeah. at a mall? Yeah, yeah, that's a good it's shit really there. sketch. <laughs> I love that part that we always gloss over. Um, but back to this. Okay, sorry. <laughs> no, no, I know, I know. It's so, it's so tempting, Mike. <laughs> Um, we're gonna we're gonna pull it all out, and we're just gonna pull the rug out from underneath Gurney. Essentially, after like propping him up and setting him up, and like, no, it's Kenley, and he now is like, it's me. And uh, Paul tells him, "You've had your day against them," or uh, he's telling Gurney this. I'm sorry, and I love this. Paul said, and he felt a Harlequin abandon take over his emotions. Ooh, was I mean, the last time we heard Kenley. Uh, uttered was by Leto in the letter to uh, Vladimir. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like the Connolly never ended. We're coming full circle. Certainly. Certainly. I mean, uh, I I think that that should be the feeling for like Leto's whole life too. Or at least like like the next generation where like, you know, like both of their uh, progenitors, they're gone. Like it's now that that's the better, I think thing to bring up. So like the feud continues. I like like, that. Paul almost feels like maybe a, a sense of duty to do this. He definitely does. I He doesn't question it. I think it's the more important yeah. thing. Or like the thing that's bothering me more. Uh, but that's a great point. That the second generation, here you guys are. You have a chance to do something about this. And you both they don't step right into the same motion. And granted, I wouldn't expect it from Fade. I would expect it from Paul. To like, you have so many reasons to be like, like Moadib is bigger than this, right? 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 Like, you've already been playing back and forth on Paul you've and Moadib. Seen to how your many advantage. different futures there are? Like we got a lot of like uh, things that we're juggling right now. It's like, do you really need to give into this emotion right now? Well, we can play that the other way and be like, maybe he does. Maybe the ones where he doesn't were like something. But we, I think we were just hit with uh, he can't see past the gaps anymore. Right? 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 Like we are just stuck in this moment. I don't think he knows anything. Like, I don't think he has prescience right now, essentially. Um, 
No, I would agree with you. I mean, he, that, like we are in. He even the, said it was getting harder and harder to see things. Right, and it's always it always implies that like in a nexus you can't, and obviously this is like the nexus yeah. of nexus. Uh, I mean, of the whole book, this is what we've been building. Oh, to. it's the center of the universe. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. It really. It, like, is. yeah. God Emperor is going to draw a direct line back to this moment. Mm-hmm. Like everything will happen because of this happened. That's Gotta so cool it. to think about. It's it's the neat. It really is. Like it's you get to the end of the series. Like when you read Chapter House, you're thousands of years in the future, and yet you can't help but be like, we got to talk about Paul real quick. <laughs> <laughs> I love to think about the idea that this is ancient history, but we're getting to experience it. Yeah, ancient history gets debated. Right, on. right, right. Yeah, but yeah. like when you're reading this book, that's not at all what's happening. It's just like this is the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think? Do you think uh, he's going to this like with a plan, or do you think he's going to this on a whim emotionally? I, I think it's on a whim, and like I told you, where I'm very much inclined to believe that after the death of his son, it changed everything for him, and I get mm-hmm. the sense that he kind of went buck wild and was like, I don't care anymore. Right. Same with like how he told the guild uh, that with that word, uh, NUI, the listlessness oh, where yeah, I'll yeah, do yeah. it out of boredom and spite. Oh, spite, yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, I, I love it, but I'm terrible. Like, that's not the Paul that I want, though. That's, yeah, not, yeah. that's not the person I learned. We're never going to get with. the Paul that we want. No, there. no, he's a broken, he's, yeah, he's a shattered human being. Mm. It's it's over for him. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that is kind of it. He's not seeing anything, and he is acting impulsively, and uh, I, I don't know what it is inside of him that's causing it, though. It's really hard to rationalize, in a way, because uh, there's so much in his head. Um, but the Harlequin abandoned is taken into it over him, and he already he just starts slipping out of his rope. It's already on the ground. He hands him to his mom, <laughs> like the belt and his Chris knife. He's already, yeah, he's already he, in. He's starting to take off the still suit now. Like, robe comes off, that's in her hands, and it says he sensed now that the universe focused on this moment. Does he take off his still suit? He's starting to right now. He will, oh. ta- he will take it off. He basically strips down while everyone's telling him not to fight, and by the time they have, pro- like, when Jessica tells him not, he's drawing the dagger from her hand. I feel like I missed that. Yeah, so check, like right after this, so that line I read you, Jessica protests, and Paul is already out of his still suit now. She's holding the Chris knife sheath as he draws the blade. Ooh. So the Reverend Mother is like holding the blade out to him, and he's pulling oh, it out there. Which, I, I love the imagery of that. And now you can imagine Paul, he's still in his fighter trunks, I assume. Yeah. Those classics, right? There's uh, Lucky Trunks. Yeah, <laughs> the yeah. same ones he, he bought James My with. fighting trunks. Always yeah. got to wear my Lucky Trunks. Every duel he has in the sea edge is with those trunks. <laughs> That'd be so cute. Those are his killing trunks. There's no blood on them. I don't believe in these trunks. Um, Gurney starts to protest, too. And he's only like, you owe me. And it's like, hell yes, you do. I'm on Gurney's side for this yeah. one. All I mean, in Gurney's corner. I think I brought it up last week, too. Like, this is the falling out of Gurney and uh, Paul as friends. Like, Ooh, Gurney will sure. always be loyal to the house. But Gurney was good friends with Leto. And, like... When uh, in his youth and training, he was friends with Paul too. Like there was like a bit of a mentor student, like uh, it was the bond. Clo- there. It was the closest was to a, a friend. Yeah, I think was, it's, it's how we clo- said. Yeah, yeah, isn't that even what it said in the text? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like yeah. in that chapter, told like that was like the closest one to of all of his retainers. This was the closest to a friend. And that he's he had. almost just throwing it out the window and spitting in his face. No, he is for sure. And it's, but I would, as you bring that up, it's no different than the Stilgar parallel. And you're it's, absolutely right. I told you, every single person that's been close to him is pushed back at least one degree, right? Mm. Or in some manner. And the ways that they are are very different, though. Stilgar becomes a creature, these yeah, people yeah. worship him. 
Gurney becomes just like relegated to another tool in his toolbox. Um, I mean, yeah. Because the line that Paul tells him, and like this one I hate the most, but he asks like, uh, have you suffered more than I? Yes. First thing he says, my sister. Gurney rasped. That's not even saying it. It's barely coming out of his mouth. My years in the slave pits. It's like, he it's can't even just like, finish how can that you one. forget this? Y- yeah, no. And then I hate fucking Paul. Okay, this is what Paul responds. My father, I'll give you that one. You get that. Then he goes, my good friends and companions, Thufirhawa and Duncan Idaho. They which, were girlies too. <laughs> like, More so for longer. And also, he, Paul didn't have any friends. We were established this. There was an orphan room he wasn't invited to. Let it all out. Like, yeah. I, any metric you want to judge that on, <laughs> Gurney beats you with those two. There is no way you were closer to either of them. My years as a fugitive without rank or <laughs> both slave <of> pits. <laughs> <laughs> also fugitive. <laughs> You both had that same fate. And one more thing. It is now Conley. And I'm like, okay, now the rules. Why don't we just lead with that? No, but I just want now the rules apply? You can't lead with that because he already played the Moadib card earlier. <laughs> That's true. Fucking pick a lane. Moadib doesn't play by Conley rules. Oh, God. And this Paul is- doesn't recognize the Empire <laughs> thing, but like... That I, he's all over the road to justify this action, which uh, maybe is the point Frank wants to make. Yeah, of like yeah. how illogical it is for the mentat to like draw this. We're like, this is emotional, this is personal, and this is not this is logical. Bad mentat policy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who said that? Was it uh, my boy Piner? That's bad policy. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, policy would have been. But uh, yeah, I think it's all. They should never give in to their emotion. Oh, fucking Paul. <laughs> fucking Paul. I just I hate him in this last the second half of the last chapter. I liked how he handled the first half pretty good. We were just mm-hmm. slapping the Emperor around a little bit. Like that's good fun. Ultimately, this decision though is what ruins him. Um how so? Let uh, you draw let's spell that out for me. I well the big thing is uh he's trying to stop the jihad. He's taking the throne to stop the jihad. That's why he thinks he's being the hero here. He's trying to save the day by stopping this. Mm-hmm. This battle, by accepting it, no matter what happens, he's going to lose. Okay, how how is okay him winning the battle? How is that losing? How does that affect the jihad? I guess is what I'm saying. If he uh, if he goes in fighting and kills Fedratha, jihad happens. If he dies, you know he becomes a martyr. The jihad happens. Mm-hmm. But let Gurney take care of it. That's not necessarily going to happen. He's still got like full reins. No, you're not going to have the zealots being like, well, we've already, but we already hit the point where like he he told us in the beginning of the chapter, we've already hit that point. The jihad is happening. No, he said that there's still a chance to stop it. Uh, so we, we just went through, sifted through, cause I do want to find these quotes. Uh, so we're not scrabbling and leaving the listeners to be like, what are they fucking talking about? <laughs> yeah. And you are dead on, uh, with it. And it's right when the fight starts. And I was thinking the quote was a little before it uh, mm-hmm. that Paul tells, like, the, the gaps close. Right, right. That's when he's looking in Fade's eyes, essentially circling him. So it is after the fight begins, which is the moment you totally underlined to be like, this is when Paul, uh, the moment of the jihad is decided by this fight. Yeah. Whether I'm in it or not. Like, it by might. accepting it. Yeah. And, that, like, and he did it so rashly, I feel. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I love that. That does. There's lead, an eager gurney that could have done this. That does leave the option that you there. Maybe there was an option that didn't have a jihad, but because the Harlequin abandoned took over him, that he doesn't do it. Yeah. That I he, think the fact that he adds that Harlequin abandonment makes me think there was like yeah yeah so like he totally could have reasonably said no bad yeah. mentat paul yeah i i agree <clears throat> i i think maybe like gurney was supposed to get on that floor and maybe gurney and fade died together or something and i like, mean even yeah. that would have been oh so poetic for it our really would there kind of would have been good at good battle right yeah that would have been great it would have been good i didn't happen yeah no um i'm don't get me wrong. I'm glad the way it happened and was written. But sure, like, sure. that's the point. It's just like you had the out. You had what you wanted right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, my, honestly, Mike, I mean, I don't know if you picked up what just happened here. Like, you just made the correct call. The oh! whole, like, you, you schooled it. Like, <laughs> I doomed you. You're here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, with the amount of times that I've read every chapter, I've probably read this book close to five or six times now. Yeah, no, we're on evil, even <laughs> even ground as far as it comes to the first book. I'm just slowly going to be losing my advantage as we go. <laughs> Back and out here. Which is what I want, Mike. I've always wanted someone to talk about Dune with. And, uh, it's it's really like I'm just infecting you with something. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a curse. Weekly book club will do that to you. Yeah, that's what it's for. Uh, so let's continue on with this uh, this terrible, terrible event that goes. Because Gurney, he tries again to dissuade Paul uh, just one more time. And even Cheney chimes in. of like, Maudib need not do this thing. And Paul, oh, I've wanted to fucking slap him. He's like, but Duke Paul must. I'm just like, oh, I want to strangle you, you son of a bitch. You can't. That's the have your cake and eat it too situation. Like, you can't have both, Paul. Even Leah Kynes knew, like, where to draw the line. Two, you're like the one person you're most honest to. You're going to do this to Chaney and be like, at least wink at her to be like, I'm being a dick, aren't I? Because, like, the end of this chapter, I had a lot that I wanted to say and just, like, I really like the way it ends. The more I read this, the more I'm like, oh, Paul. (laughs) Dragging you down. (laughs) You really are. Like, Paul, you're, oh. Yeah, you can't assume that he finally gets all honest at the very end. Exactly, that's the thing. It's just like, did it once. <laughs> <laughs> Fool me once, shame on me. You did it like three times actually in a minute, but Yeah, yeah, he's all over the place. Now this gets Gurney is rip roaring mad at this point, and he rasps out. Again, he's not even like fully talking. That hearkening animal. Paul, look gleam in his eye. He wants oh. to say it. He wants to say it. Jessica shoots him a death stare. I'm like, she's like, she's just like, mm, mm, mm. not now. <laughs> you think she coughs a little bit? <laughs> just for oh, don't do sake. It. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it's very blunt. I'm just like, this is getting really ridiculous. If he revealed his Harkonnen ancestry, do you think Gurney would kill him right there? Maybe. I mean, I mean what does Gurney right have now. to lose? He wants, I mean, to, he wants to kill Harkonnen. That's true, though. He doesn't have anything left. No, he, he took him. That's his life goal. You've just taken away from Gurney. He's got nothing. But Paul, uh, he puts pushes Gurney aside, and it's Jessica that kind of reaches out and touches Gurney's arm. And she tells him, like, look, we've heard this a couple times now. Paul is like his grandfather. The best we can do now is not distract him. Kubebe. What irony she thinks. Uh, oh, no, oh, it says great mother, doesn't it? says great mother. It? Great mother. <laughs> oh, yeah. Although I think we have established we, we, of Kubebe is secretly oh, great mother. Oh, it's going to put it in. Uh, but I love yeah. that again. And I like that where every time we bring it up, it's always, it's never a compliment, is it? No, no, it's, it's never. 
The idea that she's like, the best thing we do is not distract him is very much a demerit on him right now. He's not acting rationally. He can't control himself. Yeah. This so, like, let's not make this worse. Otherwise, all this is for naught. Yeah. And we are in the lion's den. Mm-hmm. And Literally. Ha-ha. <laughs> well, no, no. We brought the lion into our den. Okay, fair. Fair. But there's a lion involved. There's a lion. There's definitely a lion. There's a lion in this cave. We were in the lion's den when we went to his chair room where he made the Baron wait yeah, for yeah. my chair. <laughs> Awesome power move. Um, this next bit that comes up, I really like, because uh, we get to see the fight from the Emperor's eyes. And oh, it's just yeah. like, it was cool. I haven't been an off-worlder in a while. <laughs> and I love his view, though, where it's, the Emperor was studying Fade Rautha, seeing the heavy shoulders, the thick muscles. He turned to look at Paul, a stringy whipcord of a youth, <laughs> not as desiccated as the Arakeen natives, but with ribs there to count and sunken in the flanks so that the ripple and gather of muscles could be followed under the skin. He's looking like, I got this. I think, yeah, he's, he's like, that kid's so much bigger than... He's also, got- with uh, with uh, shoulders and muscles, I think, uh, you know, give him another five, six years, I think he's going to be looking a little bit more like uh, Glossu. Who? Oh, oh. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think, uh, it's fade. Just, I think their family's just built that way. Yeah, yeah. I think they're oh, just stocky people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. You just get the sense that Fade's just like the sexier of the two. Yeah, yeah He's like apparently. the good-looking the good brother. And then it's like, ah, <laughs> Ravon, you tank-headed uh, meat brain. Even though Ravon, I think he's a pretty calculating guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he definitely. Honestly, Ravon, or at uh, least Loso never gets his. Uh, level-headed. All right, maybe it's like where well, I should ne- put him. He gets one chapter to speak, and he's right on all counts. And yep. he, it's the worst thing. It's like, dude, he's not a dummy. No, not at all. He really has important information yeah. for you. <laughs> and he talked to the Sadokar. Oh, my God. He had an Absolutely. information network. Uh, yeah, that honestly, that chapter pisses me off. It's like, dude. <laughs> yeah, you know, you just, Frank didn't pay him no mind. Mm. Now, uh, knowing she can't talk Paul out of this, Jessica is going to give Paul some information. Mm. It's mainly that, look. We Bene Gesserit, we do this thing. It's called Deus Ex Machina. And uh, <laughs> it's basically, we have a word that it's might like, be implanted. And it's just like, how would you know that he has it implanted in him? Like, I guess there's some little twitch in his eye that they leave. And who would have done it? Well, oh, what do you mean? Like, put this... Uh, Lady like, Margot. In that one... Day or night or yeah. whatever it was. She, uh, um, actually, give me a control F. I'll go back and, uh, I'm pretty sure she mentions it. All right. So, my, I, I did, uh, we were searching back into this chapter. I got the quote for Lady Fendering that I'm thinking of. Uh, so this is why I think she is alluding to this word being implanted in him. Mm-hmm. This is way back. Uh, remember the humming conversation? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is uh, the Lady Fenring and the Count Fenring having a talk after the Baron fucked up royally with his talk yeah. of Fenring. And uh, they're discussing Fade and the control over him. And uh, they they smell Hawat's plan, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So I'll start with, uh, if that's Hawat's plan, that's uh, Fenring, Count Fenring speaking, that will bear tr- examination true. The young one will be more amenable to control. For us, after tonight, she said. You don't anticipate difficulties seducing him, my little brood mother? <laughs> no, my love. You saw how he looked at me. And so that's about all we get, but like the four no, us... An, uh, oh, I'm sorry. There's one more line. Indeed, oh. and it's obvious we must have a hold on him. I'll plant deep in his deepest self to necessary oh prana bindu yeah. phrases to so bend sorry, him. <laughs> <laughs> like, that was my next, keep going, keep going. <laughs> 
<laughs> You're right. Uh, that is even more clear. Oh my god, that's so stupid of me. Um, but yeah, implanting. We're gonna be like deep in his psyche. And the word. Do you know the word, Mike? Oh, I forgot. Arashanor. What does that mean? That is a great one. I don't know what that means. Uh, after I asked you that, I realized that like I've got a glossary that I should look up. Oh, to be fair, I wasn't looking for a glossary definite. I was looking for a real word. Oh. Like a real world uh, adaptation of that word, which well, I could not find you anything. Well, based off this definition, there's a reason why. Arashanor, one of several sounds empty of general meaning and which Benny Gesserit implant within the psyches of selected victims for purposes of control. The sensitized person hearing the sound is temporarily immobilized. So that's like a general term they use for anyone that they give this. Uh... Right. And so that's the context that Jessica even couches it in. We're like, yeah. there's a word that's generally used. Right, right, right. Uh, but I do think that like, that is such a unique word. That feels like that's pulled from something. Like that seems like a real word. I think that... I and Ooh, I would, I would maybe. be, I would be really surprised if Frank took something so deliberate and didn't have any like there was no meaning. To maybe it. something if, in like old Jacobsa that just no, no. means just like prattle. Yeah, yeah, and I, oh yeah, exactly. Or like at least alluding to something. And I'm looking back to like your Caladan Arrakis, that whole river, like culminating in all those names. Like, yeah, there's, this is such a unique word. There's got to be something. I there. agree. If anyone yeah. knows the, the origin of that, yeah, Rushnor, starting with you because it wasn't in the A section. <laughs> um, yeah, let us know because that one is a doozy. Yeah, but cool word and very cheap though that we're using it here. And Jessica's yeah. like, yeah, it's just there. And then Paul is like, good God. Oh, I hate it so much. And this is going to come out where he's like, I want no advantage, mother. And it's, it's like, like but mm, you want no advantage <laughs> in this fight. I'm Again. gonna. I got a list of advantages, Mike. Uh, I got. <laughs> yeah. All right, give me the list. Give me yeah, the list. Get this up okay. First, you got prescience. You knew your mother was gonna tell you that. You could have told her to shut up. Okay. Well, this prescience isn't really working right now. Okay. You want to give me a little bit of As she was started to talk, I'd be like, there is a word right there. You could have stopped at the word and not heard it. Uh, let's even set that one aside. The whole word that just keeps. He's busy getting undressed. He can't. He not his fault. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He didn't do fine. that. But if I'm going to go through Paul's list of advantages, and I'm even setting aside Noble Born because him and Fade both have that. Yep. Okay. Paul, though, retainers trained by a sword master of Ganaz. I don't think they had one of those in the Harkonnen house. No, but I bet uh, Raban had some. Uh... He's a brute and a savage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's good at what he does. No, he had someone to fight. Okay, okay. What You're about matching... Piter? Do you think Piter trained well, him in anything? Well, the, well, I was gonna. Even if he does, nah. I don't know with how he how... not a swordmaster. I was gonna say, but damn, is he no, no, no. But uh, with how much Fade did not assess Piter as danger. In the first chapter or the second oh, that's one, that's good. That maybe would be infinite. Like I, think, I don't think him and Piter had think, any yeah, inter, right. in, uh, interactions. Yeah, prior to that. Yep. Now, Paul's also a mentat trained by what we have been told is one of the greatest mentats in the Imperium. The greatest. Yeah, or at least living one in the yeah, universe. Yeah. Thufir Hawat. He had Bene Gesserit training, not only from Jessica, but you might be able to extrapolate from Gaius Helen Mahayam himself, who is at least herself. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, we never saw into that dress. Uh, no, they did on Gamont. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, but, like, because she was there, at least overseeing his development. Yeah. So then you have Fremen training with the greatest Naive out in the desert. True. Although Stilgar. even the Naive were just like, you are better than us. 
because of all this. Tra- yeah, I, think, I think that's but a like, mark still in my I think almost the Fremen one doesn't count because they trained the Fremen to be as good as they are. I think that one doesn't count. No, I think that underlines it even more because it he, means them more uh, more well conditioned. I'll say that. Yes, it's more. It, you know, no, no. I'll even stick to my thing because like it's still adapting another fighting style. Fair. Because, like, you know how, like, Bruce Lee constantly expanded of, like, sure, sure, sure. he always was, like, once he got defeated, was, like, I'm going to learn what you did just to make me better. So, like, more more fold. And it's a fighting style that's nowhere in the Imperium. It's true. Do you think uh, the, the knife uh, the knife hand flip, that's something he remembers from fighting Jameis? The uh, the hand switch? Isn't that what it what, uh, yeah, does yeah. here? That's, yeah, yeah. that's exactly what it's meant to. Yeah, it's mirroring that fight. Uh, and it's, I mean, one does show that Fade is a better fighter than... Jameis and Jameis God you suck man I'm sorry yeah even this guy would have beat you uh but Mike we're not even done with the power list yet we have Quisatch Hotterock powers <laughs> we need to talk about <laughs> now as we get next fucking level again again like that nexus like we can't really see that much going on we no. barely get hints of things no no but that it's still you have oh, all, are you talking about the the, the all, terrible purpose all of it no yeah. Uh, terrible purpose. I took and, like all the previous experiences. The previous experiences. The one to one draw. Imagine, like you have millions of people in your corner being like, I can tell you every single moment that could pass, and he's gonna use such a cheat to win the fight. Yeah, ultimately yes, but then like, it doesn't like doesn't give him muscle memory. Okay, though. okay, set him all aside, Mike. Yeah, sure, let's uh, sure. let's address the biggest one then. He's got acid on his blade. Yeah, now the, you know that's a cheaty move. He <laughs> doesn't know there's poison on the blade, as per the prescient block you want to address. <laughs> so in this instance, Paul is the only one going into this match with a cheating weapon, like, and he knows it. Isn't that just normal? Uh... Uh, war of assassins kind of mentality though always assume that your enemy has got like a trick so you might as well bring your own tricks to the table uh probably yes and then i would also say it's along the lines of uh how he wants to draw the kind of uh, grayness of the law where he blew up the shield wall this isn't really a poison but it, you know because it's an yeah. acid um but all bullshit uh, <laughs> i think it's all shenanigans and he is so, they're different weight classes. Like, <laughs> this is a heavyweight and a lightweight. There's no reason Fade should be in the ring with this man. <laughs> now, Gurney asks if Paul is trying to make a martyr out of himself uh, for this, you know, Fremen religious prattle, essentially. And Jessica admits to, like, to us, the reader, not to Gurney, yeah. but that she doesn't know why Paul is taking this course. It's Harlequin abandoned. This makes sense to nobody. Honestly, else. this is... I think I said it in the first chapter where, like, Paul's biggest character flaw is pride. Mm-hmm. And we are seeing it manifest here in the worst possible moment. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I can see you can drop drawing pride from the Camly. Yeah. yeah. And, like, normally in a, in a story, mm-hmm. you've got two options for your protagonist. They have some sort of, like, difficulty or flaw that they have, and the story is about them overcoming it Mm -hmm. and succeeding and overcoming their flaws or succumbing to them and failing and ultimately leading to their own destruction. Okay. And this is definitely the second option that we're seeing here. Interesting. Interesting. You didn't learn anything from this book. No, he definitely did. No. No. I just think it's uh, it's interesting. You don't always get to see that second option because it's just (laughs) so happy and go lucky to get the first one. Well, and, I mean, Frank gives it to you in a very diluted fashion, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like this is sort of like a a beverage you could drink down, and you wouldn't realize that you took the negative one. 
of the two. Right? <laughs> That's true. It's, it's a little bitter aftertaste. It was you're tasty, like, but it's you're like, like oh, hmm, oh, what is that? I think I'm allergic to this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, because it's like you could kind of look at it. Like if you just walked away from this, you could see a way that Paul won. Mm, right? I mean, he didn't die. No, but the Fremen, you know, the Fremen are going to have their planet. The Emperor's been defeated. Like, if you if you don't dig down too deep enough, like, you can... You are a super glass half be full left kind of with guy this right sort now. of image. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just think that's sort of like the plain view to look at it. And that's going to be how we... When we rewrite history, that's right. the, the package. I mean, that's how here. we're going to sell it. Yeah, yeah. We're going to... It's all about branding. It really is. Um, but I do also like that in Jessica kind of uh, sharing this fear with us. She's worried that Gurney's right. That he is trying to make a martyr out of himself. That Paul's leaning in because she was also very reluctant. Every time Paul's made the religion move, mm-hmm. and it doesn't, Jessica, that like goes against every fiber of her Benedict's being. We've already seen how powerful religion is. They bent, or sorry, they broke an entire population of people to be subservient to Paul because it was yeah. already bent by Pardot. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sorry. I, I didn't know if by they you meant Benny Jesuit when you were no, starting. No, no, I was sorry. like, Ooh, where are we going with good, this? Good point. Good point. But no, yeah. That's <laughs> they part. is a very awkward term when we're talking about Dune. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. There's a lot of these. Um, but yeah, no, like uh, religion is almost the most dangerous weapon that the Atreides have found right now. And by Atreides, I do mean Paul being the head of the Atreides. Uh, yeah, I, I think, you, yeah, go further. Like, it's one of the most dangerous weapons in the Imperium. True. And I think the Bene Gesserit as a whole, their organization has kind of been to make sure no one has absolute control over one religion. Mm-hmm. Like, in a way, that's kind of been what they do. Um, and maybe that's why we don't see any religious body in the Imperium. I guess true. Is it? I don't think I've ever heard of a church of the Orange Catholic. Well, we. I mean, we did know the um, the CET that like organizational body that came together it, yeah. like to create it. So we know there's something that's out there. But yeah, Frank doesn't give a shit. Like it's <laughs> no, just say, well, like, it doesn't matter to the story ultimately. Exactly, that's all I mean. I'm but like, uh, because we're throwing it out today, it is interesting, whatever though, was that, there. Paul that, is going to destroy. It is interesting though that like we don't want to have any one religion like go like going ahead of the other ones. Let's just combine them all into one. Call it good. Yeah. Hey, we all win. Um, I don't mean to insinuate that Ben and Jesuit did that. No, no, the, yeah. the, the, that's totally something they sure, do, sure. though. Um, and so we're left thinking, yeah, Granny could be right. And uh, Jessica just tells him. But, like, why? Why are you doing this? Why is Paul doing yeah. this? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what both of them are wondering. And she tells him, be silent and pray. Those are words for when a Ben Jesuit truly can do nothing else. Yeah. If Jessica is telling you to pray. Yeah. You, you look over, uh, pan over to guys Helen behind. She's just like muttering like so many prayers right now. Like, oh, pulling out some beads, like anything she can. Half of her face has gone limp. Yep. Yep. Oh, oh, that poor girl. But, yeah. uh, ooh. <laughs> yeah. Back to the emperor. Mm-hmm. The emperor, uh, he's going to give Fade, uh, leave to take up Canley if he wants. And he even offers his own shield belt and blade to be used. Yeah. You might even say that his face was touched by an abrupt smile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. <laughs> yeah. I love that both the Emperor and Fade have obvious fucking smiles. And it's like, you guys, you're not really hiding the plan well, but you know, right. I, I guess it is the end of the book. Who's counting anymore? Because they're just like grinning, shit eating grins on their face. Yeah. Yeah, we did it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh Paul though. Reads it wrong in a way where he's like, he's overconfident. And he I, he's right, but I guess he's not being like, there's a trap here. Well, that's the thing. He's not 
thinking logically anymore. There's a natural advantage I can accept. You son of a bitch, Paul. Oh! <laughs> One more advantage to the list. God damn it. Uh, Paul gives the orders. And uh, I love uh, General Paul, who's like kind of a, I love when he's just giving general issue because he's mm-hmm. still like a kind of small man. Uh, I don't know if we address this. Like, do you think he still has his beard? Oh, yeah, he does. Okay. I, I don't think he shaved it. I, I hope he didn't. I hope it is like a ragged messiah beard. Yeah. Uh, and he's telling him, get the blade, move back the rabble, all these like onlookers and stuff that the Emperor brought in. They form a circle. The guild agents are just frowning from the comms equipment. Which <laughs> is just like, oh, yeah, you guys, you're having a rough Ooh. day. <laughs> and uh, Paul looks over to them, and he says, yes, they're accustomed to seeing the future, Paul thought. In this place and time, they're blind, even as I am. So as yeah, he said, so, like, nothing. Yeah. And he sampled the time winds. Oh, just, just the taste. <laughs> yeah, Swirl it around a little bit. Oh, I think it's like licking your finger and holding it up. Like, which way is the wind blowing? Tiny sampler, yeah. swirls it around, sniffs it. Like, Ooh, yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> I have no idea what's happening. It's a rich, full-bodied time. And he senses <laughs> turmoil, a storm nexus, and uh, that's all focused on this moment place. Even yeah. the faint gaps were closed now. So that's, again, that's the line we searched yeah. out earlier. So by I accepting, he already, like, condemned his entire plan. Mm-hmm. And for what? He threw the baby out with the bathwater, literally. <laughs> <laughs> it's too soon. Too soon. Damn it. How long do I have to wait, Mike? <laughs> Give me... I've read the book like ten times. Continue. Um, oh, this, uh, do you want to keep going with this? Because um, I love this ch- uh, next paragraph that comes out. Sure. And he says, here was the unborn jihad he knew. Here was the race consciousness that he had known once as his own terrible purpose. Here was reason enough for a Kwisatz Haderach or a Lisan al-Gaib or even the halting schemes of the Bene Gesserit. The race of humans had felt its own dormancy, sensed itself grown stale, and knew now only the need to experience turmoil in which the genes would mingle and the strong new mixture survive. All humans were alive as an unconscious single organism in this moment, experiencing a kind of sexual heat that could override any barrier. This reminds me of almost like a hungry Darwinism. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's but, really just, uh, what's the word when you um, add like human emotion onto a thing that's um, like a pathetic fallacy? Uh, oh, I don't know. Uh, I think that's one. There's another word for it that's better uh, used, like personification or something. Uh, th- I think it's probably close. It's outside of my wheelhouse. I don't know. You get what I'm saying, though. We're turning something into a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just taking that idea of it and, like, so, like, this human consciousness and giving it, like, human drive, but individual human drive, just being like, it just wants to fuck. And that's all it's down to do. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, it's not even that, though. It wants to change. It wants to evolve. That's the big thing. But that's what it wants yeah. to adapt. It's like it's being um, uh, withheld or like on there are like limits to it. It mm. needs to get to the world without limits, so to speak. Like we want to break beyond them. This There's makes more me think we can of do. Jurassic Park with life finds a way. Yeah. Because it wants to. It needs to. Yeah, it has to. It's exactly the same and thing. And Benny Jesuit's plan is like, we're going to get this Kwisatz Hard Rock. That's exactly what's making everything go to shit by doing this selective breeding. Okay, I, to a point. To a point. To a point. They've it, been doing it for ninety generations, it's, Derek. It's the trying to control the uncontrollable. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But like they, they want this. They don't even know why they want this. They think it's going to solve their problems. I so 
I I kind of agree. I think they do know why they want it, but it's the matter of they didn't know what it ultimately was, but they also never could have. Right. There's no right. possible way. Exactly. But like, so I I just don't want to paint like their um motivations up to this point. I think are always good they have, and they beneficial for all. Right. Humanity. They haven't been bad. It's just the irony of it. The fact that yeah, they've yeah, literally. Yeah, they keep digging deeper. Like we got to get to the Kuisa Chatterak until they get to the end. And it's just like a little F you. They look up, they're too far underground to get dig exactly. their way back they've up. Dug, they've dug a yeah. hole straight down. That's exactly what they're realizing. I, I agree with you totally there. Uh, they're the dog that caught the tire. If the Benny Jezzer weren't what? around, would this have been an issue? If the, well, uh, I've told you many times, and this is leaning on what I know from God Emperor, just that he foresees an extinction event. Mm-hmm. And that's why he takes the path. So very likely, like, and that's sort of a cop out on my end to be like that could be the ultimate thing. Right, right, right. Like we, but could, like, say, hey, this was uh, sixty five. When was Messiah? Uh, sixty nine. All right. So let's assume that like we didn't know there was going to be a second Dune book. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you take away from this? The Benny Gesserit's drive, or like, okay, uh, it, the irony it, of their situation. Yeah, you want to go in a vacuum without uh, them? What would have happened here? Yeah, so taking away that whole aspect, I would imagine just like uh, more chaos. Okay, and just that. Uh, I mean, yeah, I don't know how else you would want to describe it. I think would it be more chaos? I think you wouldn't have a unified feudal government uh, across. I think, really? Yeah, yeah. I don't. Well, like for how? Well, I guess they do have a hold over the throne, which is a big thing too. And they are just what weaves together all the great houses and chom and like. They're religious. They take care of religion. You know, they're constantly manicuring, kind of trimming, and uh, make keep upkeeping that whole part of humanity. Hmm. Uh, so I, I, they are the fabric of the empire to me. Which that's, is so that's how funny. I mean, too. They, like, because they're like, we're gonna be a fabric to keep everything together, but instead we actually suffocate it. But they, they don't though. But they do to the point where this race consciousness is like. Uh, manifesting in its own way within Paul. Oh, okay, okay. You think the race consciousness is sort of re- like because uh, he can see and hear all the past experiences and lives, and you think it's a direct rebuttal to the Bene Gesserit yeah, plan? At the very least, ninety generations of them are screaming at him like this isn't right. Oh, okay, okay. I don't, I don't fully agree with their meaning for it. I do agree. There's ninety nine generations yeah, okay. screaming in his head. I love that. I like your interpretation for it. It totally fits uh, for what we got for it. Um, that's that's pretty sweet. Yeah, I do like that. Uh, I don't want to go any further down of like this alternate history though. Let's that's, keep that's fair, but like it just I felt that was a very big point to make. Where like this is almost the antithesis of everything they've been trying to do. Yeah, and they're the ones that did it in the first place. Mm-hmm. It's just it's very paradoxical to me. Yeah. Yeah, no. I mean, I think the, the biggest thing that we're hitting on is that uh, them not ultimately knowing what the Quisatotarch is. And when yeah. we finally get here, being like, oh, crap. Oh, no. Yeah. And it, and I, I like this idea of like digging a hole, essentially. And just mm-hmm. be like, now I can't get out of this hole. What do I do now? Mm-hmm. And just how uh, lost and perilous that whole kind of situation is. Um, but then like, yeah, alternate history, we can make up a million things for it. I think it's we'll, a, we'll, it's maybe a, we'll do a special episode on sure, that. Sure. No, that's such a cool idea. That's a good question of like, why, why even bother? What if they didn't? Um, but let's go on with this kind of fight. 
And, oh, I guess the other thing I did want to hit over the, where that said sexual heat. There's a cool bit from that interview with McNelly that uh, mm-hmm. Frank Herbert did where he does refer to the entire book as a sec- as coitus in that it starts off slow, starts going faster and faster. And then... Uh, book one is just foreplay? No, my favorite part, though, is like, he's like, and then it's just over. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, Frank, that's brutally honest. I'm just like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then you get your thoughts back together. Like, whoa. <laughs> uh, it's so beautiful. Uh, but we get a lot of, like, sexual language in this last chapter, even between, like, these two paragraphs here where we had this kind of sexual heat. The next one uh, that I pulled out was like, this is the climax, Paul thought. <laughs> I'm just like, that is, <laughs> oh, is how yeah. much more blunt oh. could you be there, Paul? Or you know like, I didn't, I didn't catch all of those references. I think you're right. There's a lot of, uh, we get, uh, sexual, sexual, I believe coital is in there. Um, and then cli- yeah, I guess climax. that's about as, uh, blatant as it gets. Right? Yeah. Yeah. He didn't, uh, there was no between the lines. There was very much, <laughs> once the other, like, Oh, how'd I miss this? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> He just says it so eloquently, though. That's how he, that's how he gets away with it. Yeah, yeah. With, a, with a touch of class. I deliberately did this. I know, it, bud. Um, so I thought that was just kind of cool. And uh, interesting that you can find, you can actually see that built into the last mm-hmm. bit. It really becomes apparent. And the pacing, I've t- I did tell you about the pacing before, where each one gets a little bit faster. Right, and I, I see that. And like, I, if, you're I mean, making, if you are making that like sort of sexual parallel, I totally get that. Like, yeah. I, I can see it in the, the form of the book now. Mm-hmm. I would have never drawn that parallel before. Yeah, yeah. It, it, oh, it just runs. Um, but so now, like we said, uh, Paul sees that all the gaps have closed. The jihad is a sure thing. We're done. He's provided the Fremen with power over the guild. That seems to be the ultimate like coin that he gave him. Where right. like, I can't take that coin back. I told you what you guys could do with the water yeah. of death. You could have done that. Like at any point you in history, you guys now own the Spacing Guild. Oh shoot, that's how they can do it. What? Because even if Paul said like, "Oh yeah, don't yeah. Do it, or they mar- exactly. like he died, he gave them the key to free space travel, which is kind of a, they've had the whole time, but they just didn't know it. Well, they did. I guess Liette would have known it more intimately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for how it would spread to all of. Oh yeah, yeah. Maybe there's a chance. Maybe they didn't all know it. Uh, I don't know how uh, well that was known. That it would infect them all and then spread it, right? Because obviously they never tried that. <laughs> it was, there was no experience. <laughs> we yeah. never did that. So I'm like, how would we you, just been giving them spice? What if we stop? But like, it? so how would you know that is how it works? Did we do it in like a basin, maybe as an experiment? I don't think. No, the thing is, I don't think they would without Paul saying like, "This is how you." You think do it this. is just purely prescient? Like, it'll base? kill everything and everyone, but like, well, no, no, specifically that it infects the maker. Mm-hmm. And then the little makers go, and they can never become a worm again. Right, right, right. And that's stuff. They still do their whole life cycle. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's interesting. Like, so, but if one ever got out, so if you ever even tested this hypothesis, you need to destroy all those sand traps. Right, right, if right. one got out, it would destroy the well, planet. Well, that's why they have so many things about like shades and like uh, all these like fremen legends to like I think dissuade them from that kind of thing. Religion seems to be the powerhouse that governs the fremen. Uh, what does that have to do with like the water of death? Uh, you would never just like take someone who like, uh, yeah, I'm thinking, do you not know the water of death? Water of death is when you don't change the poison. No, no, no. You'd put the poison water on a spice blow. Okay. And then it goes into the, and then the makers take it. So you take the water of life. Mm Mm-hmm. You just put it somewhere else, and it becomes water of death. You take it out and give it to the... Because the con... Okay, gotcha. Once they take it, that becomes the water of death. Because it's already... 
Yeah, one. Uh, it's like what infects the uh, the big water pod they have. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. It, they'll just suck it up like, mm, 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 mm. and then they can't become worms anymore. Right, right, right. So that's like their big thing. Um, wait, without worms, I don't want to get too far into this because I'll just go on a tangent. But yeah, yeah. Uh, my big thing is like, if they can't turn into worms, is that gonna ruin them? Because they still create little makers, right? Uh, no, no. The little maker is the worm. Little Maker turns into a big worm, but a Little Maker can still make just other Little Makers instead, right? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm thinking... And they explode no, hold, 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 hold up. When you said Santro, you Santro is like... Uh, little Maker, yeah. I But call it a Santro. I'm thinking Little Maker. I'm thinking of the Little Worm is what I thought you were talking about. Oh, no. Like the ones they have at the Sietch. No. Oh, no, 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 no. But I see... I know what you... I think Cheney does... Maker, because yeah, they yeah. literally call them Little Makers. I know, I know. When we're talking, okay. please just call him Santro, because okay. that's the term he's going to use later okay, on. Okay, that's fine, that's fine. But, like, I, I learned of his Little Makers. I know, I know. I reread yeah. his Little Makers for and then, so long. And then he wrote another book. Uh, <laughs> but that, that's just where that just... Okay. That, you confused me there. That's fine. That's fine. Um, I don't know where we left off. Uh, we uh, kind of headed over where uh, Paul has provided the Fremen with the key over the guild, the water of death. That's right. That's where it's going over. And now within this, uh, Paul, like we were saying, he has, the jihad's a, a sure thing. It's all done. And a sense of p- fear pervades him now. It's finally cutting through to his core. Like I, And that's interesting that he does actually get afraid yeah. uh, going into the right fight. Right before a fight, too. That's not good. That's Yeah, it's important. But maybe you kind of need that. Fear's the mind killer, Derek. Oh, that's true. That's true. We haven't heard that in a while. <laughs> and uh, Fade, he starts tripping down. He's down to, a, this is so weird, a fighting gir- girdle with a male core. You don't wear one of those? Uh, not usually. Now, does that mean it's chain mail over his groin? It's a fighting girdle with a male core. A male core? Yeah, M-A-I-L. So I that guess. means the middle has to be, right? Does it mean the, the metal is underneath? <laughs> like, that seems very uncomfortable. It's very homoerotic, nonetheless. <laughs> like, there is some BDSM gear I feel like Fade's stepping out in. Like, that's all I get. How do they do it in the movie? Uh, oh, fully clothed. It's really weird. Oh, Considering really? you have that great shot of just Fade in those trunks... <laughs> That's what he should have fought it. It should have been Sting with just that, like, those undies on. Those space undies he gets. Uh, but no, he's, like, in a full steel suit. They don't yeah. even, neither of them do this. Which I is, feel like maybe they shot that and were like, ah, uh, we didn't, like, get everything we needed for the fight. Or, yeah, or just like, that got really weird, guys. <laughs> it's like, no, I stripped down. You're going to use that in the movie. <laughs> Paul McLaughlin and Sting just wrestling on the ground. Oh. You, you know that would have been a sexual awakening for a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> I would, that would have been great <laughs> if Dune. There's just like a whole generation of just. Oh, I just watched Dune when I was twelve. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, oh, you do. Because <laughs> like, the Sonicar are all in definitely like some gimpy gear. <laughs> that would be amazing. I haven't seen the Sonicar yet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're coming. They're coming. Uh, so we got to see things through the Emperor's eyes. We're gonna jump into Fade's point of view real quick, and let's see how he's feeling about this fight, Mike. Ooh. Because uh, he. Uh, picks up and uh the blade and he eyes paul and uh i get the feeling that he doesn't actually think this is an atreides really i'm yeah well um he uh you think he's doing that like uh sarcastically okay yeah because he calls him like the yokel adventurer Mm -hmm. always a yokel right which is like being like i think he's just calling him like a baby 
Uh, he's definitely calling him like country bumpkin kind of deal. Just like, oh, is that where you get? That's the impression I'm getting. Is like you're not a refined city, but like you know you're a fremen. You're these out barbarians on the edge. Oh. I, that's what I was inferring. Lo- yokel as what were you kind of inferring? Oh, I guess I was thinking more in terms of like an egg yolk kind of thing, where like you're just like uh, like a little fledgling. Okay, okay, I love that. That is super literal. Like, I mean, I guess I I didn't really think about the meaning of yokel besides that. Like, that's just how I. Interpreted what that you word, in. but uh, you're totally right. It might just mean something else that I'm a. Uh, I've always think that it's like yeah, a uh, kind of antiquated uh, farming kind of term. Like oh. that would be like a yokel um, up there. That's that's oh, yeah, that is a weird word. <laughs> it doesn't come up in the vernacular. Often, you want to look right? that up real quick? I think that's sure, worth checking sure. out. I really hope it's Yiddish. <laughs> uh, yokel, an uneducated or unsophisticated person from the countryside. Oh, you, you nailed it. Similar to bumpkin. <laughs> <laughs> You nailed it. Um, so, yeah, you say, like, you've gone native. Yeah. Yeah, well, oh, I'm ter- interpreting it like you've all, like, you always were. I'm kind of, but, like, maybe that is it. Like, you've gone sort of like how um they both look down on kinds and yeah, stuff. Like, Every time he said my people, like, this man's gone native. Yeah, Lato. Yeah, 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 you might be dead on. Lato saying that. Yeah. Uh, I was just sort of entertaining the idea of, like, what if this guy totally buys into, like, I don't believe this is Paul Atreides, but I'll fight this upstart, this claimer, just to get him out of the way. And then maybe that's why I don't even feel extra bad about doing this or maybe. something. I don't think that's the case, though. I don't. No, no. I think it is sort of like the country bumpkin just being outside of the Imperium and mm. that being a um, uh, a negative on you or right, something right, right. to look down upon. I, I Yeah, I think that's totally there. But, uh... And he says... uh. Let's see if you're proof against this po- uh, poison. Is what uh, Fade thinks to himself. I'm like, like oh. uh, did you just did, did you just let him know that? Yeah, <laughs> and I'm like, Excuse me? we know already. Paul is immune to most poisons, which I didn't even think I put that on the advantage list, Mike. Um, that he could just neutralize poisons on a whim. Oh yeah, he, that's right. He has Reverend Mother powers too. <laughs> uh, Reverend Papa. Yeah, uh, Papa Reverend. So then we get the line. Uh, and this is great. He goes, this is the climax, Paul thought. From here, the future will open. The clouds part unto a kind of glory. And if I die here, they'll say I sacrificed myself, that my spirit might lead them. And if I live, they'll say nothing can oppose Moadib. This is the damned if I do, damned if I don't moment. Yeah. And he realizes he already passed it. It's yeah. too late. Yeah, stepping, just accepting Canley. Yeah, like he, he took a whiff. Of, or a sample of the uh, spice winds. Thank you. Uh, I didn't, I didn't like where you're going with the whiff there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, realized that, like, oh, shoot, like, nothing, everything closed off. What's going on? Mm-hmm. Like, the jihad's going to happen. And then this is his realization oh, no. Yeah. There's no, like, nothing more I can do. And I, I don't know. It's like, there's no remorse, though, either in him, is there? No. He just says, like, this is the end. This is the climax. But doesn't do anything, no corrective action, nope. no nothing. Doesn't even feel sorry for it. I, I don't know what to make of that fully. And um, He's just very matter-of-fact. I think maybe that's part of the Kwisachadarak. Like, emotion is not a normal thing that you really get to have all that often. Yeah. And when you do, you fuck it up. True. <laughs> very true. Very true. And uh, the way this fight starts is interesting, too, where we've been highlighting very much this... Uh, separation of who they both represent fremen and the imperium fade starts it in the imperium way of, uh oh, yeah. do you have the line that he actually says i can't remember i knew i know what paul says for it um but he sort of just like challenges the atreides 
Yeah, he says, like, is the Atreides ready, Fader Arthacon, using the words of the ancient Conley ritual. Conley. And then Paul says, may your blade chip and shatter. All right. Hell yeah, that's the more badass one. It points the Emperor's blade on the floor, indicating that Fader Arthacon should advance and take it. And pick it up. Yeah, it's giving, like, now it's yeah. time. And he does. And I think that's that's important. That's interesting. And that's Paul, again, doubling back to be Moadib now. Yep. No longer part of the Imperium. Gonna go with this rule Even set. Even though you, you know, you... Took on this challenge as a duke. Yeah. And, kind of a... Well, um, and so maybe if I want to play devil's advocate just that, because I tricked you into back into that corner, Mike, <laughs> this is also uh, similar to what we just did with the Stilgar and all the Fremen. Mm-hmm. We took their things and we broke it a little bit to fit it into the Imperium. We're taking the Imperium a little bit and we're breaking it to fit it into the CH. Okay. We are merging these two. Because right, they are right. no longer going to be separate. They're going to be indistinguishable from one another from henceforth. So this is how we're going to get like a Tradian Fremen. This is how we get something I would call like a, an Arrakis awakening. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you want to awaken Arrakis? I can help you oh. awaken Arrakis. <laughs> like that these, one these up. These Hadarak pills will get you awake in no time. <laughs> Pop right up. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's really what's happening here. It's like we're we're paving over everything. And it's going to be a religious government now. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, the Messiah is on the throne. Like, yeah, yeah you, you can't split those ones either, right? Um, so we get to switch into sort of Fade's point of view at this point, right? Mm-hmm. We're going to move up. And uh, he picks up the blade and he eyes Paul. And this is where I get the kind of feeling of like a question if he knows he is in Atreides or not. With just the language that's like couched in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, where do, do you actually have his first line where he says like Outworlder or I think it's like Offworld Adventurer? Oh, God. No, I don't have that. If ready. not, like, um, just yokel. So, Fedoratha picks up the knife. He can see a way to power opening before him because the Emperor surely would reward whoever kills this troublesome Duke. So he does He does register that he is the Duke. Okay, yeah, yeah. He's, okay, so maybe he's leaning into uh, where... Because yeah. the Emperor did call... You said I was? But then he also sort of double backs. The reward might even be that haughty daughter and a share of the throne. That haughty daughter? Who's he talking about? Irulan. Irlan, oh. Yeah, yeah, the kind of uptight, rigid, oh. haughty. I forgot Irlan was here. Yeah. <laughs> we were just so obsessed with the She was the one who said, purpose. father. That's right, that's right, that's She's right. She's really the one who wants to get this done. <laughs> First of all, he would not do that. <laughs> I think this is just Fade uh, thinking uh, very optimistically. He would not do what? Shadon wouldn't be like, sure, you can marry my daughter. Ooh. I don't think he would ever do no, that. Okay. I think he would. He would reward him. No, no, no. I think he would, but because in that scenario, Shaddam is still emperor. Oh. Paul's the only one who's making him step down. Fade would not be making him step down. Fade would just want to get into the Carino line. Fair. And ingratiate himself, you know, even okay. closer. So I, I think that is exactly what he sees. Maybe you're right. That's a good point. So that's that's a cool little alternate history there, but uh, I I think you are kind of dead on where you're like he's assessing this correctly of like that that Duke calling yeah. him Duke does sort of like call it out, uh, and then he's just sort of emphasizing this yokel of just being like you're you are Fremen, you've gone native, mm-hmm. like you know you're one of these people, you're not a citizen of the Imperium when, or even a peer of like the Empire. When I first read the yokel part, I thought it referred to an egg and like an egg yolk and be like, <laughs> you know like a little baby, like you ain't worth nothing. I, <laughs> I wonder if that's like buried in the etymology of the word. Like, yo, it has to have something to be simple, but it is also like farming too. Well, like, yeah, like a yeah, yolk yeah. for an ox or something. Ooh, shit. I forgot that was called a yolk. Yeah. 
Yeah. Why is that called a yoke? That's the, <laughs> that's the weirder one. I think there's too many uses of the word yoke. <laughs> you country guys. It is a fun word to say, though. I, I get it, I guess. I get it. But weird that the egg and the tool for ox. Is... <laughs> I won't go. I won't yep. go down. Um, so let's go with uh, Fade, because we still get mm. this kind of point of view here. And he's got one other thing he's banking on, because he's hefting this blade in his hand. He's like, yeah. there's poison on this blade. Let's see if you're immune to poison. And I wish I could just lean in to be like, he is. He is, buddy. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Wipe that off real quick and you, before you embarrass yourself. Yeah. Someone else is coughing, not Lady Jessica. <laughs> guy, guy selling. Yeah. Um, <laughs> All the Benny Jess are just like low-key playing the meta. It's so, it's so absurd, this whole fight. Uh, everyone's good set up. Now, Paul... He uh he greets Fade as cousin to this fight too. Yeah. Stepping cousin, which I think goes right over Fade's head. And right over Gurney's head too. Oh, good catch. Yeah. Guy guys Helen hears it. Jessica hears it. Uh Irulan probably hears it. All the Bene Gesserit oh, yeah. in the room. Right, right. Well just she cued in to the uh when Paul addressed the Emperor with all the event, um what was it like disdain he could possibly mm-hmm. put into the word and she's like, Ooh, this guy's got the voice. I don't. I don't know if he uh, said it with the same disdain or anything. I think Frank no, no, he that. wouldn't. But she would just uh, pick up on language use. I, I just is think, my uh, inference. I do think that guys Hallamheim and Lady Jessica, they would be like, oh, he's being literal. He's cute in, yeah. yeah, yeah. Especially, yeah. You think Grandma and Mom are gonna yeah. <laughs> the family? <laughs> We're all here. <laughs> really, every surviving member of the family is present. I guess you're right. right? Well, no, no, Baby Aaliyah's out killing people. Ah, oh, you're right, you're right, right. Baby Aaliyah, she marking little. Lex is on Gets them. every time. That was for water. <laughs> She's our designated survivor in case anything happens here. Yeah. Um, but Paul greets him as cousin, and he's cat-footed forward. Do you know the cat-footed stance? No. Is it just like on the the ball of your, uh, not ball of your, uh, what do you even call that? Like when you. Yeah, uh, ball, ball of your foot. Ball of your foot. Yeah, so your back leg, you're putting all your weight on your back leg. Your front leg is forward. And then you're on your heel. I think that's what you're looking oh, for. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, the point of it is that if your forward leg gets swiped by like a leg swipe, your weight isn't onto it. So it won't unbalance you ah, and you can recover better. I learned something new. Yeah. And oh, so granted, that was just from one martial arts style. I assume it is fairly a generic pose. And that seemed to describe exactly what was happening here. Sure, yeah. Because now I can totally see what, you crouch down, you lean forward a little, like you're a cat ready to pounce. Mm-hmm. And you have that one leg and then he's sort of like dancing around. And I you're th- like, that leg is almost bait. I right? think in most like uh, instances of martial arts, even probably sword play, like you don't want to put all your weight on any one leg or foot at a time well you are putting your most on your back way i mean yeah most but not all of it yeah that's yeah, the yeah, point yeah, yeah that that seems to be true otherwise you'd be standing on one leg <laughs> you totally it's ruined like, the game no, you know you just look ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> but gurney is there i taught you better than this yeah, come on look there's a door behind you and everything and uh fade route the he's just gonna talk a lot of shit for the next couple paragraphs Honestly, it's not worth um, getting into. Yeah, at all. Because they circle in silence, talk shit, circle in silence, talk shit. Yeah, well, and it's just that fade, he doesn't build up. Like, Paul's silence does more, and we're going to interpret more from than what fade says. Like, I just hate that fade's not even playing like a bigger game here. He's just like slowly. He doesn't know what he's fighting against, though. Yeah, yeah, because he's at a disadvantage. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I agree. But he just says how beautifully you dance. 
Paul's going to make this note of he's a talker. That's the only reason I want to kind of bring that one up. Another weakness. He grows uneasy in the face of silence. And I do appreciate that. I'm like, all right. So then Paul's like, I can use this as a weapon. This is like, this I will count, Paul. Like, this is, we're back to being fun again. Yeah. Mentat uh, mode. Engage. Exactly. And that makes it engage or uh, intriguing when he chooses to be silent as a weapon. And I like uh, when he finally uh, decides to speak. He uses really interesting language we'll get to. But before, we have to look around the room. Because Gaius Helmahayim is trembling now. Yeah. Because now the fight's on. kicking in. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm seeing the half face, Mike. <laughs> and um, the cousin word made her focus on the potential loss of her entire breeding scheme. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is also... Because you know the entire uh, sisterhood's going to look at her and be like, what did you do? <laughs> oh, well, on top of that, you realize regardless if the breeding scheme is ruined here today, it's also been exposed to everyone. So this is like a twofold problem. Yeah. It's even going to be worse if everyone knows and we fucked up. Yeah, yeah. Um, she samples the prescience, which I loved. I pushed back on this Ooh. a little bit, but it said on her prescience, something of what Paul had seen here. And that is interesting, where I wonder if it's dependent on that clause in some manner for what Paul had seen. Mm -hmm. Well, because he was the one at the nexus, because he made that choice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Now that it's made, it's like, there's nothing you have to worry about. It's not like there's any possibilities muddling in the water. We know the line. There's only one path. I just mean, but from her point of view, that it is like, she can't see as clear as Paul sees. And it's just interesting that I'm wondering if it's sort of like how Cheney sees through Paul. By proximity of if like because Paul looked down there, that's the only reason. I think she can you're see. right. Yeah, I think definitely. Like almost reverberations, like a ripples in a pond. I think maybe Cheney's got a little bit of something going for her too. Well, you know that she was. Well, at least um, the encyclopedia. Yeah. I told you she was on the track. They right, right, they, right. they told us she was on that religious track. So uh, especially with guys Helmaheim being related by blood, I think there's even more of. Uh, uh, precedence for her to have this ability to like a uh, simpatico yeah the same way that uh Aaliyah was able to sort of get in her head a little bit yeah 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 exactly yeah i think not exactly not, but, not, like, yeah. no, i, I, like, like, I got to not exactly but like but yes the same basic idea yeah yeah we're seeing shades of gray here um and while we were focusing on that, Faye leaps forward with the old knife switch. <laughs> I've seen it before, though. Yeah, no, Paul plays this back in his mind, and he just steps to the side. <laughs> he easily <laughs> avoids it. Uh, and then he notes there's a slight shield hesitation in Fade. Because he's just used to fighting with shields. Right, but also, I lo- it couches a little bit, like, but also not. Because it's a little faster. Because he also fights without shields. Right. And then I'm like, so he's what like, are we saying, Frank? Is like, he faking it or is he just like he's, you know, he's still learning? He could be better. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I took it as the um, a mirroring of the conversation, I think, during the dinner where Jessica talks about how any training puts a stamp on it. Mm. That you can recognize and see patterns. Oh, and, that's a good poll. And you can't uh, pat, plans within plans, like patterns within <laughs> patterns. So it isn't everybody. It was. It's on the Mentats. It's on the Bene Gesserit. It's on the Swordmasters of Ganaz. Right, right, right. It's on this little Baron gladiatorial fighter, or um, uh, Harkonnen gladiatorial. Fighter. Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, yeah. Huh? he is a Baron though. The not Baron. Not anymore. I don't Who, think who's Baron, Mike. Does he have the signet ring? 
Uh, I mean, he doesn't. He was already. No, it's he, not a fat man in a room somewhere. <laughs> he's not. He's not Paul, there yet. No, no, because Paul had to prove he's an Atreides. That's yeah. why Paul needs the signet ring. Right, right, right. He was already not Baron, which means you're next in line. Line's been cleared. <laughs> he's Baron. Right. I think Gurney even said it at like one point. Like that's the new Baron because <laughs> we killed him. But Paul now he. Um, oh, actually, I'm sorry. I wanted to dip into this quote here because. Idaho's words came back to him. Ooh. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, and I think that's who, or no, we had a, Idaho's fighting style was what he used with Gurney that he remarked right. on. Um, and think, how did he put those, or Thufir did. I'm like, those are moves I didn't teach you. Uh, and no, we, that was Gurney. That was Gurney. That was yeah. Gurney, yeah. It was after Thufir left. Yeah. That, oh, that little cat, he's so hard to follow. <laughs> and then the drunk dog came in. <laughs> Gurney in that room. Um Idaho's words came back to him. The words of training from long ago practice floor on Caladan. Ah, in that room. We spent many a chapter in that room. Uh, Use the first moments in study. You may miss an opportunity for quick victory this way, but the moments of study are insurance of success. Take your time and be sure. Ooh. I love that advice. That's really wise. Especially just like, yeah, you might miss a quick victory. Like, you could end this right now. But I'm going to make sure you win like 90% of the time, not 50% of the time. Mm-hmm. Take your time. Be careful. That's just great advice. And with those words echoing through, Paul's ready to fight. He's about to step in, but he stops. He realizes something. The right hip is presented as though it protects Fade's entire side. Mm-hmm. This man is entirely too confident for facing... The man who just toppled an empire and right, has right, beaten right. Sadokar back this He's day. He's got a trick up his sleeve, and it's right there. It's, it's too cunning. It's a flip dart, cunningly hidden on that right side, he thinks. He starts circling again. So I love it. He's like, I back off. I take mm-hmm. Idaho's words. I keep silent. There's unease and Fade's voice at the uh, continued silence. It's starting to betray him. Fade leaps again, and this time he gets a scratch down Paul's left arm. A Jameis, he is not. He makes his man bleed. Yeah. And uh, I love what he tells Paul. Where he's like, Thufir taught me that one. Thufir gave me first blood this day. And they're like, oh, oh, that's good. Because that also means that Paul slipped. Paul's been slacking on something. Because yeah. Paul, Paul also was taught by Thufir. So yeah. it's not that like Thufir all of a sudden made a perfect See, warrior. Yeah, no, I was I was telling you that like, uh, like just because he learned the firm thing doesn't mean he's better. No, 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 not at all. Uh, what do you think it is that uh, let's fade get that cut in? Because I mean, mm. you have to admit that he he is physically superior to fade, right? In like every way. Um, no, I wouldn't say that actually. Okay, I, I know you really want to say like the deck is stacked against him no, in every no, way. No, no, but I, it's not. This is a close fight. I'm willing to back away from that even a little bit. But like looking at the fight of him versus Jameis before, I think this the fact co- that he's just like there's too much going on. And he's trying to figure out what it all is, and you'd think his mentat training would allow him to do that. But it's that moment of hesitation that allows Fade to sort of like rush in because mm-hmm. he's not sure. He sort of chokes, to be honest. I, I can do that. Yeah, yeah. If you want to, like, kind of take it that way. Uh, yeah, or I, I kind of want to lean on that blank spot in the neck. Like, we've removed the prescience from him. Maybe that's sort of what it is for me. Maybe. Of just, like... Do you think he's been too reliant on it? That's sort like, almost crutch-like? I'm not sure. I'm not sure how I... Wasn't he told not to use it as a crutch? 
And he slowly didn't, but like, uh, it's more the blindness. I don't, that's why I don't really want to say crutch, but like, it's different than any time before. Right. And it's something new to him. It's a novel experience. Uh, And maybe that just being in something novel for once is lets us happen. He gets first blood and he's very, very happy about it. Oh, he's so happy. Uh, And then Paul recalled another Idaho word. Expect only what happens in the fight. That way you'll never be surprised. I love that too. Mm-hmm. I'm like, cool. Put everything out of your mind. That's almost mentat like like approaching a problem. Right, right, right. Throw it, let only the problem come at you. Just go with it and react to it. And oh, over is just like, man, he's he's looking pretty happy for just getting a scratch. Big smile on that <laughs> face, right? And so he's like, I'm gonna go check for poison real quick. <laughs> Cause again, I'm a reverend mother. I can pause time at will essentially and go through my blood chemistry. And there it is, Mike. I found a soporific in my blood. Oh. And this is a drug or agent that induces sleep. Ooh. Yeah. Just enough to slow him a little bit, not enough to be noticed, though. Well, let's see. I, uh, in our world, like a full yeah, effect. Yeah, like, yeah. It, if you were on a full dose, it would put you to bed. But yeah, right, so right, like right. just enough within him to like slow him down a little. And Faith leaps again. And I love this. Paul feigns slowness of the drug. I mean, like, right. I'll, I'll play into your game. And so he's intentionally slowing it down. And, uh, uh, this is great, where he says, uh, so Paul is able to slice him good, right? Yeah. And he says, let him know his own moment of doubt, Paul thought. <laughs> let him suspect poison. And then... This is very much like a, a footballer kind of moment. Oh, can I say, you know how in the board game, uh, in the Dune board game, there's a rule where if you play the, uh, you have the betrayer in battle, you have to yell treachery. Yeah. This is where it comes from. Ah, treachery. Treachery. Because <laughs> like, I, I imagine Fade rather like almost dropping the knife, like hands in the air. Treachery. <laughs> like it's a red flag <laughs> on the field. Like <laughs> I'm just thinking like a, uh, like a UK football game. Where uh, like they take spills all the time and like really ham up their injuries. Oh yeah, we're like yeah. you limp it. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, really? Like no one even touched you. You just fell. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like the ball rolled by you. <laughs> oh, my leg shattered. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very much hamming it up. Yeah, like, yeah. Dead arm, That's like at the side. Like oh, oh, he poisoned me. Because <laughs> you're like, I do feel poison in my arm. This is the line uh, I referred to where, like, when Paul chooses to speak, it says, Paul dropped his cloak of silence. Oh. Loved it. The cloak of silence is off. Only a little acid to counter the soporific on the emperor's blade. A lot packed into that sentence right there. Because I'm like, pointing I, fingers everywhere. Like, I know all of your games. You can't trick me. And I love that fade. He turns, smile back on his face. He gives him a mock salute with rage-filled eyes. Like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> and it's like, I, I feel like it's like a, a little joyful respect. Like, well, we know that Fade really enjoys the, like, actual fights to the death. And, well, and I think he enjoys the intrigue. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like, the actual competitiveness of it. Like, ooh, yeah, because he did get a little satisfaction from that gladiator fight. Yeah. Yeah, when he... He wanted it to be set up that mm-hmm. way. He saw that there's greater rewards the more you risk. Mm-hmm. I like it. Now, uh, I love, so they start just like clashing again, right? And we yeah. end up, it's like slash, slash, slash. And like the next thing you know, we are close pressed against each other. Both their um, knife hands are like gripping each other. And it's just like blades crossed face to face looking through them. You know, so cliche in every movie. Yeah. And uh, with the 
uh, cautious of the flip tip on the right because remember we identified that in the belt, yep, yep, which yep. isn't really there. Um, <gasps> the plan within plans. Paul decides to turn the other way, only to find a needle point flicks out there. Which I'm like, granted, he actually might have had two. Yeah, that does seem totally plausible True. as well. Um, well, you never know which knife the. Or which, which one has the poison? Yeah. yeah, yeah. One could just be a normal throwing needle. <laughs> so they're probably all poisoned today. And uh, Paul has to use like all of his Benny Gesserit training to just avoid this needle, right? It's like all mm. prana bindu. And in doing so, he gives up his footing. He loses his balance. Right, right, right. He catches but he's him like, off guard. You didn't see that, did you, Paul? Yeah. And again, he probably is having the same sick satisfaction that fate is. Maybe. I think, again, Paul kind of likes this bit it doesn't mention it though it doesn't no no i'm speculating i'm okay. just like do you think he would enjoy being blind to like you finally get surprised it's been mm. a while for paul if it wasn't for such a pivotal moment probably yes <laughs> harlequin abandoned mike i think right now it's just terrible purposes it possessed him it's like i'm going for paul you sit down i got this <laughs> a little rumble <laughs> give me the gloves paul <laughs> hold my beer <laughs> and uh, like I said, Paul ends up hard on the floor and fade on top of him because it gets really erotic. <laughs> and <laughs> we'll get, we'll, they're wearing their diapers. Just imagine. So yeah, they're both in just trunks. He's in a girdle with a male core. A needle is sticking out on the left side and he is determined to kill Paul with the needle. So he's on top of him. <laughs> the knife are done. And he's, like, he's thrusting his hip into this boy trying to hit him with his hip. <laughs> How can that look like anything else That's than just fair. like That's a fair. rumble? Um, and just like, maybe we're going to have two uncles after today. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the battle ends in the weirdest way possible for me. Like, uh, No, I think, you think it's weird? I think it's weird. I think it's like, ultimately, you're right. The deck was stacked against fade from the get-go. And this is the reason why. But I wouldn't say it's weird. I, I think it's just kind of a, a poetic it has has very symbolic meaning to it, but mm -hmm. it, I think it's that we wanted. Paul goes through such emphasis to be like, I want this to be a fair fight. I want to meet him and just match man to man. We fight man to man. We're going. We're on the ground. We have this poison needle. Paul strained, hearing the silent screams in his mind. His cell stamped ancestor demanding that he use a secret word to slow Fade Rautha to save himself. I will not say it. Paul gasped. Fade Ralpha gaped at him, caught in the merest fraction of hesitation. And that's just like, I want to just pause there. Like, like, you Paul, might as well have just said it, because like, you're getting the same result no matter what. Right. And it's just like, it's such like a happenstance. It's so weird and out of the blue. Paul didn't plan for it. It's not part of his move. He's just really annoyed at all the voices in his head. He tells them to shut the fuck up. This guy's like, are you talking to me? Stab. <laughs> yeah, and then he shanks him as fast as he can with his lightning Quisatotarox. They're just like, man, I did that by myself. <laughs> and like, yeah, I just, that's why I find it weird that it's like, it's the but, terrible purpose procking up, interrupting the fight, but and that's the, what wins the in fight. In the same way, it's, uh, it's representative of the entire idea that like, it doesn't matter like if you die or live, the same thing's going to happen no matter what. Damned if you do, damned if you don't, you're getting the same result. I don't think the, uh, how is that the same either way? Like, this is making him live, though. This isn't even entertaining the idea that he would die. No, just the fact that, like, even... I think, I guess for me, it's, like, beyond even the... Even the idea that he didn't, ha like, have to say the word, the fact that he reacted, like, I'm not going to say that, 
was just as good as saying the word. Okay, that 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 I take is like a good fate. Right. Uh, he couldn't, and not the only way he could have avoided that if he just kept his mouth shut. And I wonder, <laughs> like, what, what it, yeah, yeah, yeah. But okay, we'd have had but a the, martyr. It was just the way you said it at first of being like, if Paul lived or died. I feel like the live or die for him is already established. He is going to live, and that oh, was like, just—it's uh, faded. That, I was drawing a parallel to the beginning. Yeah. Okay. Of like those choices. Yeah. 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 And I like that. Yeah, he had no choice but to make fade freeze. Interesting. That that I'll kind of take. So like, no matter what, Paul needed the advantage i guess in the end it's not that he needed it he just always had it it was always going to happen <laughs> like that's even more fucked up right yeah oh the human race consciousness said fuck you fade fuck you <laughs> you're done son you're purged it was enough for paul to find the weakness of balance and in one of uh, his opponent's leg muscles and their position was reversed Fade Ralpha lay partly underneath him with a uh, right hip high, unable to turn because the tiny needle point caught against the floor beneath him. It's his own undoing. And again, these guys writhing. It's just like their hips like, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> it must look so funny to anyone on the outside. Paul twisted his left hand free, aided by the lubrication of blood on his arm, thrust once hard up underneath Fade Ralpha's jaw. The point slid home into the brain. Fade Rautha jerked and sagged back, still held partly to his side by the needle embedded in the floor. <laughs> a strong-ass needle. <laughs> and I love it. So now, Paul, knife in Fade Rautha. Yeah. Does he leave it in? Does he pull it out? I don't even know. But he looks up slowly at the emperor, just bringing his eyes up the room is dramatic again. You can imagine that blood still dripping down his oh, arm. It yeah, must yeah. be all red. And he really makes the most of this scene. And he tells him, your force is reduced by one. Shaddam looks over. Shall we now shed sham and pretense? Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, oh. <laughs> Yeesh. Uh, I just kind of pulled my collar there. And uh, Shaddam, he looks at Count Fenring. With just a glance, he gets the message. That's classic Frank right there. Oh, yeah. That's like meme-worthy Frank. With a knowing glance. Yep. Kill this upstart. And it tells you, this is what I said. <laughs> I'm like, God, man. <laughs> Essentially, kill this upstart for me. He's tired. You got this. Then, one of my favorite moments, Mike, the Count focused on Paul. Seeing with eyes his lady Margot had tri- Oh, I'm sorry. We said Margot. Is Margot. It? Margot. Let me, let me double back. The Count focused on Paul, seeing with eyes his Lady Margot had trained in the Bene Gesserit way, aware of the mystery and hidden grandeur about this Atreides youth. I could kill him, Fenring thought, and he knew this for a truth. Do you think there's a little bit of truth sense there? Um, yeah, it's like that. Hard or, to say. It's that ambiguous. or prescience? Yeah, yeah, with him for sure. Hey, hey Derek, Sparks. They definitely, every time, yeah. every time. I love this character. So I, I don't want to know is what I'm going to say. I, I just love him exactly how he is. Yeah. I, I don't want more, really, than what I get in a way. I kind of, this is perfect. And uh, it just tells us that something deep in Fenring stays his hand. That's got to be terrible purpose. Mm-hmm. That's You can't really hear me, but don't raise that blade. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, he also briefly and inadequately saw his advantage. He is invisible to prescience. Yeah. That's fucking wild, Mike. Frank is not going to play with that idea for a little bit. 
of just like, why is this man invisible to prescience? Paul, because uh, we already touched on, right? When he saw that face, he'd right. never seen it before. He'd seen all these other right, things. Right. Um, and then Fenring, I love this. We're like, this, I don't think we give nearly enough time. But like the superpower he has, Mike, mm-hmm. motives no eye could penetrate. That's Fenring's power. No one could possibly know his motives ever. Even the prescient uh, emperor of the universe at this point. Gaius Helmahayim can't do it either. He's like unique in that capacity. And I think it's really great for an assassin. Oh, God, yeah. For the that's emperor. That's why he's good at his job. That's why he's the best at his job. Now, Paul, on the other hand, we kind of get his thing. He's looking at this man, and he sees a potential Kwisatch Haderach, right? Yeah. This was the I one. Mean, there, there's almost like a form of, like, uh, brotherhood between them. That, They're the only two of their kind right now. There is. It says Paul feels compassion and uh, a sense of brotherhood for the first time. That is key. That supersedes Gurney. Yeah. Like, that was the closest friendship that he had. We've exceeded that now. We're saying this is brotherhood for the first time. This is the person he feels closer to than any other uh, companion outside Mm -hmm. of Cheney. And it's just in a moment with a glance. And by by, because he feels that, though, Fenring sees and reads that emotion on Paul. And yeah, he feels it, too. Yes. And I think that's what does it for Fenring. Yeah. That's why he refuses the order. Like, we just had an entire silent conversation between the Emperor and Fenring and Fenring and Paul and Paul back to Fenring. Fenring's like, I'm good. I just, I don't even, does he even say anything? No, he does. Majesty, I must refuse. Thank you. Uh, and then rage overcame Shaddam the Fourth. He took two short steps through the entourage, cuffed Fenring viciously across the jaw. Cuffed is, I, that, so much better than a slap. That word carries mm-hmm. so much uh, more might to it. A dark flush spread uh, um, up and over the Count's face. He looked directly at the Emperor, spoke with deliberate lack of emphasis. We have been friends, Majesty. What I do now is out of friendship. I shall forget that you struck me. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I shall forget that you struck me. I, I see why we grant him the title Master of Assassins. This guy is scary. Yeah, yeah, that's terrifying. And like, how embarrassing for the Emperor. In front of... <laughs> he says that in front of everyone. Guys, Helen, two guild operators, some Fremen, uh, Irulan, Jessica, Gurney, Fade Routha. No, I'm sorry, Fade's dead. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, you know what we do next? <clears throat> Paul clears his throat. <laughs> we're, we're speaking with the throne, my throne. My throne? You'll have a throne, is what Paul responds. Mm. On Salusa Secundus, you can have a throne. And uh, it should be abundantly clear now that Duke Paul was a sham. Emperor Moadib is the only one who matters here. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. Yeah. And the emperor is going to be sentenced to Seleucus Secundus, and Moadib will make it a garden world for you. I will provide every amenity you could need. You'll never have to worry about anything. This is for you. Yeah. Oh, my. I mean, I'm imagining, uh, you know, we can make rainbows man-made. <laughs> I believe it. Yeah. I'm imagining it's mandatory rainbows every morning. <laughs> like, rainbows. that's just all there is when you wake up is rainbows and sunshine. <laughs> that's what we Try to ima- imagine a planet full of uh, Sardaukar being like, 
Okay. <laughs> just, Rainbows. <laughs> it's just like they're bunny. There's all these cute shit we keep importing. <laughs> like, you, you're gonna go soft, Mike. You're gonna go soft. Um, Arrakis will also see flowing water, but there will always be desert trials to toughen a person. God created Arrakis to train the faithful. Ooh. Yeah. But we're getting so many uh, epigraphs here. Things that Irlan has wrote about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, uh, I mean, yeah. If Count Hasmir Fenring only uh, refused uh, the emperor once. Isn't that great? It's right here. Isn't that an awesome to have that lead up to this, yeah. though? I'm really glad they did that one more than I think any other bit. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that needed a little exposition to get us here. I'm glad we got it, too. Mm-hmm. And and then you wouldn't realize until after, like, oh, that was this it, moment. Yeah, it's not what I expected, either. Yeah, right? Yeah. Isn't it gr- it's, it's so well done. And um, with this, too, even Gaius Helamahayim had glimpsed the jihad there mm-hmm. uh, while she's standing behind, beside the emperor. And we get this great exchange where... Uh, Paul is talking about the planet. He says, you will think back to the gentle ways of the Sadokar. Because it's like the Fremen Jihad rolling over. Like, yeah, you'll you'll wish there were Sadokar in every world, right? You cannot, she whispered. Paul says, you're a truth-sayer. Review your words. Oh. Love that. To be like, oh, you don't think the Jihad's happening? Look at what you said. Tell me you sense a lie in it. Mm -hmm. It's happening, lady. And uh, he glanced at the Princess Royal. Back to the Emperor. Best be done quickly, Majesty. Ooh, I still throws Majesty in. Irulan's totally on board. Guys, Helmahayam, not so much. The Emperor straightened, standing swiftly with a look of remembered dignity. Who will negotiate for you, kinsman? He asked. <laughs> kinsman. <laughs> I'm like, man, you know what, though? Of, like, remembered dignity... Because remember, his sleeve is torn off. Yeah, his yeah, hat's yeah. gone. He's pretty disheveled. To be He's like, going to go out at least in a dignified with manner. It, with his chin held high. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I, I respect him for that. And like, that's why I I like him as emperor. It's like, what? I mean, uh, for Howlett, plan failed. Fadoratha, plan failed. Fenring, didn't think that was going to fail, but that one failed. That, one failed. that was, it was a real long <laughs> shot in my yeah. book, but... Yeah, and I think it's just enough to be like the game's over. Okay, yeah. and he, but he's like he's smart enough to be like I'm. I want to live to play it again. Yeah, right. I'm not gonna step in the ring, like, but I'm. I will be back. Uh, so I'll take my leave, I guess. And uh, Cheney basically is like, oh, should I go then? <laughs> Which is like, God damn it, Cheney. <laughs> Welcome to my world, Mike. Paul, well, it's, not, it's not like Cheney. Why are you speaking? It's more like Cheney. Like you're getting the shortest end of the stick here. Yeah, no, it's very much Frank speaking through Janie that yeah. I tried. Yeah, that's, I, I, there's a cheap part of her character in this one uh, where it should be more. There should be something no, else. I, no, I, don't, I wouldn't say that. I feel like I feel for Shaney. I, I wouldn't say it's shallow at all in this chapter. You f- say what? She has lost so much, and she knows that she's losing more. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel bad. But, yeah, but she just keeps trying to walk away from Paul to be like, yo, you need more space, she's I emotional. guess, to take thing. Like, she wants to get away. Yeah. Very much so, but I'm just like, I think it needs to be a little more, like, uh, static there in her stance of, like, you know Paul isn't going to leave you, though. He's told you, like, twice now. Do you and think she, she really believes that? I don't know. If, I mean, if she does, I I don't know. I don't think she does at this point. You think, yeah, she still thinks, like, he wants this? Yeah. But then what does that mean for their relationship if she thinks... That's her, the point. She doesn't know. She thinks that it's over. There's There's no need for her anymore. That's what she's thinking. Mm-hmm. So it just hurts more to be here. Okay. 
I, I can take like, that. I wouldn't say there's anything shallow about that at all. No, no. I It's that I want... Uh, okay, yeah, because you're reading so much into the emotional aspect of it. I, I don't get the sense of that from her, though, from the rest of it. And I really do take it more of, like, the author decides... It's kind of setting this character aside. Uh, and the, I just don't feel like the emotional part is well developed in the conversation, I guess. Paul hearing I, the secret tears in her voice touched her cheek. I think it's definitely there. Right, but that's just her being like, because I, I want to leave and go. But it's like, I just don't get why she doesn't believe Paul telling her. That's what I would think she would believe. And that I don't, I don't follow you on no. that part for it. Losing the kid makes you do stupid things. For sure. Sometimes you take you a knife fight Harle- that starts a jihad. Yeah, you know? yeah, no, Harlequin abandoned. But I, I think you are right with like the secret tears aspect of it. I just don't feel like it's enough in there. You just that think I, it was maybe I don't buy a poorly it. in that aspect? Yeah, yeah. Or that I, I don't know what else I would want for I can't put my finger on it almost. Like it's an intangible for me. There's not enough detail maybe added to her uh, dialogue. Mm-hmm. And I think part of it, you dragged me so much down with Shaney in the middle of the book. We're like, sorry, sorry. No, no, it's okay. <laughs> I want to hold her under the sand, Mike, and I'm not, I'm not coming back up with you. I agree. She's a hollow. She's a paper cannon. She's got nothing. But uh, no, I think this last chapter, you definitely you feel for her above everything else. I think you coming feel the same. coming into the room after if, taking that moment to be like, I need to be alone. I think you feel the same way that you do as Lady Jessica because we've gotten to know Lady Jessica so well. And we do know that there is that sort of uh, that bond between mm. them where they do have such similarities. Yeah, they forged in that one chapter with Paul they unconscious. Do. So, like, I'm definitely, uh, I think maybe I'm looking at this from Lady Jessica's perspective. I think you have the more articulated point anyway. Granted, I'm backing on to intangible for mine. So, <laughs> I, I think we'll, get, we'll give you get the flag for the day on that one. <laughs> uh, but. Paul, uh, he's going to cut her off with her wanting to leave and just be like, I want you here. You're going to stay here. You're going to negotiate with Jessica, essentially, right? Because mm-hmm. I want your sharp Fremen eyes. You're so good at discerning a deal. No one negotiates tougher than a Fremen, it's said. This is also the worst part, the fact that he's going to make Cheney. Yes, this, as you've just, like, negotiate. if we're going to lean into yeah. what you just described this woman as, he's putting her in the, yeah, go uh, sign this deal for the Imperium. Hope that's okay give me, for you. Give me my new wife. <laughs> like, this is a little yep. fucked up. I mean, that's how it feels anyways. <laughs> Granted, he, this again, he's looking at this from logical mode now. I already had my emotional outburst. I'm back to, back to Kwisa Chadrach mode. No, yeah, that's a good. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's very callous. Mm-hmm. And like, just like, no, my Sihaya, I could never love it. It was like, no, you're being a dick, Paul. Yeah. Yeah, he is the whole way through. Yeah. Yep. That's why I, th- I think it's sloppy. The relationship it doesn't mesh well at the end here. No, it everything doesn't. Everything seems very sloppy well, in the that, fall. That's good, though. But I, that's I kind like of the, the idea point. that like, everything falls apart. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of what they want. Now, Jessica asks uh, what Paul wants then. If, okay, if I'm going to negotiate, you just put this up on my plate of responsibility. What am mm-hmm. I doing? And he's like, I want the Emperor's entire Chome Company holdings. All of it. Leaving him with nothing. Nothing. She's just like, what? And he's like, don't worry. We'll she, get it. Yep. I want an earldom and a chome directorship for Gurney Halleck. Earl of Gurney? No, the Earl of Caladan. No. Oh, okay. Uh, no, because you do the I'm sorry, title no, yeah, with the name. Yeah, yeah. So Earl of Gurney. We're getting an Earl of Gurney ruling class. No, no, no. It's not of. Uh, he would be Earl Gurney. Give this to me, Derek. I will. I will. I will <laughs> yield it to you. But it wasn't Earl of, or Duke of Leto. <laughs> <laughs> Nonetheless, but I, I thought you were just making the point that the earldom is separate from Caladan. Yeah. And I did want to make sure. Yeah, that is true. 
because uh, he's going to get an earldom no matter what. That's Earl Gurney going forward. Right, right. Earl of Gurney if we must. Uh, and I was thinking, uh, do you think with the Chome directorship and his smuggler connections and your best friends, the Emperor, you think it's going to be a little, little profit for Gurney? Are they really best friends? Eh, oh, I mean, as close as friend as Paul has. Fair, I guess. Right? Like it's, that's got to be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're... Um, Quisatotorak friends. Uh, it's not normal friends. They're they're gonna patch it up though. I mean, where else are they gonna go, Mike? He's he's an Atreides. He's, I guess. Where else is Gurney gonna go but an Atreides? That's fair. Um, he wants to give Gurney the fife of Caladan. He wants thief. Oh, I just did did not. Thank you, <laughs> fief Caladan. We have uh titles and attendant powers for every surviving Atreides man, not excepting the lowliest trooper. Anyone that stayed true to the Atreides this whole way through. Ooh. Make them kings. I, I think even the ones that left planet, though. You think so? Yeah, I think every, anyone that's still alive. Everyone that survived. I mean, he, I get, he's got the money. Exa- yeah, exactly. I think even the ones that got... Because I think he would obviously recognize why they left planet. Right, right, He right. couldn't even go and rally them to his banner. Like, right. you got to go somewhere. And uh, They I, did what they had to. They thought he was dead. I mean, yeah, exactly. And I think you and I, we were we were happy when Gurney told us, like, how many of them got off world. That yeah. Was, that was, like, that was a good thing. That was a relief. Um, but I love this. Titles and attendant powers. So that means, like, some of them are just going to be, like, assistant chief of staff. Well, like, the, the thing is, like, he's building his cabinet right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and you have, like... Uh, any like uh, like a flight attendant this and that are all attended to power positions, but like obviously within the government, I want to uh, well, like, go to. Here's the interesting thing: like he's sort of like fucking up the Landsrad in a way because now he's putting so many people that are loyal to him into the Landsrad. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't... he's he's not fucking up. He's just doing the same thing. Because I told you before, like when we get to Paul's empire, like he's not breaking the old empire; he's changing it slightly. It's degrees of change, mm-hmm. not whole change. What did the emperor do? He had 36% voting block of the Chome, right? And then uh, he had his allies that got him to like 40? They got him to like 56. Was it? Yeah, yeah. Was, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's all Paul's doing. That's I'm true. That's putting true. my 56% block. In okay, that's fair. That's fair. Because I'm the fucking emperor. Yeah, like, yeah. That's right. That's right. And I'm especially, I'm an even worse emperor. Because, right, like, right. yeah, there's going to be no one going <laughs> that against means he's Paul. Diluting, diluting everyone's uh, shares. Oh, he's doing the old Facebook. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then uh, we start to get weird when we get to the Fremen. She's like, Jessica, what about the Fremen? Paul says, the Fremen are mine. I thought for a second it was going to be like, what about them? <laughs> Who? Yeah. <laughs> from, uh, that's, what you're do- that's what you're doing this whole chapter, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, it's sort of the same, but like the Fremen are mine. What they receive shall be dispensed by Moadib. It will begin with Stilgar as governor of Arrakis, but that can wait. And I, I just think it's really, that's wild. Mm. They are mine. This people yeah. group. Don't worry about that. That's separate from all of this. I mean, it's just like the new Sardaukar. That's exactly yeah. what it is. That's exactly how the emperor would have looked at the Sardaukar. Again, we're not changing anything just by degrees. It's all new labels and the same old shit. Mm-hmm. Um, Jessica asked what for her. Uh, she said, perhaps Caladan. She said, looking at Gurney. I'm not certain. I've become too much of too much the Fremen and the Reverend Mother. I need a time of peace and stillness in which to think. I love that. Of like, uh, I love that that she doesn't even know if she can go back to Caladan. Like, 
Do you think she came to that decision after going to the weirding room? Exactly. Exactly. That dissonance yeah. where you're like, nothing fits into our memories anymore. Well, like, yeah, this is, it feels so foreign. It feels like a weirding room. Mm-hmm. It's not the, the garden or the or conservatory. It's the weirding room now. Yeah. Yeah. It's off. It's so uh, odd and like uh, kind of queer to her. We'll think about how many lifetimes are just like, this place is weird, man. Well, and just how many lifetimes are in her head. Those, that's what I'm talking about. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, are all reacting to that. Yeah. And that she just can't find that normalcy anymore. That doesn't have the same footing. It's all diluted in her. And um, I, Paul, though, is like, all right, Caladan's yours. And it's like, oh, well, so much for Caladan, Gurney. That really went fast. <laughs> and he doesn't get Caladan. It's, just, it's not going to happen. He literally doesn't get Caladan now. It's got to go Gurney, to Jessica. Change your mind. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what the fuck happened there? <laughs> and, um, I think uh, Jessica finally asks, uh, and what for the royal concubine? Because Cheney was never going to speak up. Right. Right. And uh, uh, I do like the fact that she's speaking up on Cheney's behalf here. He builds that camaraderie that they kind of yeah. built up. Uh, can you read out uh, what Paul does say there? And then I'll take care of uh, Jessica's last line. So Cheney whispers, no, no title for me, nothing, I beg of you. Mm-hmm. Paul stares into her eyes, remembering her suddenly as she had stood once with little Leto in her arms. Their child now dead in this violence. I swear to you now, he whispered, that you'll need no title. That woman over there will be my wife, and you but a concubine. But because this is a political thing, and we must weld peace out of this moment, enlist the great houses of the Landsrad. We must obey the forms. Yet the principal, yet the princess shall have no more of me than my name. No child of mine, nor touch, nor softness of glance, nor instant of desire. Now... It does say in that moment, like that paragraph starts mm-hmm. with Paul looking at Cheney and he sees her holding little Leto. Yeah. Sees that baby that caused all this chaos. Like, uh, I'm going to say chaos in the fight, right? Of well, like, it caused that emotional storm to be unleashed. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Of him, like, just losing it all. And then he speaks of, like, do you think he's grounded back at the end then? This makes me think of, uh, like, did we, did we kind of get a... You know how, like, um, in the tent we we pushed emotion back? I couldn't cry. I couldn't cry. Then finally the tears came. You think this is his time of mourning as well? Kind of. It reminds me of uh, the death of Leto. Or okay. uh, Leto the first. Wait, <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Which one? We got so many to go. <laughs> so many two, and, two and one book, Mike. But uh, the fact that, like, when he was dying, he was thinking of uh, him, Paul, Lady Jessica, flying a kite. Like, just a moment of the three of them. Nothing else. Mm-hmm. Nothing else mattering. And then sand falling from a shell. Yeah. Here, it's uh, it's a fact that they didn't even get that chance. No, not at all. Yeah, their son is gone, but he still sees, like, you know, it wasn't that long ago. It was her holding the baby. Did he even get to meet? We assume. We assume. I, I like how, I like where we touch on I think he's there for the birth. Mm-hmm. Clearly, he was there for that, maybe, memory. Or, I mean, God, it could fucking be prescience, too, just to mess so, with us. Yeah, but... it says remembering her. So sure. he definitely saw her at least once. Yeah. I think we should go with that. Uh, and yeah, so I just, I like that imagery there and that I, I think he does kind of like come out of it. Like that is you, like, this is the end of the coitus. Like you just come out of that daze and all of a sudden, like you're back to your rational mind, mm-hmm. right? Like it is very sudden like this. And now Paul looks at her and he says like, I love you. This is what's happening for this. And I mean, she doesn't really get anything back and we get our final lines from Jessica. Oh, do you want to say something? No, no, just the fact that he's he's literally just pulling a Leto, though. He's just doing the same thing Leto did. Like what? Uh, that, like, this is for political reasons. It's not mm. because they don't love you. 
Oh, I like that. Ultimately, coming around, he's still going to make Leto's mistake. Yeah. Even though Jessica tried to tell him not to. Yeah. Does that mean he's also going to make Jessica's mistake? Yes. Probably. Because the jihad's going to yeah. happen, Mike. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you just yes. answer it for me. Yep, like, yep. Yes, Mike. Yes, it's a trick question. question. I saw Everyone died. And I went, I'm like, no, Mike, the jihad, jihad. Like, a lot of people die. Like, a lot of innocents. Uh, it's so much bigger than what Jessica could here's imagine. Here's what I was saying, that, like, Cheney's hurt. She's unsure. She doesn't believe him. So you say now. And she glances across the room at Irulan, who's like, drop dead gorgeous Benny Jezzard. Just stand in there. Yeah. I, I, I mean... She gets a weird rep this whole book. I was like, that's all. She's just a beautiful lady who writes well. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Kind of boring, uh, though. And this is where sort of that, that famous last uh, paragraph comes in. Mm-hmm. So she, Cheney looks over at her. Jessica, though, do you know so little of my son? She whispered. See that princess standing there, so haughty and confident. Haughty again. Everyone is using that word yeah. today. They say she has pretensions of a literary nature. Let us hope she finds solace in such things. She'll have little else. A bitter laugh escaped Jessica. Think on it, Cheney. That princess will have the name, yet she'll live as less than a concubine, never to know a moment of tenderness from the man to whom she's bound. While we, Cheney, we who carry the name of concubine, history will call us wives. This is pretty controversial. The last line of book three of Dune now brings us to a conclusion. Let's just I got enjoy it. that for a second, Mike. And then yeah, we need to we need to weigh in. History will call us why. More so. I had a, a bone to pick with you. Mm-hmm. So I uh with this chapter I didn't get a chance to like uh sit down like I want to. So I'm like, you know what? Like it's a pretty easy night of work. I'm just gonna listen to this and mm-hmm. uh I'm going to talk to you afterwards and see what's going on. Crazy chapter. So many things happen. So many. So many. This last line drops, and then uh, it's like end credits. I'm like, what the fuck? What? No, surely something's missing. But like, it left me on such a note and beat. I'm like, whoa. Wow. Did not see that coming. So I went to talk to you, and uh, you asked me, like, what do you think of the last line? I'm just like, I thought it was perfect. I thought it was like, that was the payoff that I wanted and didn't know I needed it. And you're just like, yeah, no, it's terrible though. You're just like, but no, I just, it's yeah. good. Just like, no, it's bad. And you talked about it. I'm like, oh, so I went over and listened to it again. Like, okay, maybe Derek's right. I go over like, yeah, Derek, I think you're right. Then I went home. I'm like, no, no, that didn't sit right with me. Can't. I feel terrible about this. No, I'm going to draw a line in the sand. And I'm nice, going to die on that nice. dune, Derek. Right. I'm like, I feel good about it. I feel like you started making a fake dune. You're piling sand <laughs> up to make it. <laughs> so you got out yet, your shovel? You start, you've made a little pile? You gotta, made you, a little you, pile. You got a hill to stand on? Yeah, I got a hill to stand on. I, I think that that hit with such uh, a dead end that you needed. There's no point in drawing it out even further. The fact that it ends on that line, though, I think is more telling about Lady Jessica and if she could go back in time and make a change, this is what she would do and tell herself. Okay. It definitely underlines that one running bit of like wife concubine, wife concubine, wife concubine. Which is so prevalent in the entire book. Yeah, Yeah, of like you need to use, like embrace love and acknowledge love as a part of you. It can't, you can't always do the rational, correct thing. Because the whole point is that uh, Jessica made an irrational decision for love that started all this shit show, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For Leto. And she's telling Paul, like, that's what you need to do. So are you blaming everything on Jessica here? I mean, it, you have to, in a way. How is it not? Her <laughs> it's fault. a Benny Jezzer that fucked it up. 
which is Jessica. No, she's not responsible for all Benny Gesserit. She's a Benny Gesserit. No, 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 I think the the poetic way of how you said it is like literally a Benny Gesserit is what fucked it up. Yeah. Choose your character, Mike. Anyone (laughs) on that list I think is applicable. I think we got a rogue Benny Gesserit. Um, Yeah, yeah, in a lot of ways. But I think uh, I really love your sentiment of uh, that it just dropped you out. And that... that being the thing you didn't know you needed. That that is probably gonna be where we're gonna double back to at the very end to be like, that's the best way you can approach that last line. I mean, like, how else would have you wanted to end? Uh I mean that could be like a endless, different line. Endlessly like, speculative. Uh a different line, a different person. I just didn't think if that was the theme that like I would want to end on. Of like where was the, I can obviously like what I just said, like we can yeah. draw Jessica through. I would have expected it to be more on terrible purpose and like the commentary on that of something for like, what did Paul feel he was doing here? Or like maybe with just him seeing the gaps close. Was I the just, last thing. I think the idea that it's already out of, out of our hands, it's not worth looking into anymore. It's done and it's gone. Mm-hmm. I kind of already like that where it's that train is already out of the station. There's no point in trying to like look at it any further. It's gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just letting it go. I, what really stuck with me is when the line is history will call us wives. The fact that like this, this really doesn't have anything to do with Lady Jessica in this situation. This is all about Cheney, but she's lumping them in together. Like she's definitely reflecting on the situation as part of her own. Mm-hmm. And the idea that it's not about the title. It is about love and being happy with the love that you have, because that's all you really get when you play the Imperial game. Like there are concessions when it comes to it. There are rules. Wait, what is it that you get when you play the Imperial game? The titles. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. The political nature of it. Yeah. And then, no, like, there's nothing real. There. Knowing that, like, there's always going to be that that side of things. And if you want to have love, you have to accept that. Mm-hmm. Like, if you want to have real love, like what Lady Jessica and Leto had. Yeah, it, it doesn't factor into that game at all. Yeah, exactly. And you you can't let it affect you, which is dumb and sucks. And it's not really a good thing to walk away with, but that's sort of like her coming full circle with everything that happened to her personally mm-hmm. in this book. And it, I guess it begs the question to me personally that if uh, Duke Leto and Lady Jessica had been this way from the start, how much of this book would have changed from the get-go? Would Thufir have like suspected her as much? Mm-hmm. Because she was oh. so sort of like uh, huffy about the entire situation. Oh, all right. You want to attribute her how she dealt with that, which it came up a lot even in this book. So it must have been their entire marriage. Yeah, people calling you fifteen years. <laughs> that that is the source of part of their distrust or his distrust of her. I think it'd be foolish not to count that as like at least one uh, variable. Okay, okay. Let's we'll take that one. It's at least, definitely the most uh, visible variable. Because sure. like when it came down to it, Jessica forced every fiber of her being to keep herself still in those moments uh oh yeah yeah of like so like it wasn't just like a passing thing this was something that was really hard pressing on her Mm -hmm. so that's why i think like the ballad of leto and jessica as a whole throughout this book i do think it's important to weigh each of those moments where she reflects on it yeah and see her growth as a person yeah yeah and the way she views it in the context of the imperium and how it changes over time yeah from the encounter with yui to that encounter with thufir yeah Moving on, I've got I've got so many bullet points on this. Dude, oh, go for it. Like on. I said, I built up my little dude. I'll try to I'll try to like cover them up as you go as best I can. Um, but you got some good points, man. Yeah, history will remember us as wives. Now, in this context, history. We she just said Irulan is of uh, uh, literary nature. Literary nature. 
She's going to be doing all the history books. It's she's like, going she's to not going to be able to do anything else. Our prime well. historian. Yeah. yeah. Paul's not even going to fucking look at her. Mm-hmm. She's just, uh, she's got the name. But like, if history is the one that's going to say it, and she's the one that's in charge of the history, isn't the last laugh really on Irulan? She's like, well, I don't get to have a husband. You guys don't get to have a husband either. Because I said it didn't happen. Oh, no, no, no. I, I think you, with what you just kind of outlined there, I take that as like, it's almost like Jessica slapping Irulan at the very end when it's saying history will call us lies. He's calling Irulan history in that. Exactly. Aspect. Exactly. Yes. But at the same time, uh, in all the epigraphs we read, was there ever an epigraph that called uh, Lady Jessica the wife of Duke Leto? Or Cheney, the I don't think it, I don't of, think it's supposed to be literal like that. Maybe not, but like well, clearly not because history like, doesn't call her a wife. Yeah, I'm just which maybe it, goes back into my column a little bit. I'm Mike. just approaching it from every angle, though. Sure. If you look yeah, at yeah. it from a literary or a literal uh, sense, yeah, I I don't know what to make. Well, because clearly Jessica wouldn't know. That, like she can't be saying this as a de facto. No, no, no. So you have to already discard that one, right? Mm. Like you can't look at this in future sight and be like. Well, they don't, so this contradict like, no, that can't be a factor in it. It has to just be, what does she feel in this moment? Right. So Ultimately, she feels you, like you, we won. Well, no, but do you think she literally means historians, or is history the allusion to Irulan? I, I mean, I guess both, in a weird sense. I'll, t- I'll take, I'll totally accept both, but yeah. I guess because of my bitter, the thing I would double down in or, like, ask a follow-up on of, like, okay, so, like, if we're going to accept that she does think history will refer to her as a wife, mm. what do you make of it not, then? Where Jessica is very clearly recorded as the concubine. Right, right, even, right. Even, That's why I'm saying that, like, the last left is really on, uh... On Irulan? On Irulan. Where, like, she's the one who actually gets to control that. And, like, what's that, uh... So then if the last laugh is on Irulan, what is the point of this last line for you, then? The, the fact that, like, I think that's kind of weird the way it's written there. It does go into sort of your column a little bit there, where it's just, like, Irulan's the one who sort of, like, gets away with it, everything in the end. Mm-hmm. I just think it's a little weird, but, like, I don't feel bad about it. It's just more of a, Jessica, you don't even know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's messy. It's just, it is messy. It's just... Um, which is why I don't really like that point as much, but I thought it was worth talking about at the very least. You're like the emperor. You're just like poison on this knife, <laughs> a little something here. A little acid here. Uh, Fenring, you got this? Um, maybe ultimately this is, uh, intentionally unsatisfying. Oh, okay. Okay. Double expand. Elaborate. How many people actually win in this chapter? How many characters do we get? Let's start at the beginning here. We get, uh, Shaddam. In a whoa, whoa! Actually, in a fucked up way, Irulan. I think maybe, maybe one other person. Who's the other person? Uh, Fenring. How does he win? I don't know. He got he- slapped. <laughs> I don't he- know. I mean, like legitimately, like he, you, all you did was you put something, a problem between him and his only friend, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he just lost his title. True. True. Like I think well, he he comes out as a loser. Do we know that for sure? Well, like he's the master of assassins for the emperor. There's true. no, he's not the emperor anymore. You are, you're getting demoted at the very true, least. True, true, true. Although Paul doesn't have a master of assassins anymore. He's not getting that. <laughs> but uh, I don't I'll, know. I'll I, give you this brother. I don't know Mike, where Hasmer but... goes anymore, but we do know, didn't, uh, didn't Margot Fenring take a uh, fade baby with her? Yep, she got a little fade baby. So maybe that's like, that's all the wind that he needs. Cause he's on her side ultimately, right? Towards her end. Okay, okay. I think it's a very stretch to give, okay, him, sure, sure, to sure. give him a win. But is, right, so, he, is he the only other one in the room you can give a win? No, no, no. So, I mean, the point is that no one wins. No, uh, I was just okay, uh, I was no. making a case for maybe someone does. So, I think, I think wait, wait, how, how does Irulan lose? 
she will never have any love in her lifetime. What was the alternative? As far as Paul is the... But, like, there was a binary alternative for her. This is the the winning one of them, isn't it? Well, no, the winning one would be Benny Gesserit on the throne... Ultimately, she would be having Paul's children because that's what okay. the Benny oh, Gesserit wants. They, they that's go. not going to fucking happen. That is the big catch. Yeah, she uh, she's always going to want Paul's kid. Yeah, it's not about the title at all. It's about the Benny Gesserit line. Reverend Motor is whispering like, yeah, no, we need this. Let's do this. Everything else is going to shit. That's fair. Yeah, yeah. I was just saying, thinking like because she did like push Shaddam to accept this of like, no, this is the path to go down. Yeah. Maybe she kind of had a horse in this race. But I, I think with saying the baby part where Paul is going to ice her out counts that as a loss as well. Yeah. 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 I'm, down the I'm, list. No, I'm totally on board with nobody wins. I think. Yeah. Yeah. What do you got? Uh, Cheney, at the very least, loses oh, the baby. Th- can't, th- can't, th- can't, th- yeah. That's doesn't get loss. better than that. I don't think we need to discuss that uh, one much. Paul does not stop the jihad from his own pride. Yep. Jessica. I guess she kind of wins because she keeps both her no. kids alive at the very <laughs> least. <laughs> oh, how that bar, she's how on, that bar is moved. And she's on decent terms with Paul, but at the same time, she doesn't have her own identity or place to go anymore. She thinks she thinks maybe Caladan. I don't know. I, think, I need time I th- to think. I think that is what makes it a loss. Is she's homeless right now. I agree. She doesn't have the Benny Desert. She doesn't have the Atreides. She doesn't have Caladan. She doesn't have Arrakis. And like I said, not even just homeless. Like her sense of identity is skewed now because it was so. It was built into both the Benny Desert and the Atreides. Exactly. Yeah. So that's kind of a uh, that's kind of sad there. Fade. Mm, well, okay, moving on. Through fear. Oh, he dies, but maybe he does win. He died serving the Atreides in one last act. Hmm. That's a hard one. I mean, I, I, we're, glossing, like, again, we're glossing over died. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Okay, he he was uh, he only had a few good years left, <laughs> and even then, I think maybe he did expire. Maybe on uh, Arakine. Yeah, yeah. Some some obvious things are missed. So uh, I would say the death isn't the big thing. Maybe he does win. Maybe he does get his sort of laugh, last laugh there. He. In honorable way out, I think still loses, though, with death. Sure. 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 Stilgar, we don't need to talk about that. Loses. Absolutely. Creature of uh, the Lisan al-Gayib. Gurney, oh my god. Yeah. He's that... an earl, but that, that's all for shit. He does not care. Yeah, after losing everything that he wanted. Uh, yeah. If only there were more Harkonnens around. If only there was two. <laughs> uh, yeah, doesn't get his kill. Loses his friendship and sense of camaraderie with Paul. Uh, yeah. Spacing Guild, obviously, they're now subservient to not only, like, Emperor Paul, but Defanged, yeah. Also to the Fremen, who have, like, a hairpin trigger, more or less. Uh, there's no difference between the two. I guess, yeah, because as, as the as, Fremen belong to Paul. That's as, right. Well, it, I would know more. Yeah, yeah. So as long as Paul is Ember, like, the yeah, Fremen exactly. definitely belong to Paul. And, uh, yeah, that's a, that's all the major players I got right now. So... Ultimately, I don't think anyone really wins. I tried to make a case for a couple there, but no, you're right. No one does. And I'm actually happy about that because it just reinforces my point. It's not supposed to be a happy-go-lucky ending. Which, I mean, I prepped you for that. <laughs> if we can, right, uh, right, right. We can run back. I did tell you there's no happy ending here. Even what I was talking about earlier, the fact that like a main character has a flaw and can't overcome it, it leads to their own destruction. It leads to a lot of other people's destruction, too. Yeah. It, it is a very self-destructive chapter. And you're not supposed to feel good about everything. This is just uh, sort of a snapshot at this pivotal moment in uh, the Imperial history, mm-hmm. which I think is interesting that we got to witness it. But, I mean, we've gone through the encyclopedia. Look at all the terrible things that have happened in Imperial history. Imagine if we got the full story. Wouldn't it be more interesting to like see the snapshots of that? The fact that we got this major one is really cool. Definitely. Of, like, but, like, critical it's just for theory. the ride. It doesn't end well. Mm-mm. 
And I think that that's kind of nice. I uh, do enjoy that flip side of our normal, like, happy, uh, happily ever after kind of thing. Definitely. That is, that is a great take on it. That is, like, him uh, subverting your expectations for the ending. The fact, Exactly. The fact that it is unsatisfying is what makes it so fulfilling to me, personally. Maybe not satisfying, but fulfilling. Now, I would say that a lot of that seemed contingent on the whole ending. Less than the Jess Wives part, which I want to zero okay, back in fine. on that that's last fine. line. Hey, dude, attitude and knife. Just chop it off there. Frank ran out of room. Again, that's the best one. That's what I wanted to double back to. <laughs> With how you felt in the beginning where you said it just dropped you out. You didn't You didn't even know you needed to just be let out. And uh, that, I kind of think, is the beauty of it, where it, it's not really the line that matters. It's just that you did stop. Mm-hmm. It would. Just, it doesn't matter where. He just needed to drop you anywhere before you got to negotiations because that was going to be boring as shit. Uh, and just let it end. And that there is no... That's why I can't make up a better line because I think you touched on the right point that it just needed to be something arbitrary almost. And that you yeah. do have like some options for this is whatever you make of I it. I wonder um, how many iterations he went through before it was just like, okay, I think that's what I want. Well, do you have? do you have any other points you want to throw out there? Uh, no, I'm good to hear what you have. Can I, can I start my rebuttal at this point, Mike? Oh yeah. How long have I been talking? Jesus. Ooh, a little bit, a little bit, not, not <laughs> anything bad, but I actually went a little search, Mike. And I was like, I don't, I can't make a worthy counter argument to this. I've read this book like six times. I got like these opinions that are also going to pull from the other books and really skew my vision too. Really? Like, sure. I can't comment on the ending of just Dune, but I know a man who can. Frank <laughs> Herbert. So I went, I got the words from the man himself. Oh, damn. And now I Mike, feel like that's cheating. Oh, it really is. <laughs> what, what happened to my sparks there? Do you know why he's cheating, Mike? Because he agrees with me, and that's the only reason I invite him. What happened to, to my sparks? I know. Just let the, let the reader imagine. <laughs> you son of a bitch. Hey, you set me up. In the same interview is where he changes his mind. But I just, uh, in that interview, Willis E. McNally actually brings up the last line directly. Oh, so I'm going to play you a little clip. It's going to be Willis McNally asking Frank, like, hey, about that last line there. Oh, my God. I control the pace. So I have several rhythms built into the story deliberately. One is a long-term rhythm. Um, and we'll get to the ending of the book in a moment. I, the ending is camp. High camp. Deliberately. And a, a number of people, interestingly, have seen it. I wanted to say... I found it sheer action, mm-hmm. almost for the sake of action. Yes. And overly dramatic, maybe. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, in the future, they will call us wives. I said, yeah, almost. But you call it high camp. And I hadn't thought of it that way. <clears throat> well, I wanted to turn the story around on itself. So in that particular interview... Uh, this is Willis E. McNally. Yep. He's uh, having that conversation with Frank Herbert. And Beverly's there. And Beverly's there. Uh, she takes uh, part in this as well a couple times, right? Yeah, she leans in, and it's awesome. She's off mic. And McNally, though, is great. He'll notice that it didn't catch on the audio. He's like, can you lean into the mic and say that real quick? Yeah. And they move it by. You can hear um, them, like, moving shit around the room. It's great. But, uh, yeah, I heard, like, a clock going for uh, yeah, parts yeah, of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anywho. So uh, clearly it was on the hour. The story. idea, though, is that he... Read it, hated it. It was like, blah. And until Frank Herbert says, like, oh, but I, I did this intentionally as, like, a campy thing. It's supposed to be that way. 
because I wanted to turn around. And all of a sudden, McNally's on his side. It's just like, oh, you're using a literary tool in a unique way. That's actually very fascinating. That's uh, what I'm getting from that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you're kind of right there. I don't know. Uh, I wouldn't say he's on his side. I think he's open of what's like, oh, I didn't think of that. And just yeah. like, tell me more. Because yeah, you yeah. have the author in front of you, right? Exactly. And you just like open this door I didn't know was there. Uh, yeah, I think it's exactly what's going on there. But what do you think about Frank calling it high camp? I, mean, I, don't, I don't even know what that really means when he says that, though. Like, I mean, it's almost like uh, like ending it on a bad, like... Uh, intentionally, like, bad? Like, intentionally bad, but, like, an almost uh, rhetorical joke at the end of it all. Like, uh, I think Jessica even says, like, with a bitter laugh. Yeah. Almost oh. just, like, this is, leaves a bad taste in so my that, mouth, too. So does that lean us even more to, like, literally history just being Irulan, and it is a joke? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't, I, like I said, no one wins. Oh, my God. No, no, no. The fact that, imagine, like, you're halfway through Dune, and I told you, you know it ends with a joke? <laughs> <laughs> Just a, a little funny bit. The comedian, and I'm, I'm like, the comedian and the Watchmen is like, this is my favorite book. I get the joke. That's so that's so weird, isn't it? Of like, I, I was really off guard when I heard him say that. Mm. I'm just like, oh. Oh, that's not what I expected you to say right, about right, right. the ending of all people. That's what I expected McNelly to say, because that's kind of where I am. Like, I didn't expect Frank to be like, hell yeah, you got it, buddy. Right, right, right. High camp. So interesting. I, I love your points better than what yeah. Frank backed up. <laughs> I think uh, he does sort of lean into the the idea that I really like the most, which is maybe just having something so unsatisfying is what makes it so fulfilling. That, yeah, yeah, it, it it kind of, again, like I told you, where we were going to end up doubling back to what you first said. Mm. This was the ending I didn't know I wanted. Yeah. To just have the rug pulled out from under me, drop me, and there's nothing more. Like, I'm looking for pages, and I'm ripping through the back, and all I'm finding are appendices. Like, <laughs> I need more. How many appendices do you think were torn out of dune books? Like, <laughs> I don't need this glossary. Uh, but yeah, no, that's where I said on the end of the book. I, I think that's great. I, I love what you got to out of that. Yeah. I think you've even shaped, like, how I feel about the end of the book. Ooh. No, for sure. Like, there's no way I've looked at this as intently than, like, coming to it today at this table and unpacking it so thoroughly. Taking Frank's word, McNelly's word, your word. Like, I've just digested it all. I know we're going to get some people, like, putting in their two cents, <gasps> too, which I really look forward to. Definitely. Yeah, if you have another interpretation, we'll, we'll air them all. Mm-hmm. They will all get time. I want to hear it. That sounds great. History will call us wives. Ooh. And I, uh, this is the last chance for you to anything else you want to add to this chapter ever. No. No. I was going to do a joke, but you know, we already had one joke. Frank, yeah. There's <laughs> <laughs> just going to be a deadpan to the left, and you just see a spectral Amorte and Piter and Leto. I, I wish we could do that yeah. in this format. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well. I mean, even with the chapter done, we still got tone bills to pay, bud. Let's do it up. Let's do it. Oh, Derek. Yeah. I feel like there's a weight lifted off my chest. I've been hanging on to that for two weeks. But <laughs> <laughs> you seem younger. I feel a little bit better. You a little more pep in your stuff. So. History's going to remember this. Yes, yes. You know what else history's going to remember, Derek? Oh, all the bills we got to pay. Oh, they're also going to remember that we partnered with Audible. And right now they're offering our listeners a free 30-day trial when they visit audibletrial.com slash Pod. I love it. Love it. <laughs> so... 
What they do when they sign up is they get one credit they can use to pick from one of thousands of titles, like Dune, mm. my first audiobook, and hey, Messiah, that's where I'm going next. And now everyone knows you're done. So it's got to be a new book <laughs> you're going to say. another one. <laughs> Are you going to tell the second audiobook well, you know, I convenient. picked up? What's <laughs> <laughs> convenient, if you sign up for the Amazon Prime account, you get two credits. You can you, get Dune and Messiah. You could bust them out in one weekend. Exactly. From then on, you receive an additional credit every month that you can help you create an amazing audiobook library. Oh, that's awesome. So, speaking of libraries, Derek, yeah. what do you got for me? I, uh, through NPR, I listened to this great interview with this author who was going on, like, you know, press tour promoting his book, and it was so intriguing. They're like, I'm going to pick that one up. And it's called The Immortality Key, The Secret History of the Religion with No Name by Brian C. Motorascu. And I, I might be butchering that name. That's a rough one for me. <laughs> I thought it sounded pretty good, actually. <laughs> Thank you. This book, Mike, is a story of the mystery cults of ancient Greece, and he kind of ties it into the sacrament of, like, early Christianity with this supposition that he thinks there was a psychedelic evolved in the, like, central uh, potion that was in this ritual, what becomes the sacramental wine. They made this big ritual process that you went through to be inducted in this secret society that is called the Mystery Cults. The most famous one of all being uh, Eleusis, and this is in Greece, and this is kind of where he goes into. There was another book written in the 70s where a guy proposes this theory, and he's basically laughed out of academia and never to return again. And this guy, Brian, goes on this great journey to sort of prove that Ruck, Professor Ruck, who wrote this first book, was right. And he does ultimately find some proof. And the best part is that he calls up Professor Ruck, who wrote this book, and he's like, hey, old man, I think I got something you want to see. And they go on a trip together to like sort of prove that he was right this whole time. And it's really beautiful vindication. But the thing that stood out to me the most, Mike, do you know what a mystery cult is? No. So that's this religion with no name that was like the center of this cult in Eleusis. And like, I'm pretty sure there's a Bene Gesserit. Let me describe some traits of a mystery cult. Sure, 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 sure. So, one, it's a secret society. Boom. No one knows anything out. Checkbox. The ritual that they go through, you're not allowed to talk to ever outside of. Check. Mm, right? It involves a potion that you ingest <laughs> that is basically toxic. Check. Huh. Um, it's an all-female organization. Check. Huh. They're all about maintaining knowledge and, in, uh, like, philosophy. I feel like it's impossible to say that, like, no inspiration was taken from these. Uh, yeah. Do you know what they call the people in training, Mike? They're all initiates uh, <laughs> who go to take the ritual. The ritual is symbolic of death and rebirth. Oh, no way. And you're supposed there... to talk to your ancestors. No, I was just about to ask that. <laughs> yeah, that's where it goes. It's literally... That's actually legit there's a huge continuity of knowledge and tradition that's struck through there i just see Bene Gesserit through and through and how they interact like augustus goes there emperor shaddam yeah they're tied into every royal family all these people go that plato went there the uh mike you know how we end up saying plato's realm of perfects is the alama no way do you know where plato invented the realm of perfects okay it was after this i yield to you on that that's one. fucking crazy that's really good so, you guys, if you're into ancient history, if you just want to know a little bit more about what the Bene Gesserit are doing behind closed doors, check out The Immortality Key, The Secret History of the Religion with No Name by Brian C. Murarascu. That is fucking dope. I, you took me for a ride there. Yeah. Oh, dude, you should, you should get it. It's really fun. <laughs> Derek, 30 days are up. What if you don't like it? Oh, Mike. I, okay. 
I my mom's gonna be there. I'm gonna put my knife in her hand. I'm just gonna start taking my clothes off. And <laughs> Audible's gonna be standing right there. It's cool, it's cool. I'm gonna take that knife. I'm just gonna call Canley. <laughs> That's how you do it. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure if I do that, they'll say, whoa, 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 you have 30 days before we're gonna charge you. If you cancel now, we don't gotta fight. We don't have Canley. We, we don't gotta do this. They'll back down every time. Exactly. Like. So in other words, they're gonna send you a courtesy email to ask if you wanna continue or Yeah, not. Audible's a coward. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Because <laughs> okay, you still get to keep your entire library. What have you done to me? <laughs> I broke you. Like and Willis <laughs> and Ellie did the ending of this book. And you can continue listening to your entire library, regardless of if you're still subscribed to Audible or not. Mm-hmm. Even those originals you've added in there. As exactly. I, I told you guys. We know you understand the value of a good book. You read Dune. We're going to help get a free audiobook when you visit audibletrial.com slash spiceworldpod. So if you guys head out there, grab a book, tell us what you got, send us a recommendation. I'd love to hear it. Whatever you pick up with that free trial from audibletrial.com slash spiceworldpod. All right. Let's finish this out in style, Derek. All right. Mike, coming back in, do you remember we were doing this sort of like alternate history of Paul Moadib in the far-flung future. Yeah. These historians had written an art, uh, a lengthy paper on him. There were some questions that were going to that paper. The question we left off on, if he was Fremen-born, why did the Atreides retainers gather around Paul? Because right now we're entertaining the notion that Paul, long gone, died in the, right. the coup attempt, Doesn't right? make any sense. Mm-hmm. What, oh, what? That, uh, that they would assume, like, yeah, why would they do that? That why would they be the real guy? Yeah, if he was a you know if he's from born, why are they trade suddenly like okay? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. sure, exactly. Because right right now the, I was gonna say the theory we kind of left off with is that Paul, there this whoever became Moadib is the son of Stilgar potentially or someone from right. Ch Tabar who had military training and just a brilliant mind who took advantage of that assassination uh, and has now assumed this identity. Out in the sands. But yeah, none of the trainers rallied to them. They fought this Fremen upstart. Surely this can't be Paul then. So why did the Atreides retainers gather around, quote-unquote, Paul? There are several ways that Paul Atreides' support may be accounted for. Obviously, he was the only likely candidate for their support on Arrakis, the royal family itself having been exterminated. Outside of just uh, in a vacuum, they would attract to something. Yeah. If one understands anything of the completeness and depth of the enem- uh, enmity existing between House Harkening and Atreides, and uh, then reflects on the fact that the beginning of the Fremen revolt, the Atreides retainers were fighting as though to prove fealty to the Harkonnens, he must conclude that the leaderless Atreides were in complete disarray, their spirit crushed. Oh, I love that bit. Prove fealty to the Harkonnens. Like saying that's why they were fighting the Fremen, right? They were trying to buy favor with the ruling family. Jesus. I got a little footnote in there, though, Mike. Yeah, tell me what the footnote says. So this is uh, the existing enmity between the Harkonnens and the Atreides. That's where I got a footnote. If one understands the depths of this enmity, one must also scoff at the notion that the Red Duke kept a Harkonnen concubine. So again, now we're looking at reality and be like, reality can't Are they be. not aware of the fact that Ben Jesuit didn't reveal that fact? Uh, or do they not know that Lady Jessica is uh, Benny Jesuit? 
No, they know they definitely because that would be part so of the, then, oh, the so legend. So then it would be one of the things where like it's not known that they like that kept they that didn't know. Yeah, yeah, because her name is just Jessica Atreides Harkonnen. How much time has gone by since this? Uh, I'm gonna hold that one out for me a little bit. Okay. It's it's post God. I was gonna say that's almost... no, but it's Rackus Horde has been open. Okay, I'm gonna guess about three to four thousand years. Then it, it's definitely past three thousand. So like I would relate that to the same as us looking back to uh, ancient Egyptian history and being like. This is what we know. Except, yeah, yeah, exactly. Because that's about the same time frame. Yep. And like, I mean, sometimes that's just a matter of like, oh, we didn't realize this was a satire. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Oh. I mean, even that. Like, how can you tell? Papyrus is very difficult to like, reflect yeah. tone on. Yeah. Oh, just imagine <laughs> reading tweets and being like trying to pull history out of yeah. tweets. I'm I mean, just like. You know what's sad though? We are going to be doing that in like the next couple hundred years. You're like, yeah. I mean, this person said he's a tyrant. This person said he's a god. I don't know what to make of this. Called Fei Fei? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's all up in the air, but I love that. A lot of shit gets skewed as you go down to the point where it's like, you're never going to make heads or tails yeah. of any of this. Um, I, I just need to take some moment. I didn't even think about the fact that like Twitter is going to be historical documentation going forward, mm-hmm. and that fucks with me a little bit. Yep, wild. The biggest thing I think is that you have to explain what all these mediums are because they all existed for such a small amount of time. Oh yeah, I guess within like uh, yeah, you're right. Within the scheme of things, like what is thirty years? It's one lifetime. But if I have to say a tweet, I have to now tell you because there was a company called Twitter. And this was you the have to explain what Twitter it's is. Like, it's like it's like I didn't I don't have to do that. But like, I but like no hold on, I just want to keep reaching of like in the 1500s, you know, like I could get a letter that's still contemporary today to be like I know what a letter is, right? Like the medium is just so different. Well, it's interesting too because it's not just the medium; the fact that it's also fads within the medium. We had a printing press. Printing press did one thing. Didn't matter how many different printing presses there were. They all did the same thing. That, yeah, okay. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, they all sort of do weird and slightly different things despite all being social media. I think you just have to really explain what social media is as a whole. Yeah. And that would sort of like give you the end to be like, this is what Twitter did specifically. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. All right. Sorry. Keep going. I will. I will. Now, they must have seen Paul not only as a rallying point, but also as something of a savior. Footnote. Oh. Certainly, they'd recognize his formil- formidability as an enemy quickly enough. So this is uh, this is the guy that's kind of cynical, yeah. offering a little footnote. I mean, like, not just savior. They just wanted to save their own ass. They yeah. knew they were going to yeah. die. Uh, the Atreides surely would have realized that by switching allegiance to the Fremen, they stood a better chance of defeating the Harkonnens. Because they, they were going to stay Atreides to the end. The, uh, the retainers? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, oh, well, we know that. Uh, That's giving a little bit more credibility. No, no, but this isn't, no, this isn't saying they wanted to stay Atreides. They just, it's literally just saying, so the Atreides retainers saw that uh, by switching allegiance to the Fremen, implying that they had allegiance with the Harkonnens, they stood a better chance, and that they would have had than standing alone. And in any case, they would hold the balance of power, too. Okay. I mean, it just feels like they're, in a way, they're going to the winning side, but it like has like a uh, a level of uh, I don't want to say mutually assured destruction, but like uh, almost like a uh, a keyman clause is what I'm thinking. Ooh, what is that? Keyman clause is basic. It's uh what I usually re- uh, recognize it as is within like the music industry where like a lot of people within bands will be like, we have a keyman clause for this. It's like if you don't have this one person in it, you don't have anything in the contract. Okay. This person, it, the contract's dependent on this one thing. Okay. That's what the key man clause is. Gotcha. It's usually referred to as like a 
Uh, have I ever told you about the Ten Commandments of guitar playing? No. Oh, this is a uh, guy, Captain Beefheart. It's like kind of wicked music. <laughs> this guy was sort of a weird oddball, but like he gave his guitarist uh, what he called the Ten Commandments of guitar playing. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of them was uh, always have the key to the church. And that's your key man clause. Okay. It's like, if you're going to do anything, make sure you always have a legal way to keep in the band. Nice. Uh, I'm just okay, like, okay. I was like, that's pretty good. I like that. Like, don't It's get... not just a technique in music. It's just like, cover your own ass, son. Love it. Hanging on to that. Yeah. So the balance power, having this key man clause. I got another foot though, Mike, because we're talking about these Atreides out there. Neither the Gola nor the other one, Halleck, is reputed to have been stupid. The Gola or the other one. So we're talking Duncan Idaho, probably. Exactly. That's and exactly Gurney. who we're talking about. Oh, so the other one, Halleck. Halleck. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, Gurney. But so I assume this is talking about like Messiah time frame then? Again, we're post-God Emperor. But oh, post-God. I, post- I've, I've told you they're serial. No, no, but I'm, they're probably like looking at history around the Messiah time frame. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm thinking. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, let's do it. Because Gurney's still alive, but Duncan has been somehow cloned, which you told me is going to be happening here soon. Hence, they call him the gold. There's yeah, exactly. Serial Duncans. Okay. Yeah, I'm putting a serial Duncans. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> we got a Duncan assembly line. But uh, I don't know. I, I sort of see where you're going. I'm just putting together the clues that I've been given. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Uh, but and you know, like he's just saying, like, so neither of these guys are stupid, so that shouldn't have been. Like, why would you even assume this right. is like one of the options? I love that we know more about those two than we do about Paul Muadib. To be fair, the Duncan one makes sense. The Idaho, or the I read the Gurney Halleck is a good catch. <laughs> Duncan Idaho, well documented figure, boom through time. Yeah, we know he existed. I will continue on. With the arrival of Imperial Sardaukar to fight the, with the Harkonnens on Arrakis, the Atreides must have seen their hoped-for value to the Sirdar Baron evaporate. Because again, oh, you got Sardaukar? You don't need us. You yep. got Sardaukar. Their choice at that point would seem to have been uh, to ally themselves with the Fremen or be annihilated. Now, oh, oh. Oh, that's a big redaction. No! Oh, okay, okay, I found one like <laughs> That is to say, the events of Dune Messiah had something to do with the assurance of Atreides' recognition of Paul's legitimacy as well. Ooh. And then I got a little footnote here. Nor were the Carinos likely to have admitted publicly to base blood in Paul, their prince's Irulan having been part of his uh, price for peace. <gasps> oh, that's a redaction I wouldn't... Oh, so that's, well, let's just start from the footnote of that part there. Okay. But the, the redaction I simplified down to, that is to say the events of Doom Messiah. I'm just, cause it basically, it summarized it's Doom Messiah. Messiah for you. Oh, really? Oh, <laughs> it's like, wow. it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> okay. Be- I feel, I feel great though, because like, that's something I couldn't have been told like three chapters ago. So like, I feel like I like, got a little sneak peek into the redactions there. Oh yeah, definitely. I love it. So yeah, because of the events of Doom Messiah, we have insurance that the Atreides uh, recognition of Paul's legitimacy as well. Like that's why they did it. Okay. That's why they acknowledge him is because of all the events we're going to go through. These Historians are just wild. I kind of love them, but like that's what people today do as well. So it's not like I can fault them because like, I know what really happened. No one fucking knows what really happened. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, like, like I said, the e- Actually, ancient Egypt, like, uh, can, uh, if I can touch on one of the most beautiful points in uh, the immortality key, 
Oh. He's going through and he talks about how ancient, because uh, he's, you know, he deals with the antiquities, right? Right. And right. he's like, a lot of people look at this and think just everything, how could anything need to be researched, right? How could anything more need to be done? And he kind of remarks of like, well, you can spend your lifetime reading all the works that came out of Athens. But what he ends up journeying on is like, he uh, goes to Catalan and he finds there's a researcher there who writes her work in Catalan that so was never published in any other language but Catalan. He digs oh. into it. That's where he finds the proof that this other professor needed. And it was just that these two people never would have met. And these two bits of information never would have connected to create something bigger than the whole. It's outside of that small little experience. It's kind of funny where, like, uh, in a weird way, that tool you use to record written history to pass on to the generations if you have too much of it, it really sort of loses the meaning and purpose of having those written records because no one's going to be able to look to all of them once they accumulate over time. It's like when you leave a post-it note for yourself or a little reminder and you look like three months later and there's too many for you to go through. So you're like, fuck it, I'm not even going to look. It's it's a double-edged sword. It really is. It both is better and worse, right? Yeah. Because the other thing he laments on, so like you just emphasize sort of like the too much literature, but the thing historians always lament on is the burning of the Library of Alexandria. Yeah. When we lost all the literature. Like because he's also telling us that he, we only have 1% of all of written word in the human language that right, we put right, down. Right. That's all that remains right now. We have 1%. You're trying to interpret that. Uh, I recently heard a similar comparison. It was the director of SETI talking about how much of space oh. we've observed. And she's <laughs> yeah. like, she's like, literally, imagine space as an ocean. Yeah, yeah. We, ha we, little. Yeah, we have investigated an eight-ounce glass, and we haven't found fish. Should we say there are no fish in the ocean? Probably not. Yeah. Do Love we it. have the money to scoop up all of those little glasses oh, of water? No no, no, no. No, we don't. No, no. You know what she ended up saying? What? We're at buckets now. <laughs> like, I bet she was proud to say that though. She, yeah. No, I, I would be too. Yeah, that's really that's, fucking good. That's macro scales. But oh, like, I love that. I love how humble that all is. That's but so yeah, great. I think you can boil all that down to that we're all saying the same thing, right? Like there's a matter of uh, quality versus quantity that mm. needs to be assessed and kind of put through. And how easy it is to lose track of all of that. Yeah. And like if you just miss the one thing you need, that one fish you need to see, that one bit of paper I need to read. You might not know any of it's there. And I think that's just great. And that's where we are with history of like, they don't even know if Moadib's a fucking person anymore. <laughs> Which is just so wild to think about. Yeah. we're I, gonna, I mean, granted, we don't even get to go to his wedding. Actually, You know, we didn't get invited to any of the major events in Paul's life. That actually makes me sad. We weren't there at the birthday for the kid. We weren't there at the wedding. We didn't, we didn't get to be in it. We were there the day he became a man. <laughs> he rode that worm. Oh, Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were talking about Cheney. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. When he lost his virginity. You had too much to drink, sir. I'm cutting you off. Oh, the innuendo was laced in that. <laughs> uh, but then I saw what you meant. You meant literally his driver's test. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Now, Mike, let's go on to our next question. What was Paul's role in the second jihad? <laughs> well, uh, he started it. <laughs> he did start it. But what are they going to think? Yeah, so the second jihad was carried out in the name of Paul Atreides and with his voiced approval. Oh, are they going to look at him the same way they did with uh, Butler? Where, like, it was just their name, but really afterwards it turned into something way different. Oh, well, yeah, so that, like, spiraled out. Let's, yeah. Let's see here. 
Now, Paul's military and political genius has already been pointed out, and one of the lessons history has to offer any revolutionary leader who would become immortalized is that he must not attempt to control his own people in their victory. Yeah. What do you think of that? Uh, if one, mean, the Paul that I know, <laughs> I oh, I just meant that's like a, a statement because it, it falls to this. Uh, if one is the leader of a revolution, one is leader only so long as there is revolution. Paul did not himself physically lead any contingent of warring parties in the jihad. So they're kind of saying, like, that statement I feel like already stands true of, like, once the revolution's over, what are you really leading anymore? And that's where they're saying, like, it would almost be foolish to attempt to lead that jihad. Like, that's what Serena tried to do. Right, right. Like the butler. Paul is going to step back from that. He's never going to go. Well, that's the thing is he never wanted it. But they don't know that. And they can't know that I don't want this. He's not going to tell them, but he's not going to, he's not out there, right? If he was beside How you, far in the future do you think he can see now? Because we only had one year last time? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, you'll never really get a... Oh, Dune Messiah will get an exact definition. Oh, um, shit. You were about to say, like, we're never going to know. Yeah. You just, oh. But that's always what I'm going to do with Dune. And then I'm like, uh, but I guess I could, like, spin it this way and kind of trick you. Uh, <laughs> and that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> Let me continue on. All right. He seems rather to have contented himself to remain on Arrakis and consolidate his power, astutely allowing his followers, Fremen and off-worlders alike, to conquer in his name. So don't forget, we're going to sweep up. Follow. This is a religion. They're going to be conscripts on every new planet. They're going to be the people that convert on every new planet. Mm-hmm. Stockholm Syndrome at the very least. At the same time, he was cultivating his own charisma, building himself a legend, fostering the belief that he was prescient, messianic, and prophesizing. And then I got a footnote, Mike. Okay. Uh, It is easy to prophesy the decapitation of an enemy when one holds a sword and the enemy lies bound at one's feet. Right. I mean, like, one-on-one makes two. Yep. It's been like, I don't think he really uh, foresaw too much in the future is what this guy's saying. They're doubting his prescience. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely the oracular powers of it. And just being like, no, like he had the emperor or the empire on its knees. Like he dealt the fatal blow. Right, right, right. It was all just a legend that was spread. Exactly. Uh, His role in the jihad was essentially that of a figurehead. But unlike most figureheads, he did not allow himself to be manipulated by his hordes. Instead, he manipulated them as he consolidated, centralized, and practically immortalized his reign. Okay, I believe that actually. That sounds like that sounds yeah. like that guy we just saw. <laughs> sounds yep. like Paul. So, what of Paul's history after the second jihad? Oh, I want to know. Yeah, read Dune Messiah. No, <laughs> did you really? Yeah, I really just did that. I really just did that. It's literally all that one was was like a verbatim recount of Dune Messiah. You got me, son. Thank I was you. just like, ooh, <laughs> tell me. Mike, I got one last thing, though. Okay. Conclusions. All right. We go on to the last section here. This is the author, basically, like, he's answered all these questions. He's got it of the final uh, summation for you. Paul Atreides, in fact, lived. He was charismatic and a military and political genius. Whether he might be termed a Kwisatch Haderach or a Moadib depends on what those terms are assumed to mean. He was not a deity. He was Fremen. 
born of desert parents whose identities are unrecoverable. He saw political advantage in assuming a house Atreides identity, and so he assumed one. After his victory in the Battle of Arakeen, he astutely followed his Fremen followers to spend their centuries of pent fury on the universe in the Second Jihad, leaving him on Arrakis to rule in relative quiet. Oh my god, so they're literally just chalking him up as the rage of the Fremen and being the one that started the revolution. It's like a wholesale opportunist. Oh my god, no! For a century or more after Paul's disappearance, it was not uncommon for sun-crazed Fremen, banished from one Siet or another, to stumble in the c- into the city claiming to be the returned Moadib. Oh my god. <laughs> so like after the emperor's gone, just blind, fucked up Fremen to come into the city and be like, it is me! Your prodigal son returned! I love that it says crazed by the sun. Sun-crazed, yeah, every time. <laughs> wow. A lot did this. <laughs> Some of these seers, quote-unquote, oh. even attracted cult followers and had made much of themselves. Such occurrences have grown increasingly rare over the centuries. Still, the quickest way for any pitiful desert prophet to gain an appreciative audience, even today, is to pronounce himself Paul Atreides Resurrected. Wow. That is our fake history of Moadib in that the far really future. That was really good. I super enjoyed that. It was a great little, like, ride. For, like, the, like, the final episodes, like, you had a good, you had a good one. Well, good house. Yeah. I love it. Thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I loved it. That was, like, new to me. I was like, it I had been avoiding me, the like, ball. all hell. But, like, I love that someone spent the time to, like, look at the idea of what if we were looking back in time at this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I like, think that's super just great. Just obscure as many things you can. I love the, what's his name? Halleck, maybe? Who knows? <laughs> yeah. That guy. Very good. Awesome. <sighs> Well, you know what that means then, Derek. Oh, Mike. I I got my Highlander ticket right fucking here. Oh, Highlander straight to Daniel Dune Gazetteer. Oh, oh, I know where we're going. Oh. We're already there. We are in the Arrakis system. That's true. So around a a star named Canopus, yes? (laughs) That's correct. To remind everyone, every week we take a look at the stars and planets of Frank Herbert's Dune, a Gazetteer by Joseph M. Daniels. And this is going to be, I think, our final entry movie may hit a couple oddball planets as we go throughout the the series. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, I hit all the major ones I wanted to. And uh, last time, we did Arrakis. Yes. This time, we're doing Canopus specifically. I'm okay. not going to repeat the system data because it's going to be identical to last week. I think that's appropriate. We'll get a break from our computer. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's, it's, it's fried. The RAM is it's just right, been yeah. pushing too hard. <laughs> you know, we shouldn't have got that second-hand one. Uh, but I got a surprise for you. We got... Four parts this week. Oh, oh, shit. What's the fourth part? Well, you'll find out. And they're kind of all new, honestly. There's only one familiar one. Etymology? Place in space. Shit, okay. (laughs) Etymology's cooked into the other ones. Okay, okay, okay. All right. So, starting out, part one. Laojin Revisited. Oh, yeah, okay. So, do you remember what we talked about last time with Laojin? Um, that it was like so off kilter to be the source name, right? Right, right. Because I'm just it, like, why? Laojin is a star system for Wallach 9. Mm-hmm. It's like, why isn't it called Wallach? Laojin literally means uh, Canopus. It's a. Uh, that, I, that I forgot. It's the Chinese name for Canopus, which actually translates to the old man, or more specifically, the old man of the South Pole. Oh, I wonder if that's where he pulled Old Man of the Desert from in a way. 
Perhaps. Kind of like second string. Yeah, yeah. And so in this, I uh, I did a little bit more research. I actually spent a lot of time sort of looking at this just to get an idea of like, where did this actually come from? It was a little like iffy when we talked about Wallach, and I wanted to l- do a little bit more research. Okay. Canopus was a good opportunity to do that. So the Chinese worshipped it as Lao Jin, the old man. See Wallach for comment on that name. In the Chinese lore, the old man is depicted as a man with a long white beard and a deer at his side, who once, as a sickly boy, had been told that he would die at the age of 19. It's oh. the legend of Lao Yeah, Jin. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Now, keep that in mind, 19. Gotcha. So he's sickly, going to die at 19. This sucks. I got to do something about this. The boy's name was Zhao Yen. He was advised to visit the field and bring wine and dried meat. He did as he was told. And when he reached the field, he found two men playing checkers. Okay. Yeah, a little weird, right? So he offered them the wine and the meat. And to thank him, the men exchanged his life expectancy from 19, being 1-9, to 91. Nice. They just whipped those numbers. And, uh, of course, we gloss over how they did that. Well, maybe not. The boy later learned that the men were the star of the North Pole and the star of the South Pole, responsible for fixing the dates of birth and death. Oh, that's kind of cool. That's really cool. All right. Uh, And that's how we get that. And so eventually, Lao Jin, meaning the southern star. Okay. That's like the the tale of the old man. Um, Although the old man apparently was supposed to be Zhao Yan when he was 19, then went to 91. So I don't know if he becomes the southern star. That one, I mean, myths are a little bit weird where they're so many different versions of them, but that's the one that I found that I was like, okay, this sort of makes sense that I can translate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, if anyone has the rest of that, please let me know, uh, because I'm probably not going to go into it anytime soon. I, I just love that bit. That's making me reflect on uh, when I was a kid, the barbershop I used to go to had, Ooh. like, uh, it was a pretty small place, but there was, all, like, checkerboards in the place. Oh, yeah. There would always be a couple of men playing checkers. I'm like, could I have been immortal this whole time? Did, did I just need to talk to these guys? Ooh, missed opportunity. I know. Oh, well, well you know what's great? Hmm. Time for a second part. The myth of Canopus. Ah, uh, all right, all right. Dan, no, you're really... I spent way more time looking into this than I wanted to. <laughs> and probably just to have answers at the ready if you ask them. Okay. So yeah. we'll see what happens here. We might gloss through it. We might have a long conversation. So, go on. Still... It was Canopus's place in mythology that must have inspired Herbert. Do you know the parallel of Canopus within mythology? No, not at all. Well, it's Greek. I'll tell you that. Oh, okay. That's going to line up well. First of all, Canopus was the name of the chief pilot of the fleet of Menelaus, returning from the Trojan War. Okay. So, obviously, I'm familiar with the Trojan War to some extent. And King Menelaus... I, did, I don't know who that is. Oh, well, I'll tell you in a second. Is he a Greek king? Okay. He is? Yeah, he's a Greek king. Um, And Canopus was the uh, chief pilot of his entire fleet. Okay. Sailing back and forth from the war. Now, it is to be remembered that it was Helen, wife of Menelaus, who ran off with Paris of Troy and caused that war. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we all know Helen of Troy. Trojan War. Herbert made the Atreides Honestly, descent- not going to lie, kind of always thought Troy was her husband. <laughs> Troy, no. I know, I know it is the city. Yeah, yeah, I totally, okay, yeah. I totally understand. I don't know why that, like, that really blew my mind there. I love it. So, Herbert made the Atreides descendants of Agamemnon, which you've told me numerous times, correct? Mm-hmm. Now, do you know who uh, Agamemnon is? Um, ah, uh, oh, so I think he's a general in like the Greek army. 
Okay. And I, I don't know what actually he does. I just know that he there's a, a Greek play. Brian Herbert includes it in his books ah. that they refer to of like the play of Agamemnon. Oh, and I believe that is a real thing. I think uh-huh. uh, from Greece, and like I believe that is where we get all of our historical oh, yeah. information on Agamemnon. I actually looked at some family trees and did some uh, cross referencing and some math, and uh, you know he had, he had a brother. Did you know that? I did not. Yeah. A uh, brother by the name of Menelaus. Oh. This king that uh, went to get his wife back from Troy. So that's his sister-in-law. Yeah. So they're related. Sister-in-law Agamemnon of Troy. and Menelaus. Okay. So, and is Agamemnon, is he a general? What is his I job? don't know if he's a general or not for Agamemnon. I didn't do too much in the research of him specifically because he wasn't directly related to Canopus itself. Agamemnon? Agamemnon, yeah. Okay. Oh, I just thought you would have because of the trading thing. No, that's no, fine. No, but I this do want to exactly, go on. This is exactly what you warned that me about. Both, yeah. That both these brothers were the sons of Atreus, hence the House Atreus, house Atreus. or House Atreides. Yes. That's yes. the big thing. Oh, you know what? So I didn't realize that Agamemnon was part of how I thought Atreus just came after him in some way. I didn't re- I didn't know how we got to like Atreides no, from Agamemnon. Atreus was their father. That's that's cool. Yeah. I love that. So examination of the family tree of the original Atreides and their pelipid and tentalid relatives reveals the source of the noble titles used by the encyclopedist for Demetrius Atreides and his descendants, including Lord Tantalos. Barons Pelops, Barons Menelaus, Counts Thustilus, and Barons Agisthos. Agisthos. That was a lot that I threw at you. Yeah. And I don't expect you to know what all that means, but I did a little bit of research because I'm like, what the hell's going on? So these are slightly offshoots of actual Greek names within the mythology of House Atreus, which is actually a big house within the Greek mythology and stories. Right, and this is what you're saying. They work into the Atreides line in the Dune Encyclopedia. Right, Just right. basically given a one-for-one switch yeah, off. Ba- so that there's no dispute that, like, Agamemnon is sort of supposed to be one of their... Uh, definitely, definitely, yeah. Uh, ...progenitors. It's like, here are all these other names that are also within the Atreides family mm-hmm. within Greek mythology. So I'm going to talk about these a bit. So I talked about uh, Pelopid and Tantalid. That just means, like, of those families or of those people okay. so of uh tantalus of pelops tantalus we'll start at the top was the son of zeus and pluto very cool so literally my daddy was a god well both my dad my dad was the god of the upper world and my dad was the god of the lower world yeah yeah well uh, pluto not of pluto was a titan in greek mythology Roman mythology, oh, Pluto okay. was God Thank of... Yeah, yeah. So, so there's a in, difference here. In the immortality key, you end up... Uh, wait, uh, yeah, yeah, I think you are... Yeah, because you're done. Is um, Demeter going to be Greek or... Yeah, Demeter's Greek. Uh, Greece and Rome, they had slightly different cosmologies because Rome integrated a lot of Greece's gods within their own pantheons. Mm-hmm. So like Pluto in Rome would be the equivalent of Hades, but Pluto in Greece is actually the Titan Pluto. Okay. So there's going to be some differences here. Throughout everything Roman that you know, we're going to stick strictly to Greece here. I just want to lean back into, like, history as a funny way of obscuring things. Isn't that great? Yeah, (laughs) roll with it. So, uh, Tantalus, the son of Zeus and Pluto, was the king of Sipolis. He was... uh, (laughs) Excuse me. Syphilis? Syphilis. Okay. That's a very big distinction. I had to to retype it a couple times because, like, stop autocorrecting me. (laughs) (laughs) And he was actually cursed, and he started the curse of House Atreus. 
Oh, what, what is that going to be anything like parallel to the um, the Canley kind of vendetta? Well, it's up to you to think about. And there is a Canley vendetta equivalent that Excellent. we'll go into here. Excellent. But uh, during a uh, feast where he uh, had all the gods present, he uh, he wanted to sort of prove that he was you know just as godly, could be the, the same. Because okay. like, hey, I'm the son of Zeus. I'm practically a god myself. He drank of the uh, ambrosia. He you know did godly things like you know, offer sacrifices. So obviously I'm going to do the coolest thing I can do for a sacrifice. I'm going to cut up and uh, cook my own son and serve that to the gods. Hell yeah, man. That's crazy. So he did that with his son Pelops and uh, all the gods are just like, the fuck you doing? Except for one God. Abraham almost did this. He was so close. He was so close. I think that's where it came from though. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But uh, poor Demeter, it's like, I didn't realize Demeter ate a little bit of it. Just like, hmm, this is not too bad. Which is, uh, which is funny why you brought her up. They're just like, no, this is a no good. So they punished him. They cursed him. They resurrected uh, Pelops. It's just like, this isn't your fault, man. We're sorry. That sucks. It's like, but Demeter, you know, she already had the meal. Like, we can't give that back. That's gone. So uh, we're going to go ahead and build you a brand new shoulder, which is gone. So he has an ivory shoulder now. Oh, shit. Yeah, just kind of cool. Um, but the punishment and the curse, the curse <laughs> being for his pride and for uh, inciting violence to sort of prove his pride, was that he was to forever go thirsty and hungry within Hades, despite being stood in a pool of water almost within reach of a fruit tree. Oh. So if he bent down to get the water, it would shrink away. Yeah. If he reached up for the tree and the fruit, it would shrink up. Yeah. He could never have any. He was always in a state of hunger and desire that he could never escape. And that's where we get the word tantalize. Oh. Tantalus and tantalize. Love it. Slightly out of reach. Okay. Okay. Uh, Isn't that kind of crazy? Yeah. There, I mean, there's so many words we get from Greek. I, I love insane. it. And I love that a lot of it is derived from plays. <laughs> really it is oh, Greece had so much that was just there was so much recorded from Greece that we still have and that's why so much of our legends come from it because that's sort of as old as we can go and have like a large amount to cross reference and be like yes people believe this or talked about this or thought this yeah yeah you kind of make a consensus yeah because like after the burning of the library of Alexandria you know we only had so much left. Yeah, uh, actually, a big point the guy even makes on plays in the Immortality Key is he lists off all these Greek playwrights, and it's just like we have five. He wrote ninety nine. Yeah, we have seven. He wrote thirty eight. Yeah, isn't that horrifying? It, Imagine stress. if we only had three Shakespeare plays left. That's, that's exact, how horrifying that's would that exactly be? Where you walk to? Like. Oh my god! So, Pelops, uh, some Tantalus, uh, uh, grandson of Zeus. Still got a little bit of divinity there. All right, a little spark in your chest. <laughs> a little bit there. Uh, he became Wait, a... Wait, is this where the term chip on your shoulder might come from? It might, honestly. I don't know. <laughs> Did a god bite I your didn't... shoulder? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't look into that, but maybe. So, uh, he was resurrected. You know, the god loved him. He was a great people person. Poseidon especially loved him. He gave him a chariot. It's like, fuck it, dude, you're... Baller, I love you, man. So uh, <laughs> Here's my car. He I swim anyway. This, so. this princess is like, I love this woman. I'm going to marry her. Her daddy's like, nah, not going to happen. So he challenges him to a race. He's like, okay, we're going to sell this like men. Okay. Even though I'm like part divine. Uh, but just to ensure it's, it. Mike, he, he doesn't want any advantage. He goes ahead. He just wants the race. And he uh, arranges it so that like a little pin is actually removed from one of his chariots. <gasps> that he's chariots. 
Oh, acid he, on the blade. Yeah, the guy like exactly. Yeah. Guy careens like he easily wins, gets the girl, but like that curse is still active. It's like you're not helping your house in your name. You're just propagating the fact that like you're willing to invest in your pride and violence more than being honest and making things right within. Okay, the grandfather. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, this is a Minotaur. Kind of crazy. And to that end, Minotaurus, Minotaur, very Greece. Very, like, yeah. very much Greek. It's about as Greek as that myth gets. <laughs> <laughs> so then uh, Pelops is going to go ahead and have a son. Maybe two sons even. Let's say uh, son Thyestes, which is one of the names I mentioned, or an offshoot of it, of like Baron Thyestes. Okay. Thyestes. And uh, I like why not uh, Atreus? Atreus, yes. Atreus. And it's born. And uh, Atreus is what really... Because of the politics behind the brothers and the relationships between them, mm-hmm. this is where uh, House Atreus really gets its name, and it becomes the curse of House Atreus. Even though the curse really started with Tantalus, yeah, his his papa, yeah, uh, Atreus and uh, Thyestes, they really hate each other. They sort of have a divide, and that's where you get sort of that Atreides Harkonnen kind of vibe and Conley with one another. Sure, sure. They have some back and forths, Aegisthus. As one of the other names I mentioned, or an offshoot of it, um, that's a back and forth where, oh, I'm the son of uh, Thaestes, but I like Thaestes like had me with his sister, so that I, <laughs> there's a lot of incest and blood in this curse. It's pretty fucked up, but so we get uh, <laughs> we get Thaestes and Aegisthus. Uh, we get Menelaus, which is the son of Atreides, okay, as well as his brother uh, Agamemnon. I, uh, yeah, Agamemnon. Unless there was another one in there. Did I? Uh, there, I think there might actually be another one, but he's not important. He doesn't okay. really play a role in anything. And this bloodshed just continues until eventually one person is just like, "No, I've had enough. I'm done." Well, okay. Uh, so you say I say that, yeah. but he actually does kill someone. It's just like, "Am I right or am I wrong?" And he puts <laughs> it before. This is where we get religion going into politics. And he says, "Am I right or am I wrong?" And he puts up the vote to the people. And uh, Athena weighs in as, like, a uh, final arbiter mm-hmm. on this. And Was it a tie vote? <laughs> ultimately, he's judged as not guilty. He did his thing. He's not guilty of this. This was meant to be. He had to do this. This was more like self-defense, if anything. And the curse is gone from House Atreus. All right. It's really fucked up. Yeah, that sounds like some white privilege <laughs> if there ever was one. It really is. It's just like you you clearly committed a crime. <laughs> the public was divided. Yeah. And so a god came down. Like, no, he's good. Pretty wild. So that was sort of my uh, my 101, 100 miles per hour Greek history. Greek history history by House Atreus. Um, fun fact that I learned while going through this, Leto is a Greek name. Oh, oh shit. And Leto is actually a titan. Is the uh, female, actually, a mother of the gods Apollo and Artemis. Huh. So wild. That is, of all things, for Frank to turn the female into the male. Yeah. Never saw it coming. Never saw it coming. But, like, the fact that I saw it, I'm like, I have to zone in on this. I've never seen this name anywhere else. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, I really think when it came to the Atreides, everything was Greek-inspired. And wait, what were the two children? Uh, Apollo and Artemis, okay. the gods. Uh, no, so what I really want to know, like, is, is there, like, any parallel between Paul and Aaliyah and Apollo and Artemis? Oh, oh. It's like the child of Leto. I did not even fucking think about Apollo, Paula of Leto. Oh my God, what? Derek. 
What do you, what do you, you got? You just blew my mind. I don't have anything. You totally threw me for a loop there. Oh, I thought you had more to no, go No, not at all. I didn't even think about that. All right, you want to know what I got? I've pulled some things up right now. So one, and I didn't even, you played, as you said it, you said Apollo. Oh. Apollo. God. Apollo. God of the sun, light, music, and poetry, healing, plagues, prophecy, and knowledge. Archery and ar- agriculture. Liter- uh, literally, that's literally listing everything. <laughs> an embodiment of Hellenic ideal of, and I don't even, Kalakalathia. Uh, it's, uh, he is harmony. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, I, I, think, I think it's continuing on with the second thought. Uh, I don't know yeah. what that Greek word is, but but like harmony, reason, and moderation personified—a perfect blend of physical superiority and moral virtue. I find it impossible to believe that Frank did not take that as inspiration. Okay, I thought you were going to push back on moral. No, I was not at like, all. I'm, I'm pushing back I'm on you. I'm with you 120 Mac- macro, right? It's yeah. The big, yeah, yeah. Okay, you want to be ready for Artemis? Yeah. Artemis was the Greek goddess of hunting, wild nature, and chastity. The daughter of Zeus and a sister of Apollo, Artemis was regarded as a patron of girls, young women, and a protectress, a protectress during childbirth. Which, oh. what did she do? What was her only action we know of in the Fremen Siege? That's so Was good. going and comforting a baby that was just born. Frank, I see you. Let's see. I see you. Uh, also, putting the idea that like there is a bit of divinity in them, like they are the son or sons and daughters of a titan and god, mm-hmm. putting them in like the, these are these extraordinary individuals, uh, being like gods in their own right. Yeah. I don't know how Aaliyah develops, but like I'm willing to bet it's gonna be something spicy. Saint Aaliyah of the night. I know. Ah! Come on now. <laughs> I'm so excited. Huntress but, uh, of a billion worlds. I'm super happy I brought that up because I would have never made that parallel, and it feels super obvious now. Yeah, I I thought you were setting I thought me up Paul for something. Space name. I thought, no, I thought it was a trap door underneath it's not my space feet. Name. It's a goddamn Greek god name. <laughs> the god name. Oh, that's so good. So I'll continue now that I've done my Atreus bit. Excellent. Uh, sorry, we're going on for a while, guys. It was worth it to get to Apollo. <laughs> it and really was. I oh, I feel great. Yeah. It's not just the second bottle of wine. <laughs> or that ambrosia. Whoa. So, continuing on from Daniels. Uh, during the return from Troy, the fleet of Melanaeus. Oh, that's right. We were talking about Melanaeus. That's I've, crazy, I, That's right? what I wanted to get back to. <laughs> that's the king, right? Or no, uh, no. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah you're right. You're right. Cor- he was the king uh, of Sparta. Was the star is, um, I want to say Corpus. That's not it. Uh, Canopus. Canopus, thank you. Was he, his, he's the leader the, of the fleet, right? The leader of the fleet. Yeah, yeah. So on the way back from the war... Agamemnon's Troy. brother. He's got Helen back. We're like, hey, we're going back. Baby, we're going home. And <laughs> we're she's going like, home. She's like, yeah, I don't want to. <laughs> I said divorce. <laughs> exactly. So during the return from Troy, the fleet of Menelaus stopped on the coast of Egypt, where Canopus, unfortunately, met his untimely end. He just died. It was too much. Oh, oh just, just like... passed away. <laughs> I, I really thought it would have something to do guy, with Egypt. He helped lead this entire fleet during war. This mm-hmm. guy was a legend. And you know what? Menelaus, he went ahead and he uh, he erected a monument in his honor for Canopus. Supposedly, his name was subsequently given to an ancient city near Egypt and to the star itself. Oh, wait, oh. That's where the no. Canopus gets its name, the star. Okay. The Romans, however, used the term Canopus not only for the city, but also for lower Egypt and indeed Egypt as a whole. Because uh, we talked about, uh, I think there was a oh. Lady Jessica... 
was remembering things. Maybe it was either in her recollection when she uh, bonded with Romalo or during the uh, the prayer when they were talking about the past. Mm-hmm. They mentioned the term miser. Yes. Do you remember that? M-I-S-R? I do very much. And we were just like, what does that mean? I think we honed in on it, but I didn't think we really gave it enough gravity. Miser literally is Arabic for Egypt. Nice. Oh, I'm yeah, actually yeah, starting yeah. to think. I remember that. Because like, when I was thinking of the Fremen, I'm like, oh, they probably came from like uh, like Arabia or something like that. I mean, slightly, but Arabia adjacent. I think they're actually like Egyptians. That might explain like an affiliation with the Chakopsa, uh, though. And like just sort of like taking that out of left field. Because we, uh, we always, uh, what was it? A chip, uh, we had like the gypsy curses in Chakopsa. We know that gypsy is uh, oh, comes okay, from Egyptian. Okay, I see where you're. I I think like we're missing one piece. There's, there's a missing no, no, link no, no. here like, somewhere. So like, why did Frank associate these so closely? Uh, or is it just that the Romani gyps Egyptian misnomer? Yeah, is what he's adopting. It may be. Uh, very well. And the fact that it is a hunting language and he did take a lot of other things from Saber vs. Paradise, we don't necessarily know the order of operations no, 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 in no. which he took oh, his but, inspiration but I wanna, from. But I want to lean into, like, Mike, what you just touched on, that he that he used that for gypsy curses. Gypsy being the bastardized adaption of Egyptian when it has nothing to do with Egyptian. Exactly. That's really weird. Like, and it's too much to be a coincidence. That's what I feel, too. And that's yeah. why I'm starting to think the Fremen might be Egyptian in their origin from Old Terra. But, wait, wait. I, your conclusion makes no sense to me, though. Oh. We're like, if what we're pointing at is we're pointing at Romani, we're pointing at the Caucasus Mountains, and how neither of them are Egyptian, but Frank calls them that. History is weird. You just told me that, like, nothing makes sense in history. Right, but the, I'm saying, but we know the source origin is not, and he's attributing it to Egyptian. That's the weird part to me. True, true. Yeah. I mean, okay, culturally, it does not make sense, but from a writer's standpoint... You yeah. just steal from whatever is close. Sure, and sure. Has, and like, I'm wondering, like, what drove him to do that? Of like, I wonder if there's something he knew. Like, is there some story that crossed between or I whatever? Honestly, whatever I caught his you. attention. Yeah, I honestly could not tell you. That's but like, like that's a great the correlation. Uh, is hard to ignore. I th- the Misra especially the Misra. The especially. word for did Egypt. I say miser? Is it Misra? No, I. You should. Take your thing is accurate and mine is drunk. I uh, mine might just be misinformed though. People should know M I S R. That's what I try to say. <laughs> we'll just split the difference. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So uh, Daniels will continue after our rant there. Mm-hmm. Uh, hence, the Egyptian connection of the Fremen is reinforced as well as by the choice of the star itself. The star yes, being like named Canopus. in Egypt. Yeah, Canopus. yeah, yeah. So, being Egypt. Another another connection there. So like, I mean, I think it's pretty cool. There's something there. There's something There's, there. It's you've you've highlighted enough things that I'm like I can't look away. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I love it. And honestly, that's all Daniels is here to really do for us because like his information is about two decades outdated. <laughs> yep, yep. So we have to take it with a grain of salt. And honestly, I had to delete some things. I'm just like, oh, the brightest star in the sky at this point? No, that's like the 75th like brightest star oh, in this wow. nebula yeah. at this point. So like I I did do some research on that point. That's it. Yeah, Hubble's been hard at work. Yeah, Hubble's been very hard at work. It's like it's got four million times the luminosity <laughs> of the Earth. It's like, well, we're up to about eight million. So <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, but uh, just I mean like hey, but kudos for him because he did the research at the time and his uh, 
his star name actually did correlate to a real star in Nebula. Mm-hmm. So, like, he, he really did get into it. And oh, I yeah. don't blame Daniels for that. But uh, we're going to move on. We're going to get out of uh, all this Greek and uh, Egyptian lore here. We're going to go to my third point here. Ooh. Our place in space. Oh, okay. Something classic. Familiar, yeah. Classic here. Canopus is a supergiant white star, also known as Alpha Carinae. Canopus is the second brightest star in the sky. Did you know that? I did not. In the Earth's sky. Yeah. But we don't know that because we can't see it. It's not in our hemisphere. Oh, okay. I was like, my God, doesn't add up. It's Uh, a southern star. So uh Canopus is the second star brightest in the sky. Unfortunately for me, Daniel says, it cannot be seen from latitudes above 37 degrees. Mm, So we know Daniel's live somewhere around where we do. (laughs) (laughs) We're 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 in North America. (laughs) It sucks. I didn't realize we were on the hunt. <laughs> now, but here's the thing. I would have never thought about that. I, like, I know of our North Star. We see it all the time. But, mm-hmm. like, anyone below the equator, they don't get to see the North Star like we do. I uh, That kind of, I never considered. So, wait, how did China know about both the North Star and the South Star, then? I have no fucking idea. You wildly magicians. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Magic. Um, moving on. Uh, they they did have actually an amazingly expansive navy right up until like the 14th century. That might be oh, you know what navy makes sense. So you know what a bright star does. It's a great thing to like base your navigation on. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm gonna go really in depth on that. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. So, but before we do that, we're gonna talk about its place in space. You know, constellations. Canopus is part of Alpha, or is known as Alpha Carini. What do you think Carini means? Oh. I'll tell you. The constellation is Carina. Do you know what that is? No, oh, well, like that, uh, a Karina. I I wanted to immediately lean towards crown of some sort. Um, Not quite. Yeah, what do, you, what do you got? So it was part of the constellation Karina, along with eight other main stars and 52 bare flame steed stars. Hell yeah, bare flame steed stars. Yeah. So that just means like uh, substars from those main stars. Okay. Meaning like alpha, beta, gamma. Those are the bare flame steeds. Oh, uh, okay. That's where okay. those names come from. Uh, Karina is actually known as the keel of a boat. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, and as was actually oh, originally, actually, hold on, hold on. so with a keel on a boat, is that the like uh, center running underneath it? Yeah. Oh, that's really neat. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. cool. Uh, do you know where the knee of a boat is? No. Connects from the hull to the deck. Oh, weaken the knees. Oh, comes from when that's damaged. Does it really? That's, that's what I was told once in high school. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so my, maybe. <laughs> I think, well, with phrases like that, that can always be get lost True. to like multiple things. Like Absolutely. I think dressed to the nines, I've heard Absolutely. like four different things for, so. All right. So Karina is the keel, which we, we just went over, and uh, was actually alongside three other different constellations. The Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. <laughs> no, no, no. The Vela, which means the sail. And the poopus, which means the poop deck. <laughs> okay, I gotta go back to one. The poopus? The poopus, or puppus. But I'm pretty sure it's the poopus. Oh, I love it, because we had a poop deck on our Ampoliros. So. <laughs> exactly. So the poop deck, the sail, and the keel. So those make up a constellation as a whole. And that uh, original constellation was an ancient constellation known as Argo Navis. It was so big in the sky, they had to eventually divide it between separate things. <laughs> It took up the entire night sky, Derek. I feel like one guy got really ambitious naming constellations. Really did. It's like, you know what that kind of looks like? It's like looking at clouds. It's like, I see this. And then everyone's like, I kind of see that too. But it got to a point where it's like, that's all we see. 
It's just one, <laughs> it's one big. Sh- yeah, yeah. Kyle explains it every night. We see the ship. Yeah, and it was actually named uh, the constellation Argonavis was named for the ship of Jason and the Argonauts on their quest to retrieve the Golden Fleece. Oh, which uh, Wait, is that like a Bible story? No, no, it's another Greek story. Oh, okay. the Golden Fleece. I'm not really familiar with that at all. Oh, we're gonna have to get to some deep dives here. Sure, ourselves. sure, sure. But. Um, uh, all you need to know about Jason the Argonauts is that he is another hero doomed to misfortune, ah, which is a hey, common theme here within Dune. Man, if only I had a word like tragedy to describe <laughs> these things. Daniels goes on to say, yes, perhaps Herbert was trying to tell us something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yep. So going on here, moving straight into the stars, trying to get away from more of this Greek lore. Prior to modern cataloging and standardizing of star names, it was also known in Arabic as Suhail. Okay, I got nothing. What is that? Uh... Yeah. It uh, means uh, possibly from Al-Suhail, the plane. Okay. I don't know. Oh, yeah, I didn't know if you had a connection into Dune for me. But I think the idea is that uh, they use it as like a beacon within a flat landscape. That was their navigating star. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was important in the desert because that acted as like their North Pole for the South. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. is kind of like what you explained exactly. uh, before. So we use it today in navigation. yeah. You know what we use it for in navigation. And so I guess it's like the point you're putting on to me. Before, we would use it as like a sextant and literally look at it to navigate by. Sort of. We're like, hey, I see that there, so I know I'm going south. Mm-hmm. That's what they would use in the desert. Do you know how we use it today? Okay. It's just a shot in the dark. I didn't no, no, no. I, I feel like it's a trick question. You're really fucking with my Maybe. mind. So I, did it, is it like it changed position or something? or It has changed well, no, just in light years terms, because it's kind of a fickle star. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, but, no, uh, I have no idea what you're kind of building up towards here. We, of use like, it, we use it in modern spacecraft navigation. Do you know how? Yeah, I know how. Okay, uh, tell me. Yeah, all right. Tell me, fuck it. You just keep telling me we use <laughs> it. Right. I'm like, how do we use it? I want to throw a glass at you, Mike. <laughs> Sorry. I just looked to build you, you up. Just, how do you use it? How do you? I'm like, redacted there. That's how it feels. I know, I know, right? I know. So. The but sound? I, I literally can't think of something. Other. I only know of using a star as a, um, when you, I think you use them to align your prime meridian when you're sailing. Because oh, like, yeah. So uh, one of the things for Captain Cook, we had his maps to his treasure and he didn't use the standard prime meridian. So the guy looking for his treasure. Couldn't find it. Well, no, oh, dude, he did find it. What meridian he used eventually? Because there oh. were there were only a few stars that we used standard, oh, and it, okay. based on where you were in the world, there was like, oh, we use that star kind right, of deal, right, and like right. eventually it led him to like uh, I think they were off the coast of Vietnam to like get to a place he went. But that's the only way I, I know of using a star in that manner. I don't get how we do it with space and stuff. Well, the South Celestial Pole can be approximately located in space. Uh, it's u- located using Canopus as one anchor. Uh-huh. You look at where Canopus is. And another is another bright star called Akinar, which is Alpha Eridani. We've looked at 40 Alpha Eridani, which is not quite the same as Alpha Eridani. Mm-hmm. But I think that was uh, Ixin Riches. Okay. I, Eridani has been up there many yeah. a time. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so you use those two, mm-hmm. and you know that the South Pole, along with those, actually makes an equilateral triangle. So as long as you know where those two are, you know where the South Pole of Earth is. Mm-hmm. And that's what you use in a lot of uh, spacecraft navigation. That's amazing. And uh, we use that still today, actually. Many spacecraft carry a special camera on their board known as a Canopus Star Tracker. No way. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, a plus a sun sensor for altitude determination. 
It was originally in 1964, the Mariner 4 satellite used Canopus for second axis stabilization after locking onto the sun. This is the first time in history that a star had been used for orbital navigation. That is amazing. So is it just like tuned to the brightness of the star? Exactly, because it's the second brightest star yeah, in our yeah, night sky. Yeah. In the south, it's the brightest star. You realize you're basically just tuning to a frequency. You make it so the camera can only see that amount of light, and it's going to be like, oh, there's only one star in the sky. Exactly. We know where that is. We know where that is. Boom, we know where we are. That's so cool. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, yeah. It was automated. Um, and since then, the vast majority of satellites and crafts used uh, use Canopus as a means of navigation. That's wild to think about. And uh, we kept doing that. That was uh, Mariner 4. It has only failed us once in history, and we immediately made some changes afterwards. Damn. It failed once in 1973 with the Mariner 10, the last of the Mariner projects before we moved on to the Voyager projects, Ooh. which used that same camera. Very cool. Yeah. And we know those two made it. Yeah, I know those golden discs Still going out there. Today. Exactly. Now, the Mariner 10 was on its way to Mercury and Venus. It was going to be the first probe to make orbital flights past two planets to get pictures and uh, information from both of them. Mm-hmm. And actually, to this day, it's still floating somewhere around the sun. Just yep. like that. Yeah, that makes sense. Exactly. Now, it was on its way to Mercury and Venus. Uh, they made a uh, trajectory course correction maneuver after, like, you know, did our burns. We got up, and uh, we made a trajectory. As soon as we did that, something messed up. Something went off kilter, and uh, the mirror started going weird directions. It's like, what's going on? Apparently... Ooh, um, wait, wait, can I can I guess real quick? Yeah, do I, it. I love spaceship bikes. Yeah. So I want to guess that a, a, like a reaction thruster was left on. And it basically is like pushing it in some angle or spinning it in something, causing like rotation. I mean, uh, you're right with what's happening, but not the not the prognosis, cause. not uh. the cause. Because we're talking about Canopus here. Yeah. So apparently when it did that trajectory, it went a little too fast. We're not sure how or why it happened, but some of the paint on the satellite started flecking off. Nice. And one of those flecks got in the way of the camera yes. of Canopus. Yeah, it's super and reflective. It registered the paint as Canopus and said like, oh, Canopus is here. We got to go this direction now. Oh, Canopus is moving. It's like, oh, the thrusters. <laughs> exactly. So it started freaking the hell out until they were able to get it off. This just happened whenever it didn't get, uh, it didn't get on the camera itself, but it would fly off and it's like, oh, that's reflective. That's Canopus. Make no. a directional change right now. I was going to say, like, you think even the smallest bit of paint, you think of how many times times more powerful that light is because it's so, it's so much close. closer exactly because light moves on an uh exponential scale for how far you move away right mm-hmm. uh like the it's an inverse uh oh what do you call that like an inverse square law for the power of light oh i couldn't tell you exactly it's like if you move it twice away it's like four times as weaker yeah it's yeah, really yeah. great so you put that little bit that much closer it's going to be brighter than a star the uh the rough part about this is they they were able to figure out what it was Put it back in course. It's like, okay, it's good. We're great. We can keep going. Paint doesn't just fleck off once, though, Derek. There was a lot of paint, and there was a lot of issues. And whenever they made any sort of correction, yeah. little paint would fleck off. And uh, the head of the project made it uh, described it as a constant application of Band-Aids on a multi-million dollar project, hoping to God we would get to our end goal. And we're like, guys, maybe we don't paint the next satellite. <laughs> 
<laughs> maybe much. maybe that flame uh, touch job on the side was too much. <laughs> it just reoccurred throughout the whole mission. I just thought that was hilarious. But that's yeah. the only time it's failed. Once we did that, we're like, we're not doing that again. We figured it out. Yeah, we're gonna. Hey, yeah. our I think our space failures are all both amazing in their simplicity and like remarkable in how we fix them. They really are. They really are. Um, if you guys don't know anything about like NASA's history and the projects, go look it up sometime. Watch a video, look up a movie, anything, because they are just so fascinating. Man, Hubble Space Telescope. You know the man who fixed that was uh, Mike Massimino. He's like six foot ten. He's a giant <laughs> of an astronaut. <laughs> it cost ten thousand dollars a pound to get into space. He was oh, on. No. He was on Star Talk with Neil deGrasse Tyson. He's like, yeah, I'm a bit of a big guy. They don't like sending me up there. <laughs> The guy's like 180. <laughs> He's so cool. I really love him. That's great. I'm down to our last and final bonus here. Uh, our bonus entry? Entry here. So part four. four. Uh, I've named this lovingly uh, after our dear friend that has guided us through this entire season. McNelly or not, here I come. <laughs> <laughs> I wish that's how McNelly started the interview. <laughs> That would be good. That would be good. I love it. Just every day when he goes to work, putting that tie on, McNelly or not, here I come. Right in the mirror. So this is all about the encyclopedia, and uh, it talks about it from the encyclopedist as one who reads encyclopedia. Okay. So the encyclopedist offers a novel fact about Canopus, claiming that it has a white hole companion, Canopus B. Yeah, we touched on that a long time exactly, ago. Exactly, a long time ago, yeah, like yeah. episode six or something like that. So that was right. Mm-hmm. A white hole is a theoretical opposite end to a black hole. That is to say, the enormous amount of energy sucked in by the latter spews out the former, perhaps in another universe. Mm-hmm. Who knows? We don't really know how that works. In fact, the encyclopedia seems to be trying to establish that Canopus, and hence Dune and the Dune Chronicles, is not of the Milky Way galaxy. We have noted somewhat anomalous data before, if you see Ix and Rachis and Playlax. But in the article on the astronomy of Arrakis, he states that the name of the galaxy is Starspen. I believe you mentioned that, that it would take place in the galaxy Starspen. I, I don't know if I included that or not. not but I feel like you maybe, did. Yeah, it, it sounds super familiar. And that Canopus is 129,000 light years from galactic center. That this gal- galaxy is a middle-aged one at about 12 billion years old, and the Canopus is a main sequence star within mm-hmm. Starspen. Now, Daniels is going to look into this a little bit. The truth is, I rather like the name Starspen, wherever that <laughs> came from. I don't know. It's but, very, it's very literal. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But Canopus is nowhere close to the distant stage from the galactic center. In fact, 129,000 light years exceeds exceeds the diameter of our galactic disk. Oh. Yeah. So that does not make sense. Furthermore, the universe has been estimated to be about 10 to 20 billion years old. 13 or 14 billion seems to be a bit of a common value. A galaxy of 12 billion years is rather old. Finally, although the encyclopedia seems to be using his own spectral classes, the phrase, in quotes, main sequence star, possibly and necessarily referring to the Hertzsprung-Russell diagram, which is how we define our star sequences. Yeah. We've been talking about, like, star sequence A, F, B, whatever they are. 
I think uh, F tends to be closer to like our sun. Mm-hmm. Uh, A seems to be like closer to like red giant, super out there. We do like it's it's not even close to what we do. Is our sun F or like G? It's F or G. Okay, it's one of the two. Yeah, I feel I was thinking G in my head, but like I was glad you landed on F. I'm like, oh, this is close enough. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like it's one of the two of them, okay. but it is close. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact of the matter is that the uh, main sequence sequence star or the main sequence stars in relation to that diagram not applicable to Canopus in any facet. Okay. And now or ever, says Daniels. He's very, <laughs> very uh, poignant on this. He's going to go on. This is, honestly, this is right here. There's no facts here. This is just Daniel's speculation going on. I love it. Spin it. Now, if my thesis is correct about the encyclopedist's intent, all I can say is that this document is a rejection, if not a refutation, of any claim that Dune is not in our universe. So double negative there. He's just saying that, like, with everything we're saying here, Dune has got to take place in somewhere that isn't our galaxy. All the facts don't add up to what we have today. Mm-hmm. You're literally making the claim that it's not possible to take place here. Yes. He's going to go on. If a parallel universe is invoked, this, uh, I mean, I see where you're going. This reminds me of a conversation you've had with one of our uh, listeners. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Parallel universe, same timeline, who knows? Possibilities. If a parallel universe is invoked. Fair, I suppose, in the science fi, uh, in the sci-fi world. Then I ask, why? Why would one not feel the connection with the world of Dune as our future and not a possible parallel universe? I mean, you better be building up to that white hole is connected to our galaxy, right? Well, that's the op- that's part of the refutation of like you could totally say that it doesn't take place in the same one. Right, right, and I, I hope that's where he was going to land. I mean, like, and I hope the white hole, though, does connect to our universe, like a black hole in our universe oh, somewhere. Entirely possible. The idea but, is, like, he's not sure. Sure, sure, he's but there's like, enough evidence yeah, piled on he's here. He's just that, wondering, like, why? Why wouldn't you just assume this is our future and not, like, some uh, alternate reality or parallel okay, or okay. something else happened? Uh, Daniels doesn't agree with you, Derek. He drew the line in the sand. No, no, he's just entertaining the idea, Mike. I do not believe he made a declarative there. All right, let's go on. Was that not with a conditional? <laughs> That's fair. Thank you. That's fair. <laughs> we do know some more things about the skies of Dune itself, more than any other planet within the Chronicles. We know, for instance, three constellations, the Muad'Dib, the mouse whose tail points north, the pointers, also known as the Furman Arrows, and the Wanderer, whose arm points to the southern pole star, Forum Al-Hut which I believe is from Chapter House Dune, and the other one uh, from an arrows from God Emperor. All right, what'd you find? All right, Mike, so I looked up. It is Children of Dune, which this blow. That means we made a previous reference. He's using CD for Children of Dune. The line I have, he searched for the constellation of the Wanderer, found it, and let his gaze follow the outstretched arm of the brilliant, glittering, of Fum Alhut, uh-huh. the polar star of the south. Oh. There's your damned universe for you, he thought. And I can't read anymore because it gets fun. Polar star of the south, that sounds an awful lot like Canopus. So I'm glad we found it. Awesome. Yeah, and so, so uh, that just got means... the books wrong then. So CD, I thought was Chapter House Dune, but I guess it's... Uh... It's Ch- uh, Children, Children of Dune. Of Dune. And that means there's one other reference we did to Daniel where I kind of looked at it and I was like, well, it's got to be Chapter House if he just did C, uh, D. Right, right. So that is going to be Children of Dune as well for that one. Okay. And 
Sorry for anyone that's made it this far, but <laughs> hopefully you screamed at the at the area as it went. Yeah, <laughs> we try our best. I only have a couple more points here. All right. We also know that the two moons of Dune, unnamed by Herbert, recalled Krellin and Arvon by the encyclopedist. Mm-hmm. The first sets the image of a hand, the second the image of a kangaroo mouse. Daniels has some uh, an interesting proposition here. Was Muad'Dib named Muad'Dib being Paul? Okay. Yep. Named for the mouse, the moon, or the constellation? constellation. Yeah. Now there's a couple answers you could go with here, and I'm curious to see what you think. Because the mouse seems to indicate the actual time of choosing, where Paul says, "Hey, what is that mouse called?" I would go. I'm already. I'm going to jump ahead. Do you have more examples you want to spell I out? I do, but why don't you tell me? I'm curious. I'm going with the the constellation because it actually doesn't. The constellation point in a certain direction. That was always my understanding for it. Right. And again, to be he who shows the way, shortening of the way, and pile on to the Quisach Hatterak aspect of it. He used the mouse literally in telling who is that to Stilgar because he he didn't need to know what the constellation was. That's right. all. It's all happenstance and fate where he can't avoid it. So ultimately I see us as choosing between the constellation and the moon right? for like celestial figures. And I think it's the constellation. So uh, according to Daniels on Dune page 199, his previous prediction to his mother, Jessica was more ambivalent when he talked about the constellation Muad'Dib. It's almost like I've read this a few times. But here's the ultimate question. Did Paul already know the name of the mouse when he asked Stilgar? Uh, Due to its prescience. I will turn you to uh, a certain part in the Matrix where Neo turns and he bumps into a little stand and knocks over a vase after (laughs) the woman clearly said, don't worry about that vase. And she goes, the real tricky part is you're going to be asking yourself, would I have knocked that vase over? Yeah, it's a bootstrap paradox. So I think that's all you can possibly land at. That's all Daniels has to say. Yeah. And that's actually where I'm going to end our gazetteer. It was uh, a long one, guys. Thank you for staying with us for that. Uh, I'm going to say you're welcome on behalf of all of us. Yeah, that I, was, I enjoyed that was it. a journey, yeah. Uh, we, I think you and I had some revelations during the... Oh, oh, at least oh, for yeah. a couple of them. But Apollo that, alone. That was really cool. No, no. Very great. Worth the slog through. Like, there was a lot in there to unpack. Uh, so we only got a couple more things and maybe a little bit of distance from our uh, winged friend. I'm like, you think I'm not going to let Giovanni come to the last <laughs> one? Even terrible purpose. Like, Derek, you got to let Giovanni step well, by. Like, Did you see that little chair, that tiny one? Oh. It's not just for show. He's been so still. Oh. It slowly oh. turns around. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I guess he can have my wine. <laughs> can I have the distance? You just going to... Okay, I didn't know he could take it off. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right, what do we got here, Mike? Oh. Oh. Ah. Uh, yep, yep, yep. No, no, I know it's very long. I Okay. Oh, I, I'll, I'll just read it. Okay. Oh, Paul. It's Paul's. It's Paul's. It's the end of Paul's message. <laughs> oh, the last half. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we got what? Well, we kind of sent... We have the last half and an addendum, and I'm going to go straight to the addendum, <laughs> I guess. Uh, we can't give you everything, Paul, but I really like this. Because, uh, Mike, we already speculated a little bit on scenes we wanted to see more of. Yeah. He brings up the greatest one ever. Uh, Paul's telling me of that um, it was a wonderful surprise to get the latest episode early, and he's a full-fledged Spice World CH member now. Ah. And what an episode was. I just had to share a quick thought about one aspect of Paul's plan. The quote-unquote message brought by the pet Sadakar deserves a little more explanation. 
Oh. So remember that guy we caught? We kept them for a month. Right. right. <laughs> <We're> like, <trained laughs> right. Up. We we taught Corba how to handle solder car, take all the hair off. Yeah, you know? shave them clean. Clean as you however can. However you can. They got shake of wire everywhere. Didn't we, didn't we say you like scalp them to get the hair off? We were or? wondering like do so how do, you, how do you get sugar wire off of sugar wire? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And how do you get a hat off a hat? Uh, <laughs> okay, yeah. It's tough. And they probably, like, shave them clean. Yeah, yeah, at least. And then they have, like, transmitters under the nails. There's a false tooth take you got to pull take out. Take off their teeth. Take mm-hmm. off the nail. Oh, God, those poor people. You probably tap the eye just to make sure it's not glass. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. But he's like, I want to wonder if uh, this message. I think it went something like this. Arasham is brought before the Padishah Emperor. This is Otto Arasham. Okay. Uh, Aramsham bows deeply. My liege, and Atreides yet lives. Shaddam pauses. Dude, what happened to your hair? <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, I love oh my it. god, I didn't even think about that. This man's gotta be hairless. No eyebrows. <laughs> no teeth. No, no fingernails. Just like a bloody be like, scrape. My emp- my liege. <laughs> oh, I can do this. My empua. <laughs> In Atreides <laughs> yet lay lives. I got you, Mike. Don't worry. We got that one down. It's the only one that doesn't turn into foghorn leghorn for me. I love that idea. It's like, I totally do think Corba goes extra. Oh, yeah, like, what he said. This is what I feel. Last time I, I saw you this. You fail Moody once. You don't fail the second time. This must be a naked, like, Sonic car before him. It's got razor burn and everything. Yeah. The message itself is actually threefold. He continues. The son of Lady Atreides lives and he's super pissed. And he is, in fact, this Moadib who leads the Fremen and can also do weird things with his voice, which is actually the reason why I spilled all the beans. Anyway, I just thought you should know. <laughs> there are a whole bunch more Fremen than you thought. And man to man, they are more than a match for hand-picked Imperial Sadakar. Yeah, I said it. <laughs> They have missiles and thopters of plenty, and a secret under their base. And oh yeah, they can ride giant sandworm of Arrakis. And then boom, <laughs> you walk us. Yeah, yeah, arm it up. <laughs> Love it. Um, yeah, right before the mega storm of the oh, century, aka good. Grandma Shield Killer. Grandma Shield Killer. Love it. Thank you so much, Paul. That's uh, wonderful. I wanted to entertain that one a little bit. I thought that was perfectly fluid. And, uh, let me let me see what else they got. Oh, Mike, do you got your stupid ED tube? There's an encrypted one on I'm here. Gonna, okay, here, 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 pass them over. Yeah. Hey, buddy. Of course, for the last episode. <laughs> oh, actually, I think we we may have alluded to him earlier in this episode, Derek. Oh, from Twitter, Scott Glasspool is coming back in. La- no so, wonder I couldn't decode it. You, as, uh, as anyone might recall, you and him have a uh, feud between whether this is happening in the current timeline of Terra or an alternate parallel timeline of Terra. If uh, if Rome never fell, I like to think we are historical rivals. We are. We are oh, like you know how there was like one guy in that uh, the article I did that was like putting the footnotes in. That's me and Scott. We're like putting footnotes on each other's theories. He, uh, he shouted at us, at a, uh, tweeted at us, during your Atomics deep dive, you mentioned King George and thought it was the King of America. Pretty sure it's a reference to King George VI, who was King of Britain during World War II. Oh, Scott, you got a way of, <laughs> you are sand underneath my sandworm ring. Uh, and he, he, uh, that, that's pretty good, though. I do like that. I did, <laughs> We didn't even entertain that option, did no, we? No, we didn't. Yeah. He goes on to say, uh, 
I hope he knows I'm just having fun with it. <laughs> but I think really he's like twisting the Chris knife when he said that. <laughs> no, that's so good. Oh man, King George of England. That's a really good point. That one we um, didn't even like. I didn't even entertain that thought. But here's why. Here's why okay. I didn't entertain that thought. Because I've been listening to a podcast recently called Wicked Games. Mm-hmm. It has to do with U.S. history and every presidential election up until the present. Mm-hmm. Um, granted, the first one wasn't really an election. George Washington was just sort of unanimously elected and chosen to be like, please lead us. No one else can do it, General. Yes. And so we did that, and he did it for another term. And by the end of it, that's where we started to get uh, more of a divide in political parties. And people were starting to call him King George mm-hmm. as almost an insult. Because they're like, hey, you're just as bad as where we came from. And that's when he sort of drew the line in the sand saying, like, I can't do this anymore. I'm too old. I just wanted to retire in the first place. We can't have third, fourth terms. We're just going to end up in the same Ouroboros circle mm-hmm. as a whole. So he steps down. But to the dismay of Hamilton. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. We've all seen it on Disney+. We've Plus. all seen Hamilton. Yeah. But uh, he is a baller, though. He's a great person to uh, look into the history of. But like that's what I think of I when I think of King George agree. for that one aspect. Yeah. Uh, granted, George Washington wasn't a good person through and through. Nobody in history, like no one in history, no one was. Is. I mean, yeah, no, no, literally, you could stop. No one, <laughs> literally, no one. Even Gandhi's a dick in civilization, Mike. He nukes me all the time. <laughs> we will get into that. Um, that that is that is such cool though. Um, so I didn't know about that King George background until you recommended that podcast to me. Mm-hmm. That really illuminated that for me. Of like, oh, cool. I did not know that in his background. Uh, so I would have entertained that in consideration, but I think that does illuminate two great options here of one. Did America never really break away? That kind of leaves an obscurity to how House Washington came to be, but I believe he was in the British Army before, right? Isn't that where he got his start? Oh, I couldn't tell you. Okay. Neither can I. I don't know Georgie that well. Nonetheless... (laughs) Uh, I think we got two options of, like, the obscurity of history here, too. That they are both figures that are contemporary. Maybe that's it, where we've blended two people into one. Oh, maybe. Or it's the King George of England really does rule over and never lost America in a way. That seems just as possible. Or that it's the King George to be, like, playing into what if George Washington never did step down? What if he did assume kingdom and assumed the imperium thereafter? Entirely possible. Well, because we, but it, because I'm leaning towards my timeline, there is an empire that he exists in already. Okay. And that he's not fomenting revolution. As far as history knows, which we know, according to your deep thoughts today, can be very convoluted. It and should like, be. It should yeah. be like fucking opaque as exactly. can be. And I'm just saying, but no, leaning towards my initial concept of like, let's say Rome never fell in that. That would put Washington in the Roman Empire. I mean, if it never fell, then yes. Exactly. No, and I'm just saying, so then it's just a matter of him moving up to become emperor in that. Okay. In the King George fashion. Fair, fair, fair. Or does King George of England rise up and take control of that? Or is it like this other alternate option? I mean, all I can tell you is that I'm on Scott's side. You want to go with King George? Yeah. I mean, I think just in general, the fact that this is just a continuation of our own timeline and the history is inaccurate. And we can prove that by some of the entries we have within the Definitely. No, no, no. encyclopedia. I, I, I love it. I want to lean towards King George and just that since it is his first name. Yeah. 
And that's what he was referred to versus sure. Washington, which we all universally know as Washington. Right, right, right. I think that does kind of line up, and I, I love it. Well done, Scott. Please keep it coming Tim in. the hat, but it's King George of the unfallen Roman Empire. That's all. That's all. That's <laughs> no, the only, that's no, the only no, catch. No, that's the no. only catch. I hate it. <laughs> Do we have anything else? I think that's No, it. I think Giovanni is sleeping, so he definitely doesn't <laughs> even play. He's <laughs> not even leaving that today. Chair. <laughs> you said you're done with the book. Uh, He's got a little rocking feature. You can just tap it real quick. <laughs> He's a happy-go-lucky bat. That's the see a if there was one. Um... <laughs> See you later. See you later. <laughs> That's wonderful, actually. Does anyone have a question for us? Uh, do you guys perhaps know a wine we could afford? Because we got a second season yeah. coming down the pipe. We do. We're at Spice Roll Pod on Instagram and Twitter. You can always send a dish trans when our bad is out on the market at spicerollpod at gmail.com. And, of course, there's a website at spicerollpod.com. And if you're looking way, for a way to support the show, come join us over at a little sketch on patreon.com slash spicerollpod. And I will personally set you up a yali. Oh, exactly. A realtor right here. Gauze hangings of your color choice. Horror <laughs> oh, for first orange. We got yellow and orange. Yeah, I think I think I really <laughs> has been it so far. You know what that is, Mike? It's because it's made of spice. Because <laughs> it's made of spice. <laughs> yeah. Stop it! <laughs> That's where you can find our exclusive bonus between two Dunes episodes, like Ampeliros, Guild Highlanders, Norma Sevna, as well as several others. We have quite the collection stacking it's up really now. Is. And the Norma Senva, a really Venport one, I think is Sevna. still one of the ones I cherish most in my heart. I mean, there's no teaser. Um, oh, oh no, no. one thing I forgot. I made cupcakes for today. None of us have <gasps> touched them. Oh, we're going to eat those after my cake. Those yeah. are great. I'm, those are blue cupcakes. I'm not a baker, but they're they're cinnamon spice cupcakes. Yeah. Oh, shit. That I dyed with yellow and orange inside. And then I made blue frosting to put on top of them with orange sprinkles. All right, we'll get a few pictures. You want to split one open for a picture too, then? <laughs> sure, we'll, sure, we'll sure. Do that. Prove that there's something on the inside. <laughs> I love it. I don't think they mix very well with the cinnamon that I added because I added a lot of cinnamon. With the wine. <laughs> we are all over the road. But, Mike, I do have a teaser for you. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's so I didn't pull something from the book, but uh, it's going to be a few weeks before we finally sit down and get into uh, Messiah. I need you. We're probably going to do one more post-Dune uh, episode. Okay. But I wanted to tell you. Probably a couple. We what the couple. header was we're going into. Like the, oh, of the, of the book kind of thing? Yeah, of the first, like, sect. It's weird. There's sort of an introduction, if you will. There's two bits we got to go through before we get to what I would call the first chapter. So, like, uh, a prologue? E- e- again, it's in Frank Herbert's kind of format. <laughs> 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 Excerpts from fake books. Okay. Uh, that's what we're getting at, that's Mike. Fine. But we, the first thing we are going to do is we are going to go over and read the Death Cell interview of Bronzo of Ix. Oh. A heretical historian. Heretical historian. Oh. Yeah. Bronzo of Ix. That's exciting. So we're going to meet our first Ixian. Yeah, I think so. Ooh. Yeah. I love it. It's really interesting. There's a lot loaded in there. We're going to basically cut into like, hey, what's been happening for these 12 years? Yeah. So it's 12 years that have gone by. Yeah. 12 years are going to pass. We're going to have to spend some time to think about what happened then. Mm-hmm. Not think, today. We're well over time. Yeah, I think we can do all that next time because until uh, then, Mike, the, the spice, spice must flow.
I was almost a historian. I've seriously considered being a historian. And while I was in the throes of this decision, I came on the idea that leaders <clears throat> amplify the mistakes. Their, their mistakes are amplified by the numbers who follow them without question. And charismatic leaders tend to build up followings, power structures, and those power structures tend to be taken over by people who are corruptible. I don't think that the old saw about uh, power corrupting and absolute power mm. corrupting absolutely is accurate. I think power attracts the corruptible. Dune is conceived of as a, as a planet that is totally desert, so that water on it is the metaphor of, say, oil here, uh, very appropriate at the moment. Uh, it is a metaphor of uh, clean air, metaphor of water itself, I mean, potable water. And it's a metaphor for the shortages that we are encountering because of overpopulation. Mm. And the story is uh, told in, uh, in terms of, the, of people who are recognizable. You'd recognize these people, but they live in a culture that is somewhat different.